Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff, Wattel is your host. This is being brought to you live and recorded live on January 15th, 2023, the time right now, 9.28 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And yes, as always, we have a free roll tonight. It is on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. It just began three minutes ago. You can get in there and you have 22 minutes left of late registration. We take late registration all the way up until 9.50. So the prizes this week, 30 for first, 17 for second, 10 for third. That's 30 for first, 17 for second, 10 for third. It is on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can find the rules for the free roll at pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll, all lowercase. You need to understand those so you know if you qualify to win the free money, pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll. And I can pay you by Zelle, by Cash App, by bank transfer, by cryptocurrency, by other methods you might be able to think of to receive money online. Though not ACR. I can't send you ACR money. I don't have an account there. But other methods you can think of, I can send you as well. And again, it started at 9.25 p.m. And late registration closes at 9.50 p.m. The four donations which added up for the free roll this week were from Siba Cockshot, who gave 15. Then we also forfeited previously unclaimed prizes from Midwest Hustler, $15, Owner, $12, and S. Benjamin, $15. So thank you guys for unintentionally donating to this free roll. As you guys know, if it has been more than six months since a winner won and they did not claim their prize, I may repurpose it for future free rolls, but I will never keep the money myself. So that's what's being done tonight. If you want to call the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, which translates to 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. The Mount Charleston line is an old 70s rotary phone, which sits in a cabin on top of Mount Charleston and forwards to me wherever I go. It's a separate number into the show. The phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. You can also text the main number at any time. Not the Mount Charleston line, but you can text the main number, 775-372-8355. You can text me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I will never be angry that it is too early or too late to text me, and I will respond to you. We have our call to listen line, which is very simple. It's another way to listen to the show. You can just call up and listen. You won't be able to talk to me, but you can listen to me. The phone number is 518-931-1189, 518-931-1189. It does not require a smartphone. It does not require a data plan. It does not require a computer or the internet. No, 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 not even an app. All you need is a phone that can dial. And if you can dial the U.S. for free, then it's free. The only exception is if you have a T-Mobile phone, it will cost you one cent a minute to call, which I don't get. T-Mobile keeps it because they consider it a high-volume number which is both a compliment and frustrating. 518-931-1189, the call to listen line. And unlike other forms of streaming media, I guarantee this one will never buffer and never freeze on the call to listen line. So give it a try as an alternate listening method, especially if you're driving around and your cell phone signal is poor and you're unable to do streaming media, you can use this. When we're not live on the air, you can also call that number and you can hear a streaming rerun, which the computer picks at random 
in our library of well over 400 shows, dating back 11 years now. If you want to catch the show in the archives, and I always have people complaining, oh, you're saying archives wrong. No, I'm not. I'm not. For this show, we say archives. I'm very aware of the accepted pronunciation, but that's not what we do on the show. But if you want to listen to the show in the archives, there's many ways to do it. We are on iTunes, Google Podcasts, the TuneIn app, which has actually two different entries to listen live and in the archives, iHeartMedia, Spotify, which I strongly recommend because you can actually click on the timestamps there and jump directly to the topic you want to listen to. Stitcher, which is one of the oldest podcasting apps. We're on there now. They're actually one of the first ones to pick up the show typically when we release it. We're also on the Bullhorn app, which is similar to Spotify, except it also has a call to listen line for the archives, which is interesting. And then you can download or play the MP3 file of the show I make available every week. doesn't require any app or external program. You just click on the MP3 file. It'll play on any device. So a lot of different ways to listen. If there's another way you'd like to listen, and I don't have it, I don't support it, then you can let me know and I'll see if I can add it. The only thing we are not adding at this time is YouTube because there is no easy way to do it without a lot of hassle. But any other thing I will consider, and maybe sometime in the future, YouTube will be an option as well. If you want to chat during the show, most of you do not listen live. If you're listening live, you're welcome to go into the chat room and you can chat with other people there that are listening at the moment. You do need a form account in good standing to get into the chat room. Here is the agenda for the week, and then we will get going. I was invited to a party at Commerce, and that was interesting to see I got the invite because I used to get invited to this type of stuff all the time back in the 2000s, but then Black Friday hit in 2011, those parties kind of stopped, and then when they restarted, I just wasn't being invited anymore. I guess I wasn't important enough, and that's fine, but starting this past summer in the World Series, I'm getting these invites again. So I got invited to an LAPC kickoff party at Commerce. I went and I met Robbie Jade Lou for the first time. In fact, she was actually at my table. So I will tell you about that party. I will take a guess as to why I was invited. And I'll also tell you about my interactions with Robbie Jade Lou and even a possibility that I might assist her with in issue she is having unrelated to Hustler Casino Live, where she may be in the right. Then we will have on, actually, I think before we're going to have this person on, but we're going to have Mr. Dr. Batman on the show, who you may have seen play on Hustler Casino Live. And he is going to talk with me about the whole flap that occurred recently with Eric Person, where Eric Person actually had him ejected from Hustler Casino Live over a joke. And we're going to discuss who is in the right. I'm going to give you my opinion. Obviously, he thinks he's in the right, but I'll give you my opinion on the whole situation. And also, we're going to have him on. And he also offered to come on at the beginning of the show in general, just to talk as a co-host. So I said, okay, great. We may get Calwatt, too. He's actually awake, believe it or not, even though it's uh, 1235 in New York. So we're going to have, uh, at minimum, Dr. Batman on here. Mr. Dr. Batman, I'm sorry. It's not Mr. Batman. It's not Dr. Batman. It's Mr. Doctor, which we will ask him about why he chose that name. Then we're going to talk about Poker Bunny. 
Poker Bunny is pregnant, and I don't talk about Poker Bunny much. It's intentional. I've had people ask me, why don't I discuss Poker Bunny on this show? There's a good reason for it, and I'll tell you the reason when we get to that segment. But we will discuss her tonight, and she is pregnant. That's the reason we're discussing her. A guy on Facebook offered that he had a lot of MGM M-Life credits to sell, credits which could be used for anything on property, not for gambling, but for uh, any kind of comps, such as restaurants, hotels, whatever. I'm not sure if they can be traded in for free play too, but I, I, I know for sure that these can be used for comps on property at one penny each. He claimed he had $40,000 worth and, in fact, sent me a screenshot that he had such credits and he wanted very little money for them. But the transaction didn't happen. Why didn't it? I will tell you this story when we get to that segment. We had requests for Druffy Time Theater to come back, so indeed it will. Remember, this has nothing to do with poker or gambling, just stories from my personal life. I'm going to tell you about something that happened to me in 2021, which I have never talked about on this show and up until like two days ago had never mentioned on the forum. And that was, I was followed out from a fast food place by an angry employee that I had a small argument with. And I'll tell you why that happened and why this guy was pissed off and what ended up happening after that. It's a very weird story, which I've never told before. Jamie LaFay, we talked about her on the last show for the first time. Got another Jamie LaFay being crazy story. This one involves a social media battle she is having with a fellow Native American female poker player who goes by Poker Hauntus. I kid you not. It's the battle of Native American female poker players. Pro poker player Thomas Zanot, or Zeno, I don't know how you say his name, Z-A-N-O-T, won a $6.45 million pie gow jackpot at Flamingo Las Vegas, and he left a pretty damn big tip. We'll talk about that win. Celine Dion is apparently filling seats with Caesars employees when there's empty seats at her show because she wants the show to look successful. Apparently, the seats are not selling as well as they did at the very beginning. I'll tell you what is going on and if there's a possibility that you could be a seat filler. Major offshore sportsbook Red 44 was shut down by the feds. 11 Americans were indicted. Then... Very, very far away from the U.S. in Australia, the sports betting site Marley's House of Sport, which isn't quite a sports book. It's more of like a sports investment site. It turned out to be a scam that many suspected it already was. So I'll tell you about Marley's House of Sport and what's going on with it right now. Finally, Hawaii is one of the two states in the U.S. which absolutely prohibits all forms of gambling, including the lottery. You cannot gamble legally in any way, shape, or form in Hawaii or in Utah. The other 48 states all have some form of gambling. But this might change in Hawaii as legislators are attempting to bring live poker and even sports betting to the state of Hawaii. That is our agenda for tonight. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to connect on Mr. Dr. Batman. We had a little bit of a hard time getting Skype to be compatible here, but we've managed it. So hopefully he will get on here. I'm glad I... For once, I did work before the show and actually worked this out. Otherwise, it would have been a disaster. But Mr. Dr. Batman, hello. Hey, how's it going, Todd? 
Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Thank you for coming on. And uh, we're not going to get to your topic first. It'll be second. So you're going to have to endure my talking about uh, being invited to a commerce party. I was uh, recently at commerce. Quite enjoyed it. Now, you're not from this area, right? No, no. I'm from Houston. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I've been to commerce a million times being someone who's from L.A. But yeah, it was your first time there? It was. I absolutely loved it. I did not expect the poker room to be as large as it was. Uh, I've been to several of the casinos in L.A., and I walked in the door expecting there to be four or five tables, and you know what it is. It was at least 50, 60, 70 tables. Yeah, well, if you think it's big now, if you think it's big now, you should have seen it back during the poker boom when all the rooms were filled up with poker. There was a small Asian game section, but for the most part, it was poker in the two very large rooms there, and that and they were just always filled too. So it's it's small now compared to what it used to be, but it is still very large on an absolute scale. So yeah, I, I can understand you noticing that being from out of the area. The bike is pretty large too. The, the commerce and the bike are two very large rooms. Uh, have you been to the bike? I before? haven't. Uh, I haven't made my way over to the bike just yet. Yeah, well, they're pretty similar in the. Commerce is a little bit bigger. The bike is about five miles away from Commerce, so sometimes I will just drive down to the area, and whichever one has a game going that I like is what I'll go to. So anyway, I was invited to a party at Commerce to kick off the L.A. Poker Classic, which has been running for many years. And this is the first time I've ever been invited to a party at Commerce and I don't even know how long this party has been going. I don't know if they had one last year, the year before, the year before that. I don't know if this is the first time they're doing it or what. I just know this is the first time I was invited. And it's interesting because in the 2000s, when I was a more notable player, and when people also knew me from the Neverwin Poker forums, and a lot more people knew who I was back then. So I was invited to a lot of these poker parties that went on Mostly during the World Series, but sometimes not even during the World Series. But pretty often, if a big poker party was happening that was invite only, I would get an invite in some way. And it was nice. I enjoyed them. And then when the big money that was coming from online poker dried up, I'm talking about the online poker sites themselves that were making so much money they could just spend it at alarming rates and they'd put on these huge expensive parties. When that dried up after the 2011 Black Friday bus, so did the parties. The parties just went away. So, okay. It was fun while it lasted. Well, they started to slowly come back in the mid to late 2010s, and I noticed something. I wasn't getting invited anymore. And, you know, that's fine. I'm not going to blame it on one person or another because these are put on by different entities. What happened was during that time, I guess people at that point didn't know me as well, and I wasn't as notable to people when they were thinking of who to invite, and I was just forgotten and not invited. I was not insulted. I understand that's the way it works, but uh, I just assumed that was the end for me in the parties. So I was a little bit surprised during the World Series of Poker when I got an invite to the GG Poker World Series of Poker party. And at first I thought maybe it's a mistake or maybe it was just something they fired out to everybody, but no, it was specifically to me, this invite, and uh, it was a relatively small guest list. I mean, when I say relatively small, it was probably fewer than uh, 200 people invited to it overall, maybe uh, even less than 150. So it wasn't a tiny party, but it wasn't like there were thousands of people there. So I thought, okay, that's cool, especially because I had no 
association at all with GG Poker. And in fact, on this show, I would sometimes criticize them. So I was definitely no GG Poker ass kisser, nor did I even have an account there. So I didn't understand why they invited me, and I, I still don't exactly know why. I, they must have just uh, decided, again, I was notable enough. And then now I received an invite to this commerce party. So on December 21st, I got a Twitter DM from the Commerce Casino's Twitter account, and it was inviting me to a party on January 12th. So plenty of notice, more than three weeks' notice, but I clicked on it, and I thought maybe it was just something they're inviting everybody to or just something that's open for anyone to walk into and they're just notifying me. But no, it was actually an invite where I was selected among, again, fewer than 200 people to come to this party. I even asked out of curiosity why they invited me, and I I got kind of like a joke answer. So clearly the person didn't want to tell me specifically what the criteria was, and I dropped it. I wasn't going to press them. You must tell me why I was invited. Tell me now or I'm not coming. Like I, I wasn't going to do that. So that's I, a really good way not to get invited back. Yes. <laughs> I was afraid they would send my invitation if I kept uh, pressing this. So I said, okay, yes, I'm coming. I could have brought someone, in fact, but I, I just went by myself. And uh, it was at a crappy time for me because it was at technically 5 o'clock, but really you had to be there by 7. That was really when the action started. And that's a crappy time to drive on a weekday in L.A. Really crappy. And so I hit pretty bad traffic and I was even considering maybe not going just because of the traffic but I braved it I spent time in traffic I I know some little ways around the traffic which works sometimes but that only gets you so far but I I used all my little tricks and and I got there because I, I don't live close to commerce so I had to make my way through Southern California traffic during rush hour I did get there and uh what this party included were hors d'oeuvres from 5 to 7. I didn't really care about those, or 5 to 6 maybe, but they had a free-roll tournament, which wasn't a very big free-roll tournament. It was a 15K prize pool for like what was estimated to be like 100 or a little bit more than 100 entrants, and a buffet dinner, which I wasn't sure if it was going to be good, decent, or crappy. So anyway, I went and uh, got there just before the tournament was starting at 7, the registration supposedly closed at 7. I walked in there like 6.55. So if the traffic was a little bit worse, I may have missed it. But it did start late, so maybe I would have gotten in. But I did. I registered for the tournament. I had the uh, buffet dinner, which was actually decent. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. Like they, they had a guy cutting prime rib there, which was pretty good. They had uh, sand bass that you could get out of one of the trays, and that was decent. They had uh, some, I didn't love the side dishes. There was a lot of type of stuff I just didn't like, but can't blame them for that. And they had rolls. It was a decent buffet. It wasn't like a huge buffet, but it was, it wasn't like a really, really crappy buffet that you're just forcing down because it's free. And it wasn't something like wonderful that I say, oh, wow, that's a memorable meal. But as far as buffets go, it was fine. It was, it was a decent buffet. And I went back and got more prime ribs. So obviously I enjoyed it. And the free roll, obviously, uh, it's not going to be big money. The, Min cash there was uh, three hundred sixty dollars. The top price was forty two hundred. So this isn't something I would have driven in for. It's just not worth my time to drive all the way there for a, something as small as that. But since it was part of the whole package, uh, yeah, I played that too. I got to about like twenty ninth, I think, out of ninety eight entrants. They paid thirteen. So whatever. I, I wasn't 
super far from caching, but I wasn't all that close. I was uh, moved between three different tables. The first table I was at, I didn't know anybody. There was a guy to my left who sat, who came a little bit late, but sat down uh, after we'd been playing for some time, and he knew who I was from the distant past. Like we're going way back to like the two thousands on Everyone Poker. And uh, the funny thing was, it had been so long since he was aware of me that he thought I didn't play No Limit Hold'em. Now, I don't play very much No Limit Hold'em cash, but he thought I'd like, just never play it. And I was like, look, I've got an 88th in the World Series of Poker main event. I've got an 128th in the World Series of Poker main event. I've gotten fourth in a No Limit Hold'em event at the World Series. So, like, I, I can obviously play No Limit Hold'em. I'm not some No Limit Hold'em noob here, but he, he thought I was. Not, not from how he was watching me play. He'd been there for like three minutes when he asked that. But he was taking kind of the line of he's he's just like a higher limit player, so he's going to play super wild because it's a free roll with a very fast structure. And he was to my direct left, which wasn't great. But I, I was willing to just get it in with any like pair that I'd flop against him. But uh, we ended up never really getting it in because just every time we saw a flop, one of us just com- completely missed it. But, and eventually the table broke, and I got moved to a table with a notable player there, and that was one Robbie Jade Lou. That was the first time oh, I had ever, I'd ever met her. Now, have you met her before? I have not met her, but we've spoken. Okay. Yeah, I'd messaged her before on Twitter, but it had been a while. We weren't uh, in any kind of regular communication, and I wasn't even sure if she remembered who I was. Uh, she didn't recognize me by face. Once uh, I said my name, she knew who I was. And strangely enough, she knew me by name. And she was following me before this whole Jack Forehand took place. So I don't know what she followed me for back then, but she she followed me for some reason before, before all this stuff. But funny enough, she was not aware of Poker Fraud Alert. She had never heard of Poker Fraud Alert before, but she had heard of me. Then she asked if we talked about her on this show. And I said, yeah, we've talked about you a lot. And I, I told her briefly what I thought of the whole thing. It's still a hot topic. Like, I'm sure the the table is bumping with it as well. Well, somewhat. So when I, I didn't say anything to her at first, and then she, shortly after I sat down, I, when I was the big blind, she raised and it folded to me, and I had 9-10 offsuit. And before I called, I said, you've probably heard this a million times before, but do you have Jack 4 right now? And uh, <laughs> so that, that started up the whole conversation there. So then this guy next to me, some old guy who was sitting to my left, says, I got to ask you this now. Why did you give Garrett back that money? Like, why would you have ever done that? Can you tell us why you gave Garrett back that money? So she, she was trying to explain it, saying that he didn't seem to give her much of an option, and it was just very intimidating and very scary, which, as I've said on this show before when we've had our long discussions, I, I don't believe that was really what it was. I think she wanted to come back to the show and felt that Garrett was going to do what uh, Eric Person did to our friend Batman here and, and boot her off if she doesn't. I, I think that's, I think she felt that she could make money on that show and that she, it was worth it to her to give that 135 back rather than uh, have Garrett have her booted. That's just my theory. She's never said that, but that that's what I think is the truth behind why she get, gave it back. And, well, I mean, if you want to dive into that rabbit hole, sir, we can dive into that rabbit hole. I'm full of opinions. <laughs> I guess I guess we can ask you at some point before you get off here. I, I don't want to get into that right now, but uh, we, we we spent so long on this show at the time, I got sick of it after a while. But anyway, uh, after that, the talk about her and the Jack Forehand died down, and it was just more 
regular talk at the table. And I, I've gotten two, two questions from a lot of people that once I told them that I was at the table with her. Number one, what does she look like in person compared to the pictures or compared to the videos? And number two, what was she like in person? What was her personality like? So I will tell you that looks-wise, very similar to what you see on these Hustler Casino streams when she was on there. It's very similar. And whatever you might think of Robbie's looks, uh, you'll think the same thing in person. So not a lot of difference there. I know there's some people you see them in person and they look different than they do on the stream or in pictures, but she wasn't one of them. She looked just like it. She was dressed up a lot. She's, she's always, she always has like a high-maintenance look to her, but that's what she always does. So anyway, uh, she was pleasant. I mean, she wasn't an unpleasant or bad or annoying person at the table. So I'll say that. Now, I think she's more conscious now to try to be a pleasant person at the table because she's been trying to parlay this notoriety she got back in September into poker fame. She likes being a notable poker player. She likes everyone knowing who she is. So this is not something that was traumatizing to her. It may have been at the very, very beginning, but uh, she has since made very sweet lemonade out of those lemons. So she's very, very happy to have people notice her, to have people people treat her like a poker celebrity. And uh, so for that reason, she probably takes more care now than she used to to be pleasant at the table and not piss anybody off so she doesn't ruin that. And that, that was kind of the impression I was getting. But she was uh, friendly to everybody there, including me. Um, we didn't talk a whole lot until kind of near the end before I got moved off the table. The funny thing was the table didn't break. They actually just picked me up and moved me from the big blind. So I would have preferred to stay at that table because it was more interesting. Uh, the table I was at with her had some people I recognized. So I didn't know anybody at that first table. The second table, there was, I, she was there, and then uh, Wayne Chang from Live of the Bike was moved over there. And that was the first time I've met him in person. And then there were some other people there who I didn't recognize, but apparently uh, some people knew. Like there was a woman there who was playing, who I guess is some kind of streamer or, or vlogger or something. I don't know. But be, some people knew her. She was not all that young, but she was apparently known by some people. And it was a talkative table. Then I got picked up and moved to a third table. And this is where I busted. And I wasn't there that long for that reason. And that one I got to be with Tiffany Michelle. Now, Tiffany Michelle, do you know who that is, uh, Batman? I do not know. Okay, yeah. So she goes back a ways. She goes back to the 2000s. And she was a former actress who became... She attempted to become a professional poker player, but she was more kind of uh, on the fringes of just the poker community and eventually found her way into uh, poker media, doing interviews, stuff like that. She described herself as a professional poker player, but for a while I hadn't seen any evidence that she was actually playing, or if she was, it wasn't very high. And she she was pretty young at the time. I think she was like mid-20s then. And she was an attractive girl, and she had... uh, been in some TV shows and, and other stuff like that. Never huge roles. She kind of get got like bit roles here and there. And she was one of these people who tried to make it any way they could in Hollywood. And she just never quite got there. I think she just didn't have quite enough in any one 
category to really break out, which it's very hard to do. It is very, very hard to be successful in that world. But, you know, she tried to be a singer, and, uh, you know, she sang okay, but her voice wasn't anything special. And she tried to be an actress. Well, okay, she could act well enough, but again, it's very hard to make it in that world and get noticed. And as far as her looks, she was pretty, but she wasn't, like, gorgeous to where that's going to get her noticed. So it was one of these things she was kind of, like, always on the fringes and just uh, barely getting by with all that. So she decided to get into poker, I think, because poker was mostly male and still is, and being a attractive girl in your mid-20s, you'll get noticed, and, and she did. But again, she wasn't doing much playing, and what happened was uh, in 2008, she got bought into the World Series of Poker main event by Tony G, who uh, owned Poker News, and she was working for Poker News at the time as a reporter and commentator, and also by, I think Jeff Lissandro put some in too, and he was friends with Tony G. So they bought her in. I, I don't know what deal she had. I don't know what percentage she had of herself, maybe even 100%. I, th- I think she actually did have 100%. I think they uh, did it as a favor to her just to be nice. Anyway, she got very deep somehow. Uh, her play was uh, not always that great, but she was getting lucky, and when she made moves, they worked out. And she was very aggressive when she got a stack, and it, she was just fortunate enough never to run into a big hand. So her aggression mm-hmm. was working because people just didn't want to risk their stacks in the main event, and they just never happened to have something very good to call her with, so she was building her stack more and more. Uh, She actually got all the way to 17th place. So she had a very, very good finish there, especially for someone who seemed pretty much like an amateur to me uh, at poker in the 08 main event, and it was a very big field. So she finished 17th, and that really catapulted her to some uh, poker notoriety, as you might guess. Now, there were some clips of her on ESPN where she was being kind of rude, but... You know how it is on ESPN. They they, they edit those to make people uh, either heroes or villains. So you always have to take that with a grain of salt. So anyway, she uh, she was known, and she was starting to appear in all these things. Uh, they, they'd have her on the CNN segments to talk about things with poker, even if she had no idea what she was talking about. Like It was funny when they, they'd always bring her on as some kind of poker expert. And I, I have to assume her agent was getting her those little uh, appearances. But then she kind of uh, faded away. I think she was on Survivor with uh, Maria Ho at one point. So she she did make the most of the fame she got from that World Series appearance. I hadn't really seen much of her in uh, several years. In fact, I believe my uh, being at the table with her was the first time I've ever played poker with her. And I think it's the first time I've seen her in person at all in something like 13, 14 years. So I will say that she looked good for her age. She was, she's like 42, 43 now. And so she looked, uh, she was very dressed up too, but, but she looked good for her age. You know, she didn't look significantly different from when she was young. She looked older, obviously, but she, she's kept herself up well. And uh, she said hello to me. We didn't really talk very much. And I wasn't at the table very long because I, uh, I busted. And, uh, and that was that. So once I busted, I left and I went down to play cash and uh, I actually ended up, uh, in like 15 minutes winning more playing cash than I would have with first prize from that free roll, which is kind of funny. I, I chunked some of it back off, but I still had a winning session. So I still, I think I beat second place money with what I ended up winning. So I was probably good, better that I busted from the free roll rather than you know, grind it to a min cash or something, which I wasn't going for. I wasn't going for the 360 bucks. But anyway, why was I invited? What what was the, the game changer here that would have made me get invited? Because they wouldn't tell me. So what was the real reason? 
And what was this party? You may be even wondering, why did they hold this and who was invited and why would Robbie J. Lou be invited and who else was invited and why? And who wasn't and why weren't they? Well, I don't have all the answers here, but somebody on Poker Fraud Alert on the forum posted some things that gave me a little more clarity and made me realize what was going on here. Well, while you're looking that up, I decided to Google how many professional poker players have appeared on Survivor, and the answer is six. Wow. I didn't know six. I know some of them. So I, uh, let me see if I can get them all here. You know what? I don't think Tiffany was on this. She was actually on I, – I correct myself here. She was on The Amazing Race, I believe. I don't think she was on Survivor. So as far as Survivor, I know Garrett was on there and uh, Jean-Robert Jean Garrett Adelstein is definitely yeah. number one. Yeah, then, then Jean-Robert Belland and Ronnie Barda. Yeah. The other three, I don't know. The other two aren't, aren't really that big. Um, Anna Kate. Oh, Anna Kate. Yeah, she's been on this show. I can't believe I forgot that. Yeah. Uh, and then Ronnie Barda. Yeah, I mentioned him. Uh, and then Jennifer Stutland. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> no idea who Jennifer yeah, Stutland is. They're, 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 you know, they, they've got a hig, so technically they, they, they claim themselves to be uh, professionals. But uh, apparently I need to get on Survivor if it's even still going. Is it still going? I don't know. I don't watch that sort of thing. Uh, interesting. Anyway, uh, I got to the uh, post I wanted to read to you guys. So here it is. Joe D., who I believe is from the L.A. area, he said that they were billing this party as the 30th anniversary party. And that surprised me when they claimed this was the 30th anniversary party because I wasn't aware this had been going for 30 years. And I guess maybe it was in some way. I just don't remember it being called the L.A. Poker Classic for that long. Anyway, uh, he mentioned that it used to be a World Poker Tour event, and that apparently it isn't anymore. And some of you probably remember that uh, Matt Savage was once the tournament director there, and he is, he is no longer, which is true. Matt even listens to this show, so I'm not sure why he's no longer the tournament director, but he's now uh, elsewhere. I guess uh, they were trying, in this case, to do an influencer event. And this is what Joe found that they tweeted on November 30th. ISO Poker Influencers, and by the way, I didn't see this until Joe posted it after the event, were cooking up something special for the LAPC and looking for poker influencers and content creators and celebrities that like to play poker. Tag your favorite accounts, or if this is you, say hi in the comments. So I did not see this at the time, so I didn't say hi in the comments. I did not get tagged because I would have seen that if somebody tagged me. So I wasn't anything part of this thread, but it is interesting that on November 30th, they were trying to get a bunch of celebrities, influencers, and content creators to come for this party that they hadn't announced yet. Now, I think these celebrities would have been disappointed with a 15K free roll, but nevertheless, uh, that's what they were trying to cook up there. And I guess they were not getting the response they were hoping for. So three weeks later, on December 21st, exactly three weeks later, I got the invite. So this is well in advance of the event on January 12th, but also three weeks after their Attention Poker Influencers Twitter post. So it looks like that when they didn't get the type of response that they wanted and they didn't get as many influencers or celebrities, in fact, I didn't see any celebrities there and I didn't really see uh, any influencers there. So I, I think that they just didn't get 
much response at all. And they're like, okay, well, crap, we still want to put this on. So I guess we have to come to them. So they were started firing out invites to anyone that was in L.A. who they thought kind of, sort of had some kind of poker social media following. So in a way, I was like the plain girl who gets invited to the prom when the pretty ones aren't interested. But that's Definitely fine. Definitely sounds like a plan B. Yeah, I mean, that's fine, though. I'll, I'll be a plan B. I like, uh, as long as I got invited. It's better than not being a plan at all. So anyway, I, I was one of the plan B invites, apparently. Not last minute, but nevertheless, the plan B invite. I did notice a few regular commerce players that I play with, and these guys are not social media guys. They, I don't even think they have Twitter accounts. They're all over 50, and i never seen them on Twitter. I believe they probably got an invite because they're there like every day, because every time I come, they're there. So I have to assume they're there every day. So they probably got to know someone who got them an invite. And speaking of age, just about nobody there was under 40 which is par for the course in live poker these days, but uh, not exactly the demographic they want if they're looking for an influencers event. But obviously this party uh, had some kind of utility where they were trying to appeal to influencers or to people who will get the word out about the LAPC, and it just didn't turn out like they were hoping because the people who came there just kind of showed up, ate the food, played the free roll, and didn't talk about it. They even said, oh, you can take pictures, you can take video. They're trying to encourage you to put it out there. But you know, what are people going to say? Okay, I'm at Commerce and I'm eating a buffet and playing a 15K free roll. Like, <laughs> you know, it's not that exciting. It's, it's nice to be invited, but it's not something super exciting. So Commerce is notoriously cheap. So I knew if they were putting up 15K of their own money for this free roll that they had to feel they were getting something out of it. So I don't know if this will happen next year, but... It, Interesting, I was I bridged myself back into the status where I'm notable enough to be invited to some of these parties. And that's nice to see because, yeah, I like going to them. It's uh, It can be interesting. And sometimes I new, meet new people I hadn't met before, like uh, in this case, Robbie Jade Lou. I never met her. And not only did I meet her, she was at my table. So that was kind of interesting. And before I move on and we talk about uh, Batman himself and the issue that occurred with him on Hustler Casino Live. Robbie did mention that she was having some trouble with ACR. And this came up when two of the females of the table were having this whole discussion about how they think ACR is rigged, which I don't agree. I don't think ACR is rigged. And I don't play on there. I just don't think they're rigging it, especially at the, the tournaments. I, I just, is it possible it's rigged? Yeah, it's, you don't know because it's not regulated. But I don't think it's rigged. I think it's got a lot of bots on there. I think they've got issues there. I just don't think it's rigged. But anyway, they were sure it was rigged, and I, I didn't want to get involved in that conversation. But I did mention, after a bunch of people at the table started talking about how terrible ACR is, I did mention to them that there was a scandal they probably don't know about from April. And that scandal involved people just found money gone from their accounts and found that a withdrawal was made out of their account that wasn't by them to some strange Bitcoin wallet that wasn't theirs, and they never got notified by email about these withdrawals. So they didn't even know what happened until they went online to see it. And I did a big investigation on this, and I figured out that this was a combination of insiders doing it and also a bought list of emails and passwords from hacks of other sites. So I don't believe this was done by upper management there, but I think some shady employees there who had some access then bought a list of emails and passwords 
and attached to names and then matched those names with people that they saw were winning and playing a lot on the site that probably had money on there. And then they tried those email password combos. And if they worked, then all they needed to do was withdraw. And that's where they used their insider access to perform these withdrawals without any kind of checks occurring and without the usual notification email going out to the person whose account it was. So that's what was really going on. I did a whole report on this and ACR eventually closed that hole after I made a big deal about it. The people who were doing it were smart enough to do it to low profile players that didn't have any kind of following. So they weren't picking the big time players on there because uh, then they would have made a huge stink out of it and the jig would be up. But these were people who nobody was listening to. So I listened to them and I made a big deal out of it and ACR eventually had to acknowledge it and they put a stop to it. They never admitted insiders were involved as well, but it looks to me like they were. I can't be 100% sure, but it looks to me like they were and I explained the whole thing at the time. Anyway, the reason I'm telling you this whole story right now, again, is because Robbie claimed that money disappeared out of her account in April. And I said, oh, well... That matches exactly what was happening in April. And remember, nobody knew who Robbie J. Lou was in April 2022. So it would make sense that she would be among those targeted because she said that she had just won something and nobody knew who she was. So she fit all the criteria that they were looking for to victimize people. So she said she's been getting Jeff Boski trying to help her because he is some kind of site pro on there or something related to them where he's on their payroll, but they're not even listening to him and nobody's helping and they're all ignoring her. And I said, well, I dealt with this already. It didn't happen to me, but I helped a lot of people get their money back. So if you'd like, send me the correspondences you've been having and I'll take a look and, and maybe I can help you get the money back. So she said, okay. So I sent her a message on Twitter to, to say, okay, you know, send it to me here. And then she never did. So, so well, I'm not going to chase after her. <laughs> you know, like, I, I think she probably is telling the truth that she lost money there. And she very well may have been one of these people victimized. But I don't know why she didn't respond. But I'm not going to chase after her. I'm not going to say, Robbie, remember that 8K? I, I want to help you, Robbie. Come on, let me help you. I'm like, no. If she, I put it out there. And she even said, I'll send it to, I'll send you the, the correspondences and all the back and forth. And I said, okay, do it. She hasn't, so if she does, she does. If she doesn't, she doesn't. But you know, I'll, I'll help anybody who's in this sort of situation. And the people I helped when it happened back in April, they were the opposite of Robbie. Nobody knew who they were, and nobody paid attention to them. So I, I wasn't helping these people to get uh, kind of kudos or uh, to increase my status in poker. I was just trying to help the people. So anyway, uh, I don't know if that's going to happen because she just doesn't seem to be sending me anything. But if she does, I will definitely uh, raise the issue with ACR if I feel it was the same problem, which I think there's a good chance it was because she told me April 1st before I mentioned it was in April. So that did make me think that she probably was part of the whole same thing. They refunded most of the people, but I think those that took a little while to complain about it, they weren't refunding. So anyone who complained after I made the huge deal they gave them the money back, but then after some time passed, then it seemed like they changed their tune. Because one other person told me they were not getting refunded when they came to them about like a, one or two months later about something that had happened in March. And even though it was obviously it was the same thing, ACR wouldn't help them. I told Robbie, this is where you use your notoriety for something good. This, this is where you can use your own amplified voice 
to make them pay you. Don't count on Jeff Boski. I mean, just just put it out yourself. Say, hey, ACR ripped me off back in April and they won't pay me. Like, why not just do that? And I, I don't know why she doesn't because that's one advantage you get when you have a big following is that you can browbeat these companies into doing the right thing. So that was my experience at the commerce party. If I get invited next year, will I go? Yeah, probably. So anyone listening who is considering inviting me to parties, uh, feel free to, and I'll appreciate it. And I can't guarantee I'll come, but I'll make my best effort to do so if it uh, fits into my schedule. And I know Matt Savage listens. I know they had a party for uh, WPT win, and I was not in Vegas, nor was I invited. But uh, actually, I think that one you had to... uh, meet certain criteria, but I'm telling you, if I was in Vegas, I would have said to Matt Savage, you get all these hours of free entertainment from the show every week. I want to be in that party. I, I, I heard that was a very good party, too, but I, I wasn't in Vegas for it, so I did not even uh, consider it. But I may, I may come play wanna, that. Do you want to make some suggestions on side dishes so that you can have a better buffet experience? Yes, yes. Uh, thank you. That's a good point. I do want to. Something I hate that buffets do is when they don't have that many choices and then the choices that they pick are ones that only appeal to a niche crowd. So you you don't want to have, if you've only got like uh, seven things to choose from, you don't want any of these seven things to be unappealing to most people. You want very basic food that most people are going to like. It's kind of like the pizza equivalent of if you're going to order pizza for a group, you don't order most of them being the works and pineapple and a bunch of other things that people typically don't want. You don't order an anchovy pizza because no one's going to touch that. You you order just the very basics. You order a, a cheese pizzas. You order pepperoni pizzas. Maybe if you have a whole lot of pizzas you're ordering, then maybe a small percentage can be some of these more exotic pizzas. But when you have something for a large group, you have to always think about what will most people like? Not what do I like personally, not what does my friend like personally, not what you wish people would like, but what the average person likes and what's going to capture the greatest percentage of people who are going to be at the buffet. So they didn't exactly do that. That was the one flaw with this buffet is they, uh, the side dishes. I don't remember what they were. It's like every single one of them not only wasn't appealing to me, it just seemed kind of uh, something that most people were going to want. And, and I looked and people didn't really have many of the sides there on their plate. The only side I had was a, uh, a potato, a twice baked potato. So that's fine. That's, that's, so it has like some cheese on top and something else. And I, I don't like cheese on top of my potato, but I just took it off. So that was fine. But all the, the vegetables they, they had uh, prepared in a kind of strange way. And these are the type of things where if it was a buffet with 100 items, it's fine. But not when it's a buffet with like seven or eight items. So I would say with these type of things, you just, just have things that are fairly common. They don't have to be bland, but at least... Uh, Nothing that is too exotic or prepared in an unusual way or with an unusual sauce that people would have to have a taste for. You, you don't do that. You do things, if you want a sauce, make it a very basic sauce. Like uh, with, with green beans, you, you can make green, this didn't have green beans. They should have had green beans, but uh, you could have green beans there either that are just steamed with no sauce or or with some kind of uh, uh, brown sauce that most people would like or something that's just kind of very basic that, you're not going to have many people going, oh, I hate that sauce. So that's what they really have to shoot for. 
this isn't just for my personal taste because I, I don't think these things should revolve around me. I just think they should revolve around capturing as many people who are there as possible that would want to get it. So I, I found that these sides were there were too many things there that I just felt most people were not going to like. But as as far as the main dishes went, that was fine because the the prime rib people always like at these buffets, and then they for people who don't eat red meat, they had the sand bass. The sand bass was a good choice because the sand bass is the type of fish which uh, is not one that many people would say, "Oh, I hate sand bass." That's like kind of everybody's like, "Oh yeah, sand bass." It's like usually not anyone's favorite fish, but they're they're willing to to have it. So overall, uh, I'm happy I was invited. Overall, I'm happy I went even with the traffic, and feel free to invite me again. And now we will move on to something that happened at Hustler Casino Live. That's why we have uh, Mr. Dr. Batman on the show. Batman, we haven't talked much about you yet, so now I want to get more into you and less about me. First of all, why do you call yourself Mr. Dr. Batman? Why is it Mr. and Dr.? Uh, That comes from a very crazed individual, uh, so I'm a, I'm a healthcare professional and I do uh, medical for art and music festivals. And I was working a music festival as a medical lead when we had this guy who hitchhiked from out of state to stalk his ex-girlfriend. And I don't know exactly how he ended up in our medical tent, but they called me to come basically wait with this guy because all the people that were in there were, were female and I'm a very tall individual. So they just wanted someone else there. Well, part of this art festival was there was a, a, a group of people that were just handing out clothes. Like there were racks and racks and racks of clothes. And I just so happened to be wearing a Batman onesie and a lab coat. So when I get in there, this guy who knows he's about to be arrested keeps asking for my name and he keeps asking and he keeps asking and it's just going in one ear and out the other as far as I'm concerned. But as we're getting closer to the end of our time together, uh, he goes, well, uh, well, Mr. Dr. Batman. And again, I'm not paying any attention at this point. So Cops get there. I walk him out. He gets arrested. I walk back in to the medical tent and this is a room full of my peers. And they said, great job, Mr. Dr. Batman. And it just never left. I see. Okay. Well, so somebody else gave the nickname to you. You didn't call yourself Mr. Doctor. Correct. And I love my friends and colleagues well enough to just keep it going. I, I, I think it's, it, it it's cute. It kind of, it rolls off the tongue after you say it one or two times and then just becomes a talking point. You know what's funny is I knew a guy many, many years ago who on AIM, the AOL Instant Messenger, called himself Mr. Dr. Mafia. And he wasn't Italian, by the way, but he called himself Mr. Dr. Mafia. It was a Jewish guy. And I, I thought the Mr. Doctor thing was funny. I never asked him why it was Mr. Doctor. But whenever I referred to him, when I talked to other people about him, I called him Mr. Doctor. And so you're the first Mr. Doctor that I've encountered since then. And it's probably been about 20 years. Well, okay. I'm glad that I could keep that going for you, buddy. Yes. I'm, I'll probably meet another one in uh, 2043. So <laughs> Mr. Doctor Batman has been appearing on Hustler Casino Live in these high limit games. When was the first time you appeared on there? Oh, man. Uh, a couple months ago, three or four months ago. 
Yeah, that's around the time I think I noticed you were there. And you, uh, what were the typical limits you were playing on there? Uh, started at 100, 200, and then we did a 200, 400 game. Okay. So that, those are pretty big games there, especially with the way some of these people play. So were you concerned at all about the swings? I mean, that's, that's really a lot of money to be risking to sit down no, and play. Um, I'm a very unique poker player in that I don't, I don't risk any of my personal money. Um, I'm not a professional poker player. I have no desires to be a professional poker player. So anything that I put on the poker table is something that I took off the poker player. So I literally will play typically the, the largest state game that I can with my current bankroll. And at the time I had been doing very, very well. So putting the hundred thousand dollars on the table really wasn't that much of an issue for me. So, so you take the approach that as long as you're up in poker, you're willing to gamble for big money. You, you just uh, don't want to risk anything that you've made outside of poker. Correct. Okay. See, that's a, see, I can't look at it that way because I'm a pro poker player. So whenever, like, I wouldn't sit in that game. That's too big of a game for me. So I, I would be afraid I would lose uh, the fortune there and then have a hard time uh, making it back uh, and then you know, if I chased it too much, I could, I could go bust. So I, I wouldn't play one like that. And I know some people, everybody has different uh, tolerance for that. And some people have different approaches. So yours is just since you, you have, uh, I guess, a, a real career going on outside of poker. So you just, uh, as long as you're up in poker, then you're, you're willing to just keep kicking it up and, and until then yeah, what would happen then if you, if you lost that money though? Yeah, it's it's purely for enjoyment. I don't I don't try and profit off of poker. I mean, obviously, I I have in the past, but it's mostly for fun, and that's why I bet and you know gamble the way that I do on streams. You know, a lot of those people do uh, that for financial gain. I, I I don't. I do it for fun. Like if I suck out on someone it's it's a great day um and if i lose 50k oh well you know i just have to grind the 10 25 games back at home for a little while until i build it back up yeah and how did you even get onto this show because i know you can't just walk in and say okay i want to be on hustler casino live so how did you get invited to appear on hustler casino live so i know poker bunny um, we met at the Bellagio, uh, quite a few years ago and I hate Hold'em. I am not a Hold'em player. I specialize in PLO. So we were playing PLO and we exchanged numbers somehow. I don't even remember now it's been so long. And she got invited to play at the lodge in Austin and they were looking for PLO players because they were going to try and facilitate a PLO stream. Well, they did one and it got terrible viewership. So they kind of canceled it, but they'd already kind of booked me out there. I already had a hotel and they said, Hey, just come play, hold them, you know, have fun. So I did. And I won. Uh, and then I went back to the lodge and I won again. And then I went back to the lodge and I won again. And then I got into a, a really big hand with Dylan where I called almost $20,000 pre-flop with 6-4 of diamonds versus ace-king suited, flopped two pair, jammed, Dylan called. We ran it twice, and it was a clean run out. It was my biggest hold'em win ever. It was close to $210,000. So 
after that happens, um, I got introduced to the hustler stream and originally I was going to play much, much smaller. I believe I was going to play their, their 10, 25 game. And then they got Patrick Antonius and Tom Dwan to come on. So they changed the game for the day that I was supposed to play to a much, much higher stake. Oh, wow. And to get to play with a legend like Patrick Antonius, I was like, yeah, sure. I don't care how much. All right, we'll figure it out. Um, but it was a, a big pain in the ass to figure out how to get that much money out there in such a short period of time. Yeah, a lot of people take that for granted, how hard it is to sometimes uh, get the money into these games, especially if you're from out of the area. So you, you can't just snap your fingers and do that. Uh, you can send a bank wire or whatever if you have to, is, but uh, th- these things can take time. So how much notice did you have to get the money over there? I think three days, maybe, um, which means I had one shot for the wire. And I also, I, I play on streams. I'm not a huge viewer of them. And so I didn't know exactly how big it was going to play. So I wired in like 130, and that was just not nearly enough for that game like just not nearly enough. And so all these people that play on these streams regularly, they have friends that are they're local that'll, you know, spot them until they can wire the money or whatever. And I didn't have any of that access. So if I busted out the first night that I played, like it was going to be a real short, sad trip for me. Luckily I did really well though. Yeah. It can be stressful to play that way when you know you can't reload and so it's not just a matter of uh, busting what's in front of you but knowing that you're out of the game and if if it's a good game you don't have the opportunity to make it back so i can understand how that's that's stressful i've sometimes been in that situation myself where i don't have uh, a way to rebuy if i'm at a particular game usually i do wherever i play but there have been times i haven't like one time on a cruise ship so anyway um i'm gonna actually before I, i play i was gonna play the hand with uh you and and Eric and we were going to comment on it the the one that really started off the the whole rivalry but uh, prior to that hand and when did that hand occur how long ago was that I don't know two months three months it okay. was it was the second time I'd ever been on Hustler okay and had you uh, met Eric prior to this uh, night when this happened nope didn't know who he was okay so I'm going to play you guys this hand which they called the hand of the night on this particular stream. And this was a 200, 400, 800 games, so very high stakes. They even call it super high stakes in the title of the stream. And this was a hand where Mr. Dr. Batman had uh, pocket queens and Eric Person had, had uh, ace 10. So let's uh, listen to this. And uh, I'm going to put this on so Mr. Dr. Batman can hear it too. And he can comment as well. Oh, it's ingrained in my brain. I don't need the commentary, <laughs> but go ahead. Well, I want you to be able to hear it as I'm playing it so you know where we are. So, here we go. There's Mr. Dr. Batman. He's got queens. Batman with two black queens. He raises. He has 310K in front of him. He's up over 200,000. Eric's got ace 10. Ace 10 offsuit for Eric. Ben with ace 5 suited. Just calls. Ben comes in with ace 5 of spades. And then Four-way action. Kennedy with King Jack off comes in. Okay, so this eight, is a very good ten, flop for uh, Eric. Top two for- Eric has flop top two. Ace, 10, 8. Mr. Dr. Batman's kind of in trouble here with the queens. Kennedy with King Jack's got a gut shot, and uh, Ben's got the ace of the weak kicker. Top pair for Ben. A gut shot for Kennedy. 
But as we can see, two of the queens are occupied. Pretty ambitious for Batman to bet here. So Batman has a 4% chance at this point to win. Eric, uh, 86%. And uh, actually, uh, Ben let his ace five go. Kennedy has the uh, gut shot draw, but two of his outs are gone. He doesn't know the outs are gone, of course, but it's only so much you can call there for a gut shot. But he does. And he Eric lets it go. So, so that goes into the turn now. So it's a bet and a call. Batman continuation bet it. And Eric is uh, slow playing it with the top two. By the way, I, I just to give a little commentary here, if I were Eric, I would not have flatted that with two people behind who've cold called because I'd be afraid you're giving them a, a cheap enough way in to catch a draw on you. This is ace ten eight with two hearts. A lot of possible draws so out there. Eric Eric is flat calling because he wants more people in the pot, but he is absolutely targeting me. Right. So, so long. He, he wants to keep me in the pot as much as possible because I did not know it at the time, but he already had a pretty big, uh, not like of me and my antics. So he knows that he's strong enough. He's basically fading a heart. And even if he, if the heart hits, he's known well enough for, for massive bluffs and, and massive hands that I'm pretty sure he would feel confident enough to still make it through a heart on the turn. So I don't think that he's worried about other people behind. When I let out, he knows that he's ahead of me. So he wants to try and keep my bluffs. And if he raised there, then I'm not staying in. And that's not what he wants. Yeah. Well, if, if he's looking to get you, I understand. I'm just saying that uh, with you, if he was just heads up with me and him, if, if in this position, if it was, if I were him and it was just heads up with me and you, uh, flatting makes a lot more sense. It's the uh, the two people behind with ace, 10, eight, two hearts. I just think he's in, inviting people to catch him too cheaply, who otherwise might fold. But okay, they, they folded anyway. They Neither of them hit the flop all that well, where uh, it was ace with a weak kicker and uh, a gut shot. So they both let it go. So he flatted. Let's wait for the turn here. Great fold there. Okay, so now he's got the boat on the turn. So now he obviously he's feeling great person. Eric now the full house. So 10 on the turn. So he, Batman's not drawing dead, but obviously Eric feeling very confident Batman's in trouble here. That's a really, really good fold by Ben. I mean, the guy is on mega tilt, right? And he just folds ace five like it's nothing. I don't know what Batman's doing here. I'm not going to lie. Batman, Batman bet is out. trying to bluff very, bet, very hard. Yeah, you, you bet. So Batman bet fifty k here. Now, so so you were trying to bluff. So you you thought that Eric just didn't hit this. So I put Eric on a very weak ace, maybe with the heart draw. Um, and there's we played before stream and we played after stream on the night before, and he was just very very aggressive in these types of situations. And when it got to showdown rarely did he have a very strong hand that's not to say that he didn't always have weak hands but it's just the way that he'd been betting into me specifically and i did feel like he was targeting me in this hand i put him on a weak ace so i felt like i still had an opportunity to get him off that ace okay so batman bet the 50k obviously eric's not going to go anywhere with the full house called him three spots then he bets the next player to act calls him and I, I, I just don't know what story he's trying to tell here. Eric's trying to put an act. You guys can't see it because it's audio. It's kind of funny that he's kind of like shaking his head a little bit and looking frustrated. 
which of course is a big act. Like, what does he think his opponent has? He reaches for a stack of chips call. and puts down a call. Right. Eric's just going to call here. Batman not drawing dead, by the way. There's one queen live. Queen on the river, and he wins a monster pot. This pot's got 152,000 in it. That is not a queen. Seven of hearts. The seven of hearts hits the river. So what were you thinking at that point uh, there when the now the heart draws, obviously, there as could be a straight draw? So what were you feeling at this point? So I felt like the heart was my best chance of getting a successful bluff through. And I did not do the math correct on the pot sizing. I, I was so intimidated in this hand because this is definitely the largest that I ever bought in for. And so I had very much tunnel vision. But I'm, I'm thinking that the heart is a good card for me to bluff on. Okay, so we're going to play how this goes out here. Obviously, Eric's going to win the hand, but let's listen. Now Batman slows down. So he checks. Batman checks, and uh, person's either thinking or pretending to think. The pot is already 152k. 130. And he puts that 130. So he's betting almost 130 pot. 130 into 150. There should be an insta fold. I don't know what you're beating. Jack nine got there. The Ten was already there. Batman was thinking what to do. So Batman, what were now you it's time to punt. Yeah, so, it's, so what were you thinking as this was <laughs> happening here? So again, I, I, I put him on a weak ace, and I, I, I just, I've seen him fold with almost zero fold equity before. So the, the exact hand that I'm thinking about is Eric flopped a set, and I flopped a straight, right? And I think at the time, I only had like 50K in front of me, and he made it. 25,000 on the turn I called the river was clean right straight was still good his set was no good he bet $25,000 I jammed and he just snap folded right so, so, so he had I a memory there another situation where he was just trying to to put that pressure on me because I'm the new person okay so you you thought this same pressure was coming here and, and that he also is someone who's willing to fold if you pressure back so so obviously yep. this is not going to happen here because he's got the boat, but let's hear. Something tells me he wants to call. Not quite. I know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just. It's just all in. Yeah, wow. Call. All in and a call. Give it. Here we go. Here's another tilt card. <laughs> okay. Now let's explain the tilt card. So immediately person says, give it. Here we go. And then he, he threw a card on top of your stack. Here's another tilt card. So what what is the tilt card? Okay, so there's a lot of misunderstanding about these cards. So what I do is before the stream starts, okay, before the cameras are on, before anyone is dealt a single hand, I explain in detail what these cards are. So imagine like a sympathy card for poker, right? So it's got something on the front that's usually, you know, uplifting and positive. And then on the inside of the card, it's a needle, right? Something to just kind of make you feel dumb, stupid, whatever. Um, and so before the stream, Eric said that he did not want a card. And so I was not going to give Eric a card. And before this hand, I don't know how far before it was, uh, Ben, who is on Eric's left, 
said that, yeah, the card's fine, right? And I gave him one, and Eric got incredibly upset that someone else got a card. So you brought all these and, tilt cards yourself, and you had them stacked up next to you, and uh, you were giving them to everybody but Eric? Yeah, well, Eric is the only person that said no, correct. And so, so, and you had given one out to Ben, and then Eric got mad that you gave one to Ben? Yes, and now, how did how did Eric have a tilt card? He had one that he uh, he said, "Here's your tilt card," and threw it on top of your stack to needle no, you. No, he grabbed it from from my stack. Oh, of cards I see. And put it it was, it okay, because you two were next to each other. So yeah, so I guess yeah. uh, he grabbed the tilt card that was already sitting in front of uh, Batman and threw it then on top of his stack. And said, "Here's your tilt card." So okay, so now did you two have? Uh, you said you two had words about the thing with Ben. What happened before that when you gave it to Ben? Uh, Eric was just talking under his breath and, you know, just being very disapproving of it. And I, I, I don't remember exactly what he said, but he was just very vocal about not liking the cards. Okay. So what it seems like here, and I know Ben was losing on this stream. And I, like, now that I play this again, I remember seeing this hand and I remember seeing you, uh, uh, shoot off the stack there with the Queens. And, uh, and then I remember there was some bad blood between you and Eric. I, I didn't realize that, uh, it was involving these tilt cards. I, I remember Ben was losing on this stream. So was, was Eric mad that Ben was losing and you gave him a tilt card anyway? I, I don't know if it had anything to do with him losing. The The way that he explained it to me was just that it was dumb, immature, and it had no place in poker. Just yeah. difference of opinion. Yeah. Well, you know, what people need to understand is that this Hustler Casino Live, the, the whole thing is presented there for drama. This isn't just a regular cash game that's running that happens to be streamed. This is one where they want people to argue. They want things to happen that are get get people talking. They, they like that's why they had Poker Bunny all those times because uh, she got people talking. So they try to put people on that they think will be found to be interesting or create controversy or whatever it might be. That's that's what they strive for there. So basically Batman brought these tilt cards there as a gimmick. And uh, I assume you wouldn't bring these tilt cards to a regular poker game. Oh no, absolutely. I would. Oh, you would. Uh, that's, that's, oh yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. All right. See that if, if someone brought the tilt cards to a regular poker game and handed them to me when I was losing, I, I would get pissed off too. If it was a streamed game, it'd be a different story for me because I would think, okay, this is a gimmick for uh, uh a televised or streamed right. game, and okay, fine. You know they're trying to be make something funny so the audience laughs. But anyway, Eric uh, apparently was not a fan of the tilt cards and got mad that you handed it to Ben. So you think he was already pissed at you, and that's why he oh, was. Yeah. Uh, that's why he was uh, mocking you when you lost this hand to him, throwing the tilt card on top, and also saying, uh, "Send it over here, ship it over here." It's like it's, that's another needling to, thing to say when someone loses a huge pot to you. If you're not trying well, to so, needle them, you just let them push it. But here, here he immediately jumped on it. Go, send it over here. Send it over here. And uh, here's your tilt card and slams it down on your uh, your stack. Yeah. So here's the purpose of the tilt cards. They're actually designed to not tilt people, right? So especially in these bigger games, like this was my first time on Hustler, but I had been on on many different YouTube streams, and I've I've I'd been playing in stakes where the buy-ins are 10, 20, $30,000, right? The problem that I found in a lot of those games is people get on tilt and then they just start dumping cash and then the whole game just goes off the rails. So 
my goal with the tilt cards one yes is production value right we whether people hate them or love them it creates engagement that's that's the production value the second piece is if you add a little bit of humor into those types of situations it tends to deflate that balloon a little bit and it actually tends to prevent people from going on tilt and dumping all of their cash and the game tends to last longer so these are actually uh, anti-tilt cards they're actually anti-tilt cards, yes. Okay, and you've used them before this uh, particular stream here, and they how were they received when you've used them before? This was the only time that I had ever received a negative reaction from them, and I, I gave them to a guy who lost a $75,000 pot, read the card, thought it was hilarious, and he actually went out and spent another $2,000 to frame it, and now it's in his study. Huh. So, okay, Eric Person didn't like the tilt cards, and he, he made it known, and then he threw it back on your stack here. So is this pretty much the flashpoint which uh, really established whatever the bad blood, the rivalry here on uh, Hustler Casino Live between you and him? This is the moment, yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's why I played it to you guys. But let's go to the present. So Hustler Casino Live is not a game where you can just get on a board and get in there. You have to be invited there by the owners of the game, which are Ryan and Nick. And they bring you into the game mainly based upon the value they think that you bring to the production, that whether people want to see you on there or not. And people who they feel bring more to the stream, whether just from their appearances there or because of who else they get to come there, uh, will have a stronger influence on who can get in and who can't. As I said earlier, I believe that the reason that Robbie Jade Lou gave that 135K back to Garrett was because she was afraid that Garrett was going to have her removed from the stream and that she could never play there again. And she had already won the first time she was there. I think she was overestimating her ability to continue winning there. And she thought that she could just show up on the stream, print money, and become poker famous. And this was about to derail the whole thing. So whether or not she was really cheating in that hand doesn't even matter that much as far as why she gave the money back. I don't think, uh, even if she was cheating, I don't think she would be giving it back out of guilt because uh, someone who's cheating is not going to have guilt. And if she wasn't cheating, the fact that she handed the money back doesn't necessarily mean that uh, she was guilty. I really think that cheating or not cheating, she handed it back because she felt, and probably correctly, that Garrett had a lot of influence to keep her off of the stream. So uh, that was my theory at the time, and I don't know for sure if Garrett uh, could have kept her off the stream, but I think he probably could have. But now we do get to see an example in this situation, which has nothing to do with Robbie, where someone who has influence with Hustler Casino Live did get someone kicked off of the stream. So here is uh, what happened this time. This, uh, wh- when did this occur? What day were you playing there where you got kicked off? Monday, Max Payne Monday. Max Payne Monday. And uh, can you describe Max Payne Monday for the listeners who don't know what that is? Max Payne Monday, is it's in the name. They encourage slow rolling. They encourage trash talking. Anything that you can to rile up players, they, they strongly encourage it. So this is where the tilt cards would definitely be appropriate, right? They have wanted me on Max Payne Monday for a while, and it just so happened to work out this Monday. Yeah, so obviously this is a gimmick. Obviously this is uh, 
game where you're encouraged to be rude to everybody and encouraged to get people riled up. And Mr. Dr. Batman here was on it. Eric Person was not on this episode of Max Payne Monday. Has he ever been on Max Payne Monday before, to your knowledge? No, there's zero chance. Okay, so you're saying this just isn't his thing. Batman was there, Eric wasn't, and Eric has been uh, on a downswing on Hustler Casino Live lately, and he has a very uh, aggressive and wild style, and he'll just... uh, He doesn't play very conservative, so these downswings are inevitable. If you play that way, you're going to go through a series of bad luck where you run into big hands and then you lose a lot of money. So he's been struggling on there recently. Eric Person is a businessman who owns a group of casinos, and the company that owns these casinos that he owns is called Maverick Gaming. He is, I believe, 47 years old. He was first kind of introduced to the poker world this is the first time i heard of him and most people heard of him was when he played a heads-up match on poker go against phil helmuth and not only did he beat helmuth but he was trash talking to helmuth the entire time in fact i covered it on this show and played clips of it there were differing opinions about eric's behavior some felt that he took it too far some thought he was too obnoxious but at the time when i played it on this show and gave my commentary My general belief was that Phil kind of deserved it because Phil has made a name for himself, not just in his uh, 16 bracelets that he's won, not just in his tournament success, but also in his obnoxious demeanor where he berates people and belittles their game. And he does this to both pros and recreational players. In fact, I've been with Phil Helmuth at the World Series of Poker when he's done this to both pro and recreational players. And many times when there's no camera on, many times in smaller events that are off to the side that nobody's even watching. So this isn't just an act for Phil. When he gets to the poker table, he just does it like reflex memory. He, he uh, now I've heard in person that if you hang around with Phil Helmuth, he doesn't act the same way. But at the table, he's gotten himself so conditioned to be rude and nasty to everybody when he takes beats that he just does it. He doesn't care who he's doing it to. He doesn't care if he's uh, giving a bad experience to recreational players. And I've seen some recreational players be like horrified that uh, a big star like Phil Helmuth is telling them how terrible they are and how can they do this? Why are you such a moron? And I'm just watching the look on their face and they, they're not having a good time with it. So I've seen Phil do it. I've even called Phil out when he's done it. I've talked trash to Phil at the table. Therefore, given that he's been doing this for over 30 years now, when he gets a taste of his own medicine from someone like Eric Person, fine. I'm not going to feel bad for Phil. And Phil was whining about it to the floor man. Oh, you got to put a stop to this. You got to give him penalties. And a lot of people were saying, hey, Phil, now you see how it feels. So, okay. I guess that was kind of a case of the bully getting bullied. And people had a hard time feeling bad for Phil there. And Eric, to many people, was kind of a hero. However, Let's look at the role that Eric Person took to become notable in poker. He took the role of a bully who was willing to bully another bully. And he did. And while some people like that, he still took on the brash, outspoken, I'm just going to talk shit if I feel like it sort of uh, demeanor at the table. I don't know if this is the way he is in real life, but that's what he does at the table. That's how... That's the image he has tried to present both in the stream with Helmuth and also 
on the Hustler Casino live and uh, bike streams that he's appeared on, that while he's not uh, directly going after people as much as like he was with Phil, uh, he still has kept that general demeanor. So, in my opinion, at that point, this makes Eric Person fair game, just like Phil Helmuth was. If you're going to be the brash, outspoken guy at the table, then people are going to talk trash back to you. People are going to say things back to you. And you, you have to be able to take it. Otherwise, don't act that way or don't appear on the stream. So much like I did not feel sorry for Phil Helmuth when Eric Person gave it to him, I don't feel sorry for Eric Person when people give a hard time to him. So anyway, uh, I'm going to play you a clip of Mr. Dr. Batman appearing on Max Payne Monday and he had brought a little prop with him to needle Eric Person, even though Eric Person was not present. So as I'm tipping the dealer, I need to tell y'all something. I don't know... You're very welcome. I don't know if uh, y'all follow my friend Eric Person very closely on social media, but here lately he's been on a bit of a downswing, okay? And he recently made a very large purchase. It was a very nice car. And he might need a little bit of help making those payments right now. So what I've done is I've got a tip jar for him. Okay? He's obtaining this for a Yeah, just make sure that every time you have a big hand, you know, you got to show some love to Eric's car fund, okay? I like it. So I just want a big pot. So here you go, Eric. I appreciate you, buddy. Hey, Eric, we love I thought that I thought that was kind of funny. So he he actually uh, premeditated this little needle and brought a tip jar for Eric, who was on a downswing at the time. Again, he wasn't there in this game, but he knew this was a streamed game, Batman. So he wanted everybody to see this that he brought this tip jar and that everybody could drop a chip in there when they win a pot to raise some money back for Eric because he's been losing and he just bought an expensive car. So of course this was a Absolutely. joke. Of course this is a joke, Eric person. Is, is a rich guy. He has this uh, Maverick gaming business that owns a bunch of casinos. Not a lot of these casinos are very small, so it's not like he owns uh, a bunch of casinos the way Caesars does. But still, um, he has a lot of money, Eric. He's been very successful, and he, he didn't really need tips to stay in action. This was a joke to make light of the fact that Eric had been losing recently and that yeah, he and Batman have had this ongoing feud here. And uh, so this was the little gimmick that he brought to needle Eric. Now, Eric felt that, uh, number one, he wasn't there, so he, he didn't like the fact that this was happening. Well, hold on, Todd. There's more to the story, sir. Yes. So Eric bought this car. I don't remember what kind of car it was. I'm not a car person. But he posted it on Instagram and Twitter and everywhere else and said that he bought it with my soul, right? He said bought this car with Batman soul. Right. So I am not a social media person. You can, you can tell, you know, you and I've been talking on Twitter or whatever. I, I just, I don't social media. I've started, but I am not a social media person. So all of a sudden I start having my friends be like, Hey dude, like Eric's talking shit about you on, on Twitter and Instagram. And I, I see this and I'm like, well, that's, that's kind of shitty. Right. So I don't have the social reach that he has to defend myself on those things. So I thought that Max Payne Monday would be a, a pretty fun way to follow the format of the show and still kind of get my my airtime back to defend that that little lick that he took at me. Okay, so he actually started with you here on social media when he was uh, 
basically saying he bought this car with, uh, he said, your soul, but he's kind of implying that he is buying it with money he won from you. Correct. Yeah. So, so okay, he's, he's starting it here. So that's why if you're going to post a needle like that on social media, like Eric Person did, I didn't even know about this part, but uh, if you're going to do that and then Batman comes back on the stream when Eric's not there and does a little gimmick back to him, that's fine. I mean, this, this is all part of uh, the two trolling one another. So that, that's why I was kind of surprised the way this all went down because it seemed like both of them were doing this and neither – Batman nor Eric really had the right to cry foul that one or the other was being mean, that they were both participating in the whole thing. So anyway, Eric did not like this at all. And I guess he uh, he tried to appear in the, the Hustler chat and complain about it and or, or to bash Batman back. And there was some chat mod there. Uh, Ryan Feldman claims it wasn't him. Ryan claims there's just some unknown mod that runs the chat. Uh, there's something called Super Chat on YouTube where you can pay to have your comment highlighted at the top. So Eric paid $100 to post some sort of uh, comment about Batman that was derogatory. And then the mod deleted it. And then he paid another $100 to put another one up and the mod deleted it again. And this really set Eric person off. Now, I will say the the mod should not have deleted it. I don't know why they did that. Uh, Eric got really mad at uh, Ryan Feldman over this, thinking that he did it, and he called Ryan and yelled at him. But he claims they've uh, they've gotten this handled. But then he was deciding that he has to get back at uh, Batman. And this really set him off. Like once the comments in the chat were deleted, this really really set him off. So he posted on Twitter, on his account, uh, I am Maverick888. That's Eric Person's Twitter account. I am Maverick888, exactly as it sounds. He wrote, Bye bye, Batman. Any venue that allows him on, I will never appear on. Hashtag Maverick Nation. Now, this is on January 9th, 2023. And you cannot find this anymore. It has been deleted, as has another video that he posted about the situation. I was fortunately able to reconstruct the audio of this. So I'm going to play it to you, even though it's no longer available. I'm going to play to you the audio of Eric Person's uh, video that he made there, along with that Bye Bye Batman, any venue that allows him on, I will never appear on. So this is the audio that is now deleted from Eric's Twitter that he posted on January 9th, that same night. Guys, right about now, you're realizing that Batman has been pulled from the lineup. He won't be appearing on Hustler again. And any venue who allows him to play, you'll never see me on there. Bye-bye, Batman. Look, guys, it's 2023. It's Maverick Nation. We're taking no fucking prisoners. Hasta la vista, Batman. Yeah, so the the audio wasn't as good as it was when it was first posted, because, again, I had to reconstruct this from a deleted tweet. But you you get the point. That was really him. That was the exact uh, audio that he had posted. Now, what is he talking about with uh, Batman being gone? Well, apparently he called Ryan and Nick and said that he wants Batman not only not invited back to the show in the future, that he wanted Batman immediately pulled from the stream right now, or he's never going to come back, and 
he will get others that he got on the stream that are popular, such as this uh, Keating guy, that they won't come back either. So he threw down the gauntlet. He said, get Batman off and get him off now, or there's going to be consequences to who's going to appear on your stream. That he's not going to appear, Eric, and that anyone he can influence not to appear, that he helped bring onto the stream, that they won't appear either. So, Nick and Ryan had to quickly make a decision. And I wonder if this exact same demand would have been made by Garrett if that whole thing with her giving the money back didn't happen. But we'll never know with that. But we do know here that, yes, the demand was made from Eric. And there's no doubt about this. Eric has since admitted that he did make this demand to have Batman removed immediately. So, Batman, when you were removed, what did they say to you when you were just booted in the middle of the game? So, Ryan pulled me off stream and basically explained the situation and said that he just didn't know what to do. And, you know, I I understand the impossible situation that it put him in. When you build these games, you need a person to build the game around. And typically that person is not a winning player. They're very action. They, They bring something to the game that draws in money. Right. And Eric is a person that draws other players in. And so for them to lose Eric, plus the connections that he has to other players, I mean, I am nowhere close to that, not even close. And so they're, they're basically just going to keep trying to talk to him to try and resolve the situation. But until then they were going to pull me off stream. Yeah. And they did. So they, removed you from the stream and and you were also told you probably can't come back right uh, no they never said that the the goal was always to try and get me back on um <clears throat> people that react this way to these types of situations all they really want is to be made to feel special and so the simple act of them doing what he wanted would probably have solved the situation and then they could find a a future resolution um, so there, there was always the, Hey, we're going to find a way to make it work, but whether that was actually going to happen or not was in the air. Yeah. So Batman was definitely removed that night. And, uh, Eric wrote on his Twitter that he's, uh, at the very least not going to appear on Hustler Casino live ever again, if, uh, they allow Batman on. So he wasn't even saying that I'm not going to appear in the same game with Batman. He, he's actually saying, I'm just never coming back at all if Batman comes back. Now, that ended up not being the case. Uh, Batman has since come back, and they uh, were able to resolve this. But And it was the same day, in fact, right? Uh, it was the next day. The next day. Okay. But they uh, – anyway, Batman and Eric appeared together the next day at uh, 10.30 a.m. on January 10th on the Nick Vertucci show to discuss the entire matter. And uh, I'm going to play what Eric had to say about the matter because I'm not, even we got Batman here. I I want Eric's side to get out. I I don't want this to be just, uh, I'm not Batman's uh, attorney or anything. And I I didn't even know him before today. So this is not a close friend of mine or anything, but I I want everybody to hear both sides of this. So I'm going to play uh, what, person had to say i'm not going to play the entire show or from nick vertucci you can go watch this is uh 
on the Nick Vertucci Show channel, and it was from January 10th, so you can go watch the whole thing if you like. But I'm going to play uh, some relevant parts here, starting from almost the very beginning of it at the uh, 0 minute 54 second mark, and you can hear what uh, Eric Person has to say, and he's explaining why he has the big problem with Batman that he wanted to have him removed. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, you know, um, obviously, I have a, a long-standing relationship with uh, both you and Ryan. Um, I was pretty frustrated last night. And, you know, and I think that from a viewer's standpoint, it's probably a pretty confusing thing. So what I want to do is I want to take a moment to, to walk through what my issues were. And, and honestly, John, you know, you're, this is going to be a bitter pill. You're not going to like it. But if you fucking really listen, it might just save your life. I've been in gaming for over 30 years. Now, saying John, he's referring to Mr. Dr. Batman, whose real name is John, in case you're wondering who John is. And, you know, when I played with you the first time, obviously didn't go well, and that's fine. Everyone wins, everyone loses shit. I lost $2.8 million in December. You know, I obviously had the biggest year of my life professionally as a poker player, but I lose too, and, and that's how it goes. And I don't really care if people win or lose, you know, but what I do care about is authenticity. And, you know, after that, after that session, a, a lot of things happened where I was watching you, John, and, you know, I was. So, for example, the stream ends. And I think a lot of times people get really confused. The viewers, they think, man, people just play poker on stream and, you know, and they win and they lose. And whatever happens on that stream is like the sum of their <laughs> poker playing stream represents less than five percent of my plays for me. I don't know what it does for an average player. I think it's probably significantly small. You know, some people stream more, some people stream less. But in any event, streaming is such a small portion of the overall poker life that I think for most people that I think a lot of our viewers sort of get confused. They think, man, because I get people come to them, hey, I saw what happened, you know, at Hustle. I'm like, man, I've, <laughs> I've been playing, you know, <laughs> 10 sessions since that since that day. And and so when, when that first session ended with, with us, John, you know, you left that table, you were losing, you wanted to go over and play one of my really close friends, heads up, in a big game, 500, 1,000. You lost. You lost that money. And then you wanted to play him for some more money. And you were going to go on your credit cards, and you're going to get another 100,000 to play him some more. One card gets declined. You know what? Shit happens, man. <laughs> and cards get declined, and you didn't bring enough cash or just whatever. I was happy to fucking go home because it was like 5 in the morning, and my boy was with me. So I don't even understand why he's telling this part of the story because uh, this isn't really relevant to anything that happened. He's, he's talking about some other game that uh, they had played. He's, and, he's trying to embarrass me. That's yeah, all yeah, it is. Yeah, so yeah. I, when, when the stream ended, uh, Eric was, was still down, I believe. And Patrick and I, they, they were trying to figure out what game we were going to play after the stream ended. So Patrick Antonius and I started playing. It wasn't, it was 1000, 2000 heads up. Wow. Right. This is like a dream come true for me. Daniel Nugrano, Patrick Antonius, those are probably my two biggest poker heroes ever. Right. And so Patrick and I start playing 1000, 2000. And we, we ended up playing for almost three hours straight. And I was doing well for the, the first part of it. And Patrick got low on chips. And so he went to Eric was like, Hey, Eric, lend me 150,000 in chips. And he did. Right. And literally two hands later, um, it was a, it was a cooler hand and, and Patrick busted me. And I was like, all right, guys, let me, let me go grab more chips. 
right? Well, keep in mind, I have no friends in LA that are going to lend me $150,000 to rebuy. So I tried to do uh, a purchase to my credit card, which shouldn't have been an issue, right? But for whatever reason, it just was not going through. And Eric used that to try and embarrass me to try and say that I was broke. And he told many, many people that I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that. Uh, that's, that's his whole point of bringing it up. Like he keeps trying to push the narrative that I'm broke. That's why he said at the beginning, this is going to be a hard pill for me to swallow. He's trying to tell people that I, I just have no money and that everything that I have, I lose and, and this, and that, whatever it's, it's literally just him yet again, trying to make me feel small and make himself feel important. I see. Okay. So let's go on here. You know, I don't want to stay around and watch him take another 100000 from you over the next two hours. Because honestly, I don't give a fuck. I want to go to sleep. But then what happens is we talk. And you send me a text. And you're like, hey, man, let's – and by the way, I posted the text, so it's on Twitter. Um, let's start a fake fucking feud. Bullshit. I don't start fake feuds. This isn't fucking WWE. This is real life. This is real money. Everything that happens is authentic. <laughs> I'm an authentic brand. I don't manufacture shit. I don't think a little stick in order to like get people to like me. I don't think that shit's fucking funny. And I made that clear to you. I don't think it's funny at all. I don't like it when you're on fucking stream, you know, talking shit, saying things like, hey, Sashimi, do you fucking post pictures of your golden showers while you're asking for a fucking phone number? I think it's cringe. But honestly, you can say whatever the fuck you want. I don't really give a fuck when people talk shit. I talk a lot of shit, and that's life. But what I do care about is the people that I play with and associate with. Okay, let's stop right here. So did you send a message to Eric asking if you could start kind of a fake feud for entertainment on the stream? Yeah, 100%. It it was a very small piece of a much longer conversation and taken all by its lonesome. It definitely looks kind of weird, but it was basically – it was definitely a serious question. Like I I would be more than happy to to do that, but – Again, we we do streams for production value. And so to have a friendly rivalry would have been great for all parties involved. But he said no, and I dropped it. Yeah, I don't think it's a big deal if you ask that question. If he doesn't want to do it, then fine. But it's a, the whole thing, this whole Hustler Casino Live, is uh, uh, it's, it's designed for a lot of drama. So uh, there's been a lot of people who've assumed that some of the drama on there isn't real or is exaggerated. And I don't know what is and isn't some even some people even thought the thing between you and him here were fake. And then I looked into it. And I go, no, no, this, <laughs> this looks real. To me. No, it's very, very much not uh, scripted and or fake. No, I don't think it is fake. At, at first I thought maybe. And then once I watched it all and I, I said, no, this is real. If this is fake, he was very, very well acted. So anyway, I, I do believe that Eric, you know, didn't want to do it, and that's just not really his personality, and you had suggested it to him. So let's uh, listen on what else his problems are. And so when I see things like credit cards getting declined, and then I happen to know with a really high degree of certainty that you lost a shit ton of money the night before the fucking stream, had to borrow money, you came out with a $25,000 budget, lost that, blew through more. What I see is a person who's struggling. They're gambling beyond their fucking means, they think it's fucking funny, and I don't think it's funny, and I don't want you around me, and that's why I don't want to associate with you in any way, because I think you're a fucking train wreck. I think you have no technical skills. You have zero shot of winning. You should take that money 
and go talk to Doug Polk, man. He has some online courses. You can do something to make yourself better, but all that's going to fucking happen is a nightmare at the end for you, John. And that's the fucking truth. Because I look in there, you can get mad and you can smile and you can fucking smirk, but you fucking suck. That's the reality of it. I've been playing poker for 30 fucking years. I know people who win. I know people that fucking lose. You don't win. And it's not that you don't win because there's a lot of people who don't win and it's fun. But you are gambling beyond your fucking means or you wouldn't be bringing out a budget and then having to borrow more. You wouldn't get credit cards fucking decline. And so that's my problem with you, John. I made it clear. Keep your fucking name out of my mouth. I want nothing to do with you. And then what do you do? You go back on fucking stream. You start talking more shit about me. So I have Cairo come over. Cairo, for you guys and the viewers, he works for me, helps me with social media. He tells you, hey, man, this ain't cool. You got to stop. And what do you say, John? I don't give a fuck what Eric has to say. That's what you fucking said. Well, guess what? I wanted you to understand you do give a fuck what I have to say, you little fucking bitch. Oh, no, Eric, That's Eric, what I, Eric, I thought, come on, you're, you're working yourself up. I'm sorry, Never, man. You're right. right. You're right. All right. Because right. you know, we, we had a deal. We had a deal. You're right. All right. You're right, man. I can't <laughs> yeah, so he was getting uh, pretty out of control there. Here's another clip of Eric that was recorded last year when he was talking to somebody else. Listen to this. Very similar. I'm out here. Uh-oh. Richard. <laughs> here, come, here comes Eric walking up. Oh, wow. Wow. Wow, dude. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. Wow. That was Eric Person last year at uh, an award show. <laughs> Saying it again. But anyway. Oh, oh, my eyes are watering right now, man. <laughs> he, he got pretty worked up there on, on this Nick Vertucci show. And, you know, I watched this a few times, and I was trying to understand exactly what he was trying to say here, and I, I still wasn't getting it. So he's going on about how Mr. Dr. Batman's a problem gambler. He can't uh, afford what he's losing. He's, he's unable to even uh, get the credit cards uh, honored when he's trying to take more money out and he thinks he's a train wreck but you know even if this is true that describes a lot of people who you find at the poker room there, there's a lot of people that you play poker with that are problem gamblers or can't afford to be playing what they're playing or are going to have big problems if they have a losing session or a few losing sessions I, I see this all the time when i play poker and i don't play as high as as this game was there but when i play at the middle to high stakes that I typically play at, I see this all the time with people, and I don't have a problem with them being there. In fact, if if I sat down with everybody who was winning typically, then that wouldn't be a very good game. So I, exactly. I don't I don't know what uh, Batman's situation is here, but I don't see why Eric should have a problem with that. I, it doesn't look like he was doing this from compa- for compassionate reasons that he was feeling bad that Batman's going to ruin his life and he's uh, trying for his own good to to keep him out of there. It seems like he has animosity towards him, which doesn't make sense for the reason he was stating. Now, the beginning of it made a little more sense. The beginning saying that he just thinks that Batman is trying to start up fake feuds. He thinks he's a fake guy. He thinks he just uh, brings intentional drama there and he's not about this, Eric, and he doesn't like being part of that. Okay, it's definitely different personality types and uh, Eric does not like this going on in his presence or being anything that's part of that. Okay, that's his right to feel that way and his right to decide what he wants to be part of or who he wants to associate with or even who he wants at the table when he shows up to play. But um, I'm just not understanding why he was claiming that he was so angry about this other stuff. about like Who really cares what 
Batman's financial situation is in the context of what happened here. So I, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But I'm, I'll, let me go on with uh, Eric attempting to calm down when they tell him, "Oh no, 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 no! You agreed. You're not gonna. You're not gonna be like this." I guess they must have had an agreement before the show that he wasn't gonna like really, really come at you hard. Like, do you know what the agreement was that? Nick was saying, wait, 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 wait. The agreement was that we would both be civil. And and the problem is it's a one-sided agreement. Like, I just, I don't get upset like that. I just don't. Uh, but, you know, obviously Eric does. And it, it, I knew that it was going to be problematic. Another thing is I had no idea that my face was going to be on that show the whole time. It was through Zoom. So I assumed that whoever was going to be talking oh. was the, <laughs> the face that was going to be showing so I'm just sitting there in my hotel room. Like they gave me 10 minutes notice that they were going to do this thing. So I'm just chilling there. Just like, all right, I'm going to wait till he's done talking. Yeah. You know, at first when I saw you on there, I'm like, wow, you know, Batman has really tacky curtains in his house. And then I wait, wait a minute. Is that a hotel? Yeah, it's a hotel. Oh yeah. But yeah, I, you know, I like uh, audio formats a lot better. That's on this show. You don't have to worry about smiling or, uh, or any expression you make, you could be flipping me off the entire time, and I couldn't tell. That, that's well, that's I part may of the reason. Or may not be wearing pants right now, so I'll well, let yeah, the viewers that's, decide. That's pretty obvious, but I like the I like the audio format because uh, you can just keep your mind entirely on what's being said and not how you're looking at the moment. You don't have to worry about making a funny face or anything else. The way you're sitting, the the way uh, the light is in the room. There's a lot you have to kind of think about when you're on video where audio it's it's a much more pure conversation that's why this is an audio show the other reason is who really needs to look at me who's going to want to watch a show with me on there to look at a the 51 year old guy there so i just do an audio show i've always wanted to do an audio show and that's it so that's what we have so i understand if you you thought that you weren't going to be seen on camera other than uh when you're talking you hadn't talked yet here so no. you, you were assuming that nobody could see you. And then he's like, "Why wipe that smirk off your face. What are you doing here? Why are you smiling? So, okay. Let's, like, Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let, let's play the rest of this here. Yeah. And so, and so the thing is, it really irritated me. And I don't know. So then like, you know what? I'll just go in the super chat and I'll just, I'll just list some shit. You know, and I, all I said was welcome to the minor leagues clown. And I think it's pretty funny, and I paid $100. And it's a play on what, we, what I said to you when I stacked you. And then what happens is a few minutes later, it gets pulled. And I'm paying Hustler to fucking post that, and it gets pulled. So then I post another one. It gets pulled. I post a shit ton of them. Every single one gets pulled. So then I'm like, you know what? If you want to go with, with Batman, Hustler, go the fuck ahead. I don't, need, I don't need Hustler. I just want... Okay, so let me stop it right there. I actually agree with Eric's anger at that point. Because I'd be pissed if that That's were happening to you. If, if that were happening to me, I'd have been furious also. Because, like, here's a guy talking trash about you on the stream with uh, this tip jar. So you try to go into the chat. You pay money to have a prominent message displayed of you talking shit back. And some asshole moderator is deleting it. And so at this point, he was feeling, and you saw what he said, okay, guys, if you're going to take Batman's side on this and suppress what I'm saying back to him and let him do this to me, then F you, I'm not coming back. I actually understand. I would have taken that initial position as well. But here's where I would have differed is I would have called up Hustler and I would have been furious and I would have yelled at Ryan and Nick about this and said, what the fuck are you guys doing to me? Why are you suppressing my chat? 
that I'm paying for. And even if I wasn't paying for it, why should I not be able to defend myself? And that's a good question. And they should not have suppressed him in this mod. I don't know why this mod did this, but it was an idiotic decision. So I, I fully understand his anger there. But I don't understand how that bridges to kicking Batman off because Batman wasn't the one suppressing the messages, nor was there ever a belief that Batman was telling them to suppress the messages. Now, at the time, Eric was thinking maybe they were just kind of taking his side and, and just doing it. And that is a good reason to be angry. But I don't think the anger should be at Batman here unless he really believed that Batman was directing this, which it kind of doesn't seem like he believed that. So let me play the rest of this. Won't come back. You can pick. And that's when they pulled your fucking ass. So the reason we're talking today is because the truth of the matter is most of my issues was with Ryan, who's Nick's partner. And Ryan and I and Nick, we've all talked, we've worked it out. I'm not really sure why all that shit got pulled. I accept their answer that it was a moderator and, and they didn't know. And, and that's all cool. There's water under the bridge. But the other stuff I'm saying to you, John, you should really take a drink of it. And you should really help yourself. Because if you want to play poker for the rest of your life, you got to play a lot better. You know, and, and so that that's the reality. My, my issues at the end of the day aren't with John. He was roadkill. He was roadkill because at the end of the day, the reason we're doing the stream right now and the reason I go on Hustler is about views and it's about money. Everything is about money. And that's just the truth of the matter. I drive the fucking views. I'm the money. You're not going to associate yourself with me to gain clout because you have no staying power. You're not part of the crew. You're not part of the team that can make it for five years. You can't make it for five fucking minutes. And that's what's the beauty about poker. You can go and you can get your money and get all you can and give everything you can to poker. But once it's, it's egalitarian. And if you win, you win. And if you lose, you lose. And maybe I'm wrong. You can make me eat my fucking words. And if you do, congratulations. I hope you do because it means you've done a lot of work on your game. You've gotten a lot better. But at the end of the day, I don't like you. I don't like the things you say. I don't like your stick. I don't like it. It's fake. I think it's manufactured. I think it's fucking cringe. My brand's about being authentic. And that's why I'm happy to say this to you. I'd rather you're on this stream than if you weren't, because I fucking mean it. And actually, even though I don't like you, I'm trying to help you. And so that ends up being the issues at the end of the day. My issues were large in part that you have a platform for, for John to go out and say whatever he wanted for hours. I try to respond. You pull my shit, taking away my ability to even talk back and i don't think that was cool because i think of myself as a partner with hustler and i think that especially when you're paying money in super chat you should want the interchange you should want to get the viewers engaged and i think that um if ryan had actually seen or nick they probably wouldn't have pulled that stuff because it wasn't offensive wasn't vulgar it wasn't anything but it denied me the ability to respond to john's antics and that's my issue okay but like i agree with that part but then why why kick Batman off? That's what I, I don't see where those two connect. It, it makes they, they, sense. They don't. <laughs> it makes sense why you're angry at Hustler and the mod there, and and even suspecting that uh, it was more than just the mod, whether it was or wasn't. But I, I understand why you should be pissed that your attempt to respond was suppressed, especially if you paid money for it. That that's a very good reason to be angry. But how does that connect to kicking off Batman, especially if they say? okay, it was a mod doing it, sorry, the mod didn't understand, it was not someone taking sides here, so it won't happen again, we're really sorry, maybe even give him his money back that he paid for the super chat. And that should be that. There should be no kicking off Batman, because at that point, then Eric should understand that it wasn't them taking Batman's side, it was some over-aggressive moderator deleting messages. And that should be it. 
And in fact, if I were him then, I'd say, okay, I want to come back on right now and write the same thing and not have it deleted. Can you promise me it will not be deleted if I write it now? Then they say yes, and then I come back on and do it. And then that would be that. But I don't. I just don't understand at that point why he was still sticking to, okay, it's got to be him or me, once you know that this wasn't Hustler taking Batman's side. And I understand his first point, that he kind of thought that he had sort of a partnership with them, that he brings them players, that he appears a lot himself, he brings entertainment value, and that they at least owe him some courtesy back, and that he wasn't getting it by having his message deleted. Okay, 100% with you there. But I, I just don't understand why you take it out on the guy that was talking trash to you in the first place when that he had nothing to do with these messages being deleted. And it seems like he was told that pretty early on when he called up angry and talked to Ryan about it. I'm going to skip now to where Nick Vertucci talked about why they booted Batman. This is at the 2213 mark. Uh, we are a business, and we do run high-stakes poker games, and Eric does have the ability. You know, he, he came respectfully came and dumped a million bucks there and banged it up, and he's associated with a lot of high-stakes players, uh, including Keating and Hanks and a bunch of other people. And I had about 30 seconds to a minute to decide what is best for our business. Um, as I, and I, I'll say this right in front of Eric, as I said to you about 30 minutes ago when we spoke, look, it wasn't easy for me to do. I, I don't feel how Eric does. He feels how he does. I'm running a business and made a business decision. I felt horrible about uh, that decision. And there could be a case made to like, hey, man, like, can people really dictate like, who you have on your show and what you do? Well, yeah, the answer is kind of yes. I mean, we're running a business. We we want to have people on the show. And by the way, you know, John, you uh, you bring a lot of viewers, and people want to see you play. And some of your antics are very well liked, and some of that shit is funny. And so, you know, we you know, so I can understand. Like, and I appreciate what you said to me on the phone, which was, I get it. I understand as a businessman, as a business decision, you had to make a decision what's best for your show, and that's what I did. And um, and uh, so I appreciate that. At the same time, personally, I don't blame you for being ass hurt a little bit and maybe having a little bit of a sting. I hope we can resurrect that and fix that. And, you know, that's why, believe it or not, that's why we are here. I do want to patch it up. I do want you guys, I, 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 I'm not looking for you guys to be friends, but, but I am looking for a, a resolution so we could get back to poker. Um, we want to have both of you guys back on our stream. Uh, of course, we won't do that at the same time unless you guys contact us and say you want that to happen. I'm sure we'll break the internet if you guys want to. But as Eric said, he doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> and, uh, and that's fine. And, um, you know, we'll take it as it comes. But just to address your point, yeah, that is what happened. I stand by it. Uh, like I said, you and I talked. And uh, um, that's it. So. so, all right. I do appreciate the difficulty that, Hustler Casino Live was in there. In a perfect world, you would say, okay, well, they just have to do the right thing and tell Eric, too bad, this isn't fair. Batman didn't do anything wrong. You were not kicking him off. But the truth is, as he said, he's run they're running a business there, and the there are people who can negatively influence the business that if you uh, don't keep them happy, then there will be a consequence to the business, and they had to decide, okay, even though this is kind of unfair to Batman, ultimately it is our decision who's on and who's not. It's not like they're stealing money from Batman or something. They're, they're just saying, you've got to go and not be on the stream anymore. So they do have a right to do that. It's just uh, is a question of, is this something that 
was fair to Batman. No, it wasn't. But sometimes these decisions have to be made. So I, I understand they had a very short time to decide it. Maybe they could have tried a bit harder with Eric, and maybe they did, and he just wouldn't hear it. I, I would think that they should have said to Eric, look, this really wasn't Batman's fault at all. In fact, I'm sure if we asked him, he would have been happy to have these comments in chat. But uh, one of our moderators just did it. We promise this will never happen. We understand why you're mad. This will never happen again. We'll give you back all the money you spent on the Super Chat. But uh, you know, just don't take this out on Batman. Don't have us kick him off because what just happened here wasn't his fault. And maybe they said that and Eric was still mad enough at the moment to where he wouldn't hear any of that and just said, no, I want him off or I'm never coming back and I'm going to have Keating not come back and have these other people not come back. So what ended up resolving this? How how did uh, you end up getting invited back to come on uh, Hustler again? Eric just withdrew his requirement that I not play there anymore, right? And just just so I can continue my 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 side of it, like I I do understand why they made that decision. And if I had been in Nick's shoes, I probably would have made a very similar decision. And I do believe that. Hustler tried to defend me and to calm the situation to not have that happen. But ultimately it, it was a financial decision for them. It wasn't a do I, or do I not like Batman? It's what do I need to do in order to preserve the time, effort and energy I put into this show. And ultimately I, I bring less value to the show than Eric does. So I get that piece of it. There's there's more to the story there that that makes it a much more uh, challenging situation. But ultimately, I do believe that they stuck up for me. But that Eric just said, you know, he was in a a mental position where he just wasn't willing to to let it die. And so the the risk versus reward there for them was just way too much risk for too little reward. So they did what they felt they needed to do in order to preserve that relationship. Yeah, I agree. And I do think that Eric may have changed his mind because there was some uh, negative reaction to this whole thing on Twitter. A lot of people thought that uh, Eric was uh, being a crybaby and was being too sensitive and that he was abusing the influence he had there. And keep in mind, Eric appears on this uh, stream. I'm not talking about the Nick Vertucci show. I mean the Hustler Casino live stream in part to promote his Maverick Casino brand and to promote himself. And he wants people in general to think positively of him and his brand. He also does it because I think he just likes gambling and likes playing poker. But there's kind of a dual purpose for him to be there. He even said himself that he's on there for business reasons. So... If you do something and then there is a backlash on Twitter where most people disagree with what you did and it's starting to affect your reputation, then the best thing you can do is to walk back from it somewhat to where the controversy dies down. And and that's what he did. And it worked because uh, now Batman's on and now there's not going to be talk for weeks of, oh, Batman can't come back because Eric the Crybaby won't let him on. Like I said, no one's saying that anymore because Batman's back. So. I, I think maybe a day's worth of uh, social media backlash. While it wasn't a tremendous controversy on Twitter, it was being talked about. And uh, you know, some people who read my forum brought it to my forum before I had even heard about it. So people were talking about this. 
And from what I saw, most people believed that he was out of line by demanding this. So I think that he saw that and realized that this runs counter to what he's trying to accomplish with appearing on these streams at all. And that probably influenced the decision as well. So it's good that he did go back on that demand. I, I assume he doesn't want to appear with you together on stream though, right? We both have agreed that that would probably be for the best. Although <laughs> I, I think sometime down the road, it will probably happen, but definitely not for a very long time. Okay. So you're both just going to stay away from each other. And are you going to cease from any uh, needling of him on the stream from now on? Yeah, I, I have no interest in, in, in beating a dead horse. Plus, <clears throat> there's no real upside for me there anymore. Like, I was simply responding in kind to what he was doing. And now that that has happened, I, I feel fine. Yeah. Okay, I mean, this all sounds reasonable to me. And, you know, Eric, if you end up listening to this, uh, you keep in mind, I've never said anything bad to you about you or even to you uh, prior to any of this. I, I rarely talked about you. When I did, it was actually positive for the most part about the helmet thing. Having played with Phil myself, I thought it was uh, nice to finally see that sort of thing occur. I thought it was funny. But, you know, you, you got to take it as well as you give it. And uh, you may not like Batman. You may not like playing with him. You know, may not like his antics. It may be counter to your personality, and that's fine. But uh, I think that kicking him off this stream wasn't justified at all. Uh whether you have the ability to or not, I just didn't think that was justified. I didn't think that was the appropriate way to handle what was otherwise justified anger at your chat being suppressed, which I agree with you was very wrong and disrespectful given what you had done for Hustler Casino Live. And if I were in your shoes, Eric, I would have been very pissed about that as well. So that part, I don't blame you for getting angry at one bit. So hopefully this is... Uh, going to die down here this whole thing and we won't have this problem but yeah whenever you're going to be a controversial person or an outspoken person on social media or on a live stream you have to always expect there's going to be trolls there's going to be backlash there's going to be people who poke fun at you and uh, you know I've been dealing with this for many years as a person who is outspoken and gives a lot of strong opinions on forums and social media. I've had to deal with a lot of trolls over time who try to say horrible and nasty things to and about me. And I don't demand they disappear. In fact, uh, except for the very few who just relentlessly do it with uh, no, no end on everything I post on the forum, with only those very few exceptions, I don't ban people for coming on my own forum and trolling me. And I easily could. But unless someone is really, really, really relentless about it, where I can't post a single thing without them trolling me in the next thing they post, uh, I, I let them do it. And I'm not just talking about constructive criticism. There's people on my forum who post insults towards me, including many things they say that aren't true, and I let them because uh, it's a free speech forum for the most part. And I understand that uh, that's part of the whole game. So that's Eric kind of has to look at it that way as well. And I think he will be a lot happier in general with uh, the response he gets because you're not going to always get all positive response. I think that might be some of the problem is he's kind of looking for 
all positive response to everything he's doing. And you're just not going to get that if you're a, an outspoken person. You're always going to get people who don't like you, who clash with you, who just have a personality type that doesn't mesh with you, and some who will poke fun at you. That's just going to happen. And you just have to accept it. I think it. that he got such a positive response from his antics with Phil Hellmuth that it gave him the perception that he could just continue down that path. Yes, that's and a good chance I, for that. Yeah. I'd, yeah, I'd like to take the positive note and say like, okay, you know, maybe he saw, okay, this is this is too far. Maybe he got lost in it, whatever. I do genuinely believe that he's an authentic person. I don't believe that he puts on a persona. I think that how he displays himself is how he lives his life, for better or worse. And, you know, he he just went a little bit too far. But at the end of the, the Nick Fertucci interview, you know, they asked him like, Hey, do you regret any of this? And he said that he had no regrets. So <laughs> I don't, I don't know if, uh, if, if that kind of sink until much, much later, or if it ever did. Yeah, it may um, not have, but, I, it really may have just been because he was getting a negative reaction and he realized it could be bad for his brand if this is what defines him. So he, backed away from keeping you off there even while feeling that he'd like to he just uh, realized it's it's not a good thing to do for his own brand so he didn't that, that may be what happened if he says he doesn't regret anything because he could have easily said at the end well i i still don't like batman i still think he's a jerk i think his antics suck and they're not funny and i and i'm still pissed about the chat being deleted but uh you know i i probably shouldn't have had him kicked off even though i don't like him and i prefer he wasn't on the stream uh, getting kicked off was probably too far. It was probably part of my reaction to having my messages removed, which I will still stick by, shouldn't have happened. He could have said that, and it would have not negated any of the points he raised. He he didn't have to say sure. you're a wonderful guy, and he realized that, that you're cool and he likes you at the end. He doesn't have to say that. He could still hate you at the end and, and still admit that getting you kicked off the stream was was not the proper response. So anyway, I, I you know hearing from you here and even watching your response – on the Nick Fertucci show, which I didn't bother playing because you're right here with me. I thought, you know, this this Batman guy seems pretty reasonable. I mean, yeah, he, he's trying to troll. He's trying to create uh, controversy there. But as far as his reaction to all of this, I, th- I think he's reasonable. And you guys can even hear that Batman is even agreeing that Eric should have a right to be pissed about the chat thing being deleted. And I I think that shows something that even with Eric just talking all this trash about him, and not taking any of it back, Batman saying, "Yeah, you know, he he was right about the chat thing." So that's that shows that Batman's willing to look at this kind of from the outside and not just from who he is personally and where he is in this. That he can actually kind of look at an outsider would think, and an outsider would think that the chat thing was unreasonable that happened to Eric there, and that he had a right to be angry. So I thought that was good that you agreed there, and hopefully this uh, is not going to have much impact going forward. It's just kind of one of these things that happens at the time and people talk about and then goes away. And I, th- I think you're kind of right that because the reaction to the helmet thing was so positive that it can give him the impression that you can just do and say anything and no one's going to ever respond negatively. Or when I say no one, I mean, you're not going to get a, a wide negative response to anything. But And I also agree with you, by the way, that he is authentic, that he's not really putting on an act here. I've never met him in person ever, so I can't comment on that from my perspective. But my guess would be that he really is 
being who he is and that we're not seeing a fake persona or anything like that. So we'll we'll give him that too. So anyway, um, you know, you can respect some things about a person and still say that they were wrong in a situation. I, I respect what he's accomplished with uh, Maverick Gaming and uh, what he did with Helmuth there and how he's kind of uh, turned himself quickly into a poker personality. Great. You know, I, I have respect for all of that. But in, in this particular situation, he definitely made some mistakes. So I want to move on to another topic, but I think you'll probably want to talk about this too because you mentioned you know this person, and that is uh, Poker Bunny. Oh, oh gosh, yeah, let's go. <laughs> yeah, so Poker Bunny is someone I don't talk about much on this show, even though I have known about her since quite some time before most of you knew her. In fact, I'm pretty sure it was before Batman knew her. Now, I've never met her in person, and I've had very little interaction with her online. We've had a few DMs over one particular matter, but I really have had very little interaction with her at all. But I first heard about her when she was known as Postflop Malone. Are you aware of her uh, Postflop Malone days? Yeah, that that's that was what she was going by when when I met her. Okay, okay, but uh, she was Postflop Malone, and she played initially in Australia. And I don't exactly know why she was in Australia because she's not Australian, but she was in Australia. She was living in Australia, and she was playing in some rooms in Sydney, and someone posted a video of her getting kicked out of a room in Sydney and, and acting kind of uh, outraged about the whole thing. And and I was reading all of this about some young girl named Postflop Malone that plays in Sydney, and I didn't realize at first that she wasn't Australian, and how this about her and that about her, and I was reading a lot of uh, unflattering things that made her sound very crazy. So, okay, whatever. Like, I wasn't that interested in the story because these were people I didn't know. It was about Sydney, so who really cares? Then it got a little more interesting when this same person, I think it was the same person, there was someone in the thread, posted nude pictures of her that she had apparently shared. People kind of took note of that. Then we all kind of forgot about it. Then I was noticing she was trying to become a name in poker. She was trying to have people notice her. She was doing uh, live streams of her playing, and uh, she was wearing skimpy outfits. The, the whole poker bunny thing was, in fact, a gimmick that was for these live streams where she'd wear bunny ears. Did that get her known? No. That was a failure as well. Even though she was uh, not only an attractive young woman playing poker, which you don't see much of these days, but also she she was overtly sexual with a lot of the topics she'd bring up. Like, she was not someone who was afraid to talk about sex. She'd just, like, blatantly discuss it out there. I'm going, how is this girl not getting attention? And I was actually having this discussion with somebody else who noticed the same thing, who was around my age, and this person said to me, I think we're just living in a different time. Because we were both saying if she appeared on the scene in like 2006, 2007, that there would have been tremendous attention thrown upon her, similar to how there was attention given to uh, Brandy Hawbaker at the time, who, who unfortunately uh, passed away from suicide in 2008. But uh, we figured that she would have gotten the same amount of attention or maybe even more than Brandy. But she not only was she not getting Brandy-type attention, she was getting no attention. Her live streams were a failure. Nobody watched. And it just seemed like nobody cared. And so the belief at the time among 
those of us who were observing her were that uh, just the times have changed and that uh, people have been conditioned not to react to young pretty girls sexualizing themselves because it's uh, disrespectful and it's uh, objectifying women, blah, 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 that girls like that just don't get attention anymore in the 2000s, but uh, like, like they did in the 2000s. But we were still looking at going, could that really be true? Like, could it really be that different now to where someone like that won't get attention? Well, the answer was, no, it's not that different. It was that just for whatever reason, she just wasn't getting noticed. It just wasn't getting out there. It wasn't getting seen by enough people. But that all changed when she appeared on Hustler Casino Live. And Hustler Casino Live realized that they had kind of a, a gold mine slash a train wreck on their hands where she would show up there, she'd wear the bunny ears, she'd wear a very skimpy outfit, she would act very strange, and people ate it up. And there were some who criticized Hustler Casino Live saying that they're taking advantage of someone who's not mentally stable and that... Uh, she doesn't really belong in this game and that she's obviously backed and is losing someone else's money here and that uh, this isn't even someone who can afford playing in the game. Uh, so a lot of criticism aimed at Hustler Casino Live for putting her on there, which I didn't really agree. Uh, Hustler Casino Live is an entertainment product. It's, it's not a therapy product. They're not trying to make you a more mentally healthy person to put you on there. And at the end of the day, everybody's an adult and can decide if they want to come on or not. And... It's not really up to Hustler Casino Live to say, we're not going to put you on because we don't think you're in a great mental state. But at the same time, when it came to talking about Poker Bunny on this show, I decided that I just didn't want to talk much about her because the only way I could talk about her back then would be from the context of uh, talking about all the weird things she was doing on stream and the only way it would be interesting radio would be if I kind of made light of it and played the cuckoo clock sound effect. But I didn't want to do that because I really felt this was a young person who had a lot of psychological issues. And I, I didn't want to make fun of that because I, I just uh, wouldn't have felt right doing it. So I decided I'm not going to completely ignore that she exists, but I'm not going to give it a lot of coverage here because this, when you, cut through everything at the time. It was really just a, a young girl who wasn't uh, emotionally healthy, acting kind of crazy and and on these streams. So I, I decided it's just something we're not going to really cover much here unless there's really something uh, that's worth saying. Now, one thing that she was unfairly criticized for that I actually defended even a few times on this show when we briefly talked about her was her poker ability itself. Well, some pretty girls appearing on the poker scene over the years have had a lot more in looks than poker ability. Poker Bunny was not like that. Poker Bunny actually has been studying very hard to become a better player. She's put a lot of time into uh, reading books and uh, watching training videos and really, really, really working hard to improve her game. Uh, she's been very dedicated to that. She's not just someone who's uh, playing casually and hoping her looks take care of the rest. Uh, so uh, she's been trying, and also she really does have some poker ability. The problem she was having at Hustler Casino Live is the ultimate of what I call, and many others call, fancy play syndrome. And that is where someone overthinks an otherwise simple situation and makes a move which isn't correct 
because they're assuming that their opponent is thinking on a different level than they are, or assuming that a complex situation applies where it's really simple. So, for example, a a very simple example of fancy play syndrome. I'm not saying that she did this specifically, but say that you have a very, very tight and straightforward player who never bluffs at the table. And then uh, you bet the river and the person puts in a big raise on you. Well, all you have to think at that moment is, does this person have the ability to bluff here? And if you're convinced they don't, and you're convinced that the hand that they could be pre- playing preflop would match with a with a board there in what could beat you, then you fold. That's it. Then it's a very simple thought process. It's, does this person bluff? No. Would they have entered with a hand that could beat me here on this board? Yes. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to call this big bet goodbye. That, that's a simple thought process. What you don't want to do in that spot is start thinking about blockers and, and all these other advanced concepts and then talk yourself into calling. Because you can't do that with a, when the overriding concept is that the person who's raising you never bluffs. So that's where she'd make mistakes. That's, uh, I'm not saying in that specific instance, but she would make mistakes like that. And I would watch her chunk off money where it didn't have to be chunked off because she was overthinking the situation. So I said about Poker Bunny, this is someone who has potential to be a very good player, but she has to get the basic fundamentals down first. And if she does that, and and she can also keep her head in the game and not be crazy, then she could actually be a successful poker pro and do a lot better than people think. So just because she was losing on Hustler Casino Live doesn't mean that she was a fish or... uh, has no chance or anything like that. And there's a lot of people saying, okay, well, this is just a hot girl who got rich guys to stake her probably because they wanted some action from her. And then uh, she's terrible and chunks it all off. That's an easy thing to say when you see a girl like her come on the stream and act kind of crazy and make some bad plays and lose. But it wasn't that simple. It was not that simple at all. And as has been seen when she's played on other streams in more recent times, and even with some tournaments where she got pretty far, uh, there's been a lot of people who've been more impressed with her play, saying, oh, wow, you know, she was actually the best player at the table, or wow, she didn't really seem to make any mistakes here, that wow, she played pretty well. I've heard that a number of times when people watch her play, and that's to her credit, and that goes along with what I've said about her the whole way. Now, I'm not going to say she's a uh, perfect person in any way. Uh, not only does she have some these psychological problems, but uh, in her post-flop alone days, she talked a lot of trash on social media to people who didn't deserve it. And maybe this somewhat has to do with her uh, psychological condition, but some of it was just kind of being mean and immature. In more recent times, she seems to have gotten past this and doesn't seem to do it anymore. But I I saw her attack some people, especially before she was as well-known just out of nowhere, especially other women in poker, but sometimes men too. And yeah, there's some other things I could talk about that I won't because uh, I don't think it's appropriate. But you know, needless to say, she's made a number of mistakes in the poker world. But there's a reason I'm finally uh, having a lengthy discussion about her. And that is because Poker Bunny has announced, and I believe it's true, that she's pregnant. Is indeed. Now, immediately people's minds jump to up. 
one of these guys that was backing her that she probably had sex with probably accidentally impregnated her. Now, maybe Batman knows more about this than me, but I don't think that's the case because that is that is not the case now she's had a long-term boyfriend now for a while i think it's a guy from europe or something and i think she went out to live with him for a while i i don't remember the guy's name but i know the guy has some decent money and he's also uh, i believe he's also in poker not a really well-known player or anything but she had or still has a long-term boyfriend that i would have imagined this pregnancy occurred i i would guess it's not something that was planned, but uh, I have to imagine that this guy is probably the father if I had to guess who it was. So I, I don't think she's made, has she made public who the father is? Uh, no, I don't believe it's public, but it's very safe to assume that it's her partner who lives in Europe. Yeah. That's, that's what I think so too. And, and apparently she is uh, going through with it and keeping the child because she's, uh, I believe, five months pregnant at this point. So she's uh, made the decision that she is going to uh, carry it to term. And, uh, you know, motherhood obviously is a tough thing and takes away a lot of your freedom. And you have to start living more for the baby than yourself, at least uh, for a while until the kid gets a little bit older. And she's going to have to learn that. That's why uh, some people have been deciding to have kids later in life for that reason. Uh, back when my parents had me in the early 70s, the uh, average age of uh, first-time parents was much lower than it is today. I mean, tremendously lower. And yeah, we're talking about more than uh, 50 years now, but it really has been going up every year, the average age of uh, first-time parents, especially ones that are planned. And this one probably wasn't planned, but the reason a lot of people wait is because they want to be later in life, be more financially stable, be more emotionally stable, and also be past doing all the things that they did when they were young, knowing that their life's going to change once they have a kid. So when younger people get pregnant and the baby's coming, you know, it, it can be an abrupt change in life, and we'll see how poker bunny handles it but uh the reason this was noticed at all was because of a weird video she did for max Payne monday and I, I can't even explain this whole thing because it's uh it's so it's it's so weird it, it's so her and i, I want to say one other thing before i play this uh poker bunny has said before that she's autistic and i actually believe that she is and with girls autism and asperger's present differently than it does in boys and men. So with boys and men, it can be pretty obvious with uh, certain people, especially when they have uh, autism or Asperger's. And uh, with girls, it presents in kind of a different way and it's much less obvious. So sometimes when you just meet a girl who's just kind of weird and you can't quite put your finger on what is the story with her, that can often be the case. Now, it's much more common for boys to have uh, Asperger's or autism. But girls have it a lot more than is believed because it's a lot harder to diagnose or even just notice as a, as a layman uh, when you meet them. You just kind of say, hey, yeah, that girl's kind of strange, but that's sometimes the reason behind the strangeness. So I believe with her that is some of the reason behind her, her strangeness. I think there's other things well, going on as well. 
luckily you have a healthcare professional on the line right now. People forget like I, I'm a nurse. <laughs> oh, I see. I didn't know what you did. I thought you could even work in administration. I didn't ask, but uh, you said you're a nurse. Okay, so yeah, I'm uh, a nurse. so so uh, do you have some comments so on this? I'll, I'll give you a little bit of insight into into Poker Bunny. So I, I do believe that she's on the spectrum. Um, if I had to guess, I would definitely say that she's on the high functioning side. But where a lot of problems come in is people that struggle with that tend to self-medicate a lot. And so when I first met her, uh, she was very heavy into mind-altering substances. Oh. And the longer you take those substances, the more it actually starts to change your brain chemistry. And there will be long-term effects from that. Um, and I will say on a personal note for her, like I'm super proud of her because as soon as she found out that she was pregnant, she, she went straight and narrow and she has continued that trend. But that's, that's where a lot of the weird stuff from before came in because she, not only does she struggle with mental health, but she also was on several different substances. Interesting. See, I, I hadn't heard that second part, but it's uh, believable. So th I'm going to play you guys this video that was put out by Max Payne Monday, I think on January 8th, to promote the uh, January 9th episode. Actually, I think it was the, the episode that uh, you got thrown off of that was being promoted here. But yep. anyway, people noticed in this video, one, it was kind of weird, and two she looked a lot different. She looked heavier, her breasts were much bigger, and she was covering up. Usually Poker Bunny's showing a ton of skin. Here she's showing no skin. She had on a turtleneck with a long sleeve shirt, and yet her boobs are big. And they're like, hey, if, she got, if she got a boob job, then why is she not putting them out there for everyone to see? So people were going, what the hell's going on here? Though I did have a few people say to me after they saw this, I think she's pregnant. And it turned out they were correct. Then it was announced that she was pregnant. But I'm going to play you this weird video, which was a promotional video that Max Payne Monday put on. Oh. Hey guys, this is Poker Bunny. This week on Max Payne Monday, I'm going to purr at you guys all night because I'm a bunny and I'm going to win all the monies. Okay, so that's super weird. First of all, buddies don't purr. So... <laughs> I don't know where they I got this. She did that in person when we were doing promo videos before the show, and it was just, it was, it was so good. It was very strange because she's not a cat. Like, I don't understand why the bunny's purring. And she, she put her two fingers up like bunny ears and it goes at the end. What sound does a bunny make? Well, it really doesn't, but. That, that's, exactly. why you don't, that, that's why you don't incorporate this. But, but then there's also, this part wasn't her fault, but listen to the very beginning of the video. Go, go, go. They couldn't even edit out the go at the beginning. They have a video promoting it where she's supposed to be just kind of speaking to everybody and you hear at the beginning, go. <laughs> Come on, get, get some production value here. You, you can break out an editor and it takes like one minute to cut out that first 0.5 seconds where you're saying go. But that kind of fits in with the whole weirdness of this video. I'm going to play it again. Go. Hey guys, this is Poker Bunny. This week on Max Payne Monday, I'm going to purr at you guys all night because I'm a bunny and I'm going to win all the monies. I didn't even hear the guy laughing in the background. <laughs> I don't think she won all the monies either. I think she lost in that game, didn't she? Uh, I don't know. I wasn't there, man. I thought you were kicked out in the middle of it. 
I was, so I don't know if okay. she ended up winning or not. Oh, I, I heard she didn't win, but whatever. The the go, I, I, I just, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, this 13-second video, I think what's bothering me the most is the go at the beginning. I think it's actually bothering me more than just the weirdness of the video. Uh, her big breasts in the video were not, like, it's just not discussed at all, and she has this long sleeve shirt over it, but you still see them, and, like, People, they had so many questions about this whole thing, but it was revealed that she was pregnant. Uh, someone on Twitter responded to her. I don't even know who this person is. Uh, the biochemical X responded, congrats, Poker Bunny. It was also said later that she was five months pregnant. So, she, yeah, she really is pregnant. There's no question. And I guess... I can confirm that she is indeed pregnant. Yeah, so I guess uh, four months from now maybe even less than four months, the baby will be born. And I don't know how much we will see her at that point in these uh, poker streams. I guess it'll definitely fluctuate for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if the father will watch the kid when she goes to play on the streams, I guess that can work. But yeah, that's something I didn't really expect to see happen. I think she probably wasn't expecting it either, but it's always a risk when you have sexual intercourse and, uh, the woman is of childbearing age that this can occur and apparently it did so poker bunny is going to be a mom hopefully she can get whatever uh, mental health issues have been plaguing her uh, under control it, it is good that she's uh, gotten off any kind of substances that were making the situation worse and being off of them for nine months might at least help her be used to not being on them and make it easier not to go back on but you know, it can be hard. It can be hard when uh, you're not really ready to be a parent yet. I don't know if she is or isn't, but if she isn't, she's going to have to become ready. And this can be tough when people are not really thinking it's going to be part of their life anytime soon. And then it shows up. And I, I've talked about it on the show before. I wasn't as young as she was, but when I was 29 years old, I thought that I had gotten someone pregnant. And it was someone that I was really kind of towards the end of uh, being with. And she was kind of feeling the same way about me. And we didn't live in the same state anymore. She had moved out of state. And I had found out that on her uh, last visit where I saw her, that uh, shortly after that, it seemed like she was pregnant. And she said that uh, she was sure of it because... uh, she already had a kid who was a few years old, I think three years old at the time, but she said she's felt this once before, what she was feeling right then. She hadn't missed a period yet, but she was saying the way she feels is exactly like she felt the one time she was pregnant. And no other time in her life did she feel this way, that uh, all the signs are there and that she's pretty sure she's pregnant. And this is someone now living in a different state. When I was... Originally with her, she wasn't in a different state, but she had moved to a different state, and we kind of faded apart, and it looked like we were pretty close to being done. So I really did not like the idea of any of this. I thought, what do I do? She's not even in this state anymore, and I don't want this. This isn't who I want to have the mother of my child. We're gonna, we were probably just about to stop being together completely. And also, we, even if we were together, what do we do about the fact that we're uh, 
1,200 miles apart at this point. It was very stressful, and I didn't want to tell anybody. I told nobody about this. And I waited. I waited to know for sure. But she was saying that she thinks it's likely she's pregnant. And she took the pregnancy test as early as she could, and it came up negative. And then she took another one a few days later, negative. She took another one a week later, negative. So we were... Okay, it turned out there was no pregnancy, and I was very relieved. But I, for a little while, I was going through those thoughts like, well, I'm not ready for this. I don't really want it with this person. This is not a good circumstance. Not what I was picturing for my life, but okay. I will deal with it. And I, That's the responsible way to go about it, you know? It's like, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I love being a dad, and I have a, a two-year-old daughter that I waited a long time to find the right person to have a kid with. And it's, it's, it's the exact opposite for me. I had a scare when I had was just out of college and I was just so excited and couldn't wait for all of the fun things. And then she ended up not being pregnant and it was, it was devastating. Oh really? But, That's funny. Cause I thought oh, the yeah. opposite. <laughs> I was so happy in that first day when the test came as a negative that worked out here for you that you ended up having the kid later and uh, someone that you wanted to have it with and then i have one kid myself and he's 12 years old and that was the same thing with me that this was not an accident and it was someone that i wanted to have a child with and and we did but of course i was uh 38 and a half when he was born so I, i was not young by any means and yeah, well, Poker Bunny. I'm roughly in the same boat. Yeah. So Poker Bunny, uh, hopefully for her, it works out that uh, she's a good mother. She can get some of her problems in check and not let it affect the child. And hopefully the uh, father will be in the child's life. If, if it is this long-term boyfriend, he probably will. And yeah, hopefully it can work out and she's decided she's going to go forward with it you know the, the option was there the whole way she could have terminated the pregnancy but she did not so she seems to feel that she's ready and that's good provided that i think it'll be i think it'll be really good for her i'm, I'm excited yeah well if she's ready for it then great and i i'm i'm, I'm not someone who is a big fan of uh terminating pregnancies so i like when i heard that might have been the case with me back in uh 2001 i would have much preferred that she did not get pregnant which fortunately she didn't but i was never even thinking to say hey you might want to get rid of this or let's talk about it or hey i'll offer you money just get rid of it i that was never part of the conversation if if she was pregnant i was just going to say okay well i will do what i have to do here and I'll be part of this kid's life and I'll have to figure out what I do. And fortunately for me, that wasn't something I had to uh, deal with. And I was able to only have a child when I really wanted to. Best way to do it. All right. So I want to move on and talk about something that happened with a guy on Facebook, a weird offer I was made. You you can stick around as long as you want. If you want to stay here, you can stay. If you want to go and go to sleep, you can. I know you're like two hours ahead of me. Yeah, I, I really appreciate the invite, and I have definitely enjoyed myself. And I would love to come back and do a full show with you, 
but unfortunately i have a real job that does not involve poker and requires to me be up in four hours so oh I'm wow i, I didn't know that okay I, th- I thought maybe you'd be off but yeah, i guess as a nurse that you can't really take holidays so okay well uh thank you for coming on uh, and for also being part of the subjects that weren't about you. It was very interesting and enjoyed having you on here. I always like having both co-hosts and guests who can give additional insight when I'm talking about people. It's good to have the people themselves here to tell me about things I might be missing and things that I might not have seen. So thank you for coming on and uh, we'll be glad to have you back in the future. Awesome, and Talk to you later. All right. Good night. I didn't know how long Batman was going to stay with us. I Thought he was enjoying himself here, and it seems like he was. He just has to get up in four hours. So, <laughs> I, I'm surprised he didn't leave earlier. He's going to be tired tomorrow. Hopefully he doesn't make any mistakes there as a nurse, and otherwise it, I'll have to take some blame myself. Okay, so I want to talk about a weird offer I got on Facebook. And I shouldn't say I got the offer, because it was an offer that was put out to everybody on a Facebook group. I am part of a lot of Facebook groups. In fact, I mainly interact in groups on Facebook. You know, on Facebook, you have these people who post every little thing that happens in their life. They post where they're going, what they're eating for lunch, what the weather's like where they are, uh, what they're doing with their kids. They're posting about current events. Oh, this celebrity died. That celebrity died. I, I can't tell you how many people on my feed were talking about Lisa Marie Presley. I don't ever post stuff like that. The only time I will post about a celebrity dying, if it was one that I was a very, very big fan of and or felt like I had some kind of connection to. So like when uh, James Garner died, I I was a very big fan of his and the Rockford Files. And for that reason, I talked about his death, but I didn't just say, oh, it's too bad James Garner died. I said, James Garner passed away and here's some facts you probably don't know about him. And I told people a lot of interesting stuff they probably didn't know about his career. Other than that, I don't ever post about celebrities. I don't post about current events. I don't really post about politics. I don't really even post that much about my own life. And in fact, I'd never once posted a picture of my child on social media. I just don't really believe in doing that. I think it's uh, something the child should decide for themselves when they're older if they want their picture out there. But I I didn't want to put his picture out there and kind of invade his privacy that way. So I've never posted a picture of my child on social media. And I don't really talk about him or about my personal life on Facebook or on social media very much. Uh, Once in a while, I I will post something that's significant or I want people to know. But on Facebook especially, I just don't post much about myself. I more participate in groups. On Twitter, I'll post a little more about myself, but again, I kind of stick more to just general opinions about things and and talking about poker and occasionally about politics. But Twitter's kind of different because Twitter is a place where you're just putting out messages for the public to see. And Facebook is a group of people who have friended you that are going to see your feed only if they're friends with you. So it's different. Anyway, I'm a member of a number of uh, gambling-related and Vegas-related Facebook groups. And on one of them, there was a guy who showed up, and I'd never seen him before, and I'd never heard of him before. But he posted that he had $40,000 worth of MGM M-Life credits to sell. Now, right away, I thought, how can he sell these? Because they're non-transferable. 
you can't just walk up to the MGM MLife desk and say, hey, I'd like to transfer $40,000 worth of MLife credits from me to my friend over here. You can't do it. There's no mechanism to do that. The reason there's no mechanism to do that is that these are kind of considered like they're comps because they work the same way as comps. You can spend them on food. You can spend them on hotel. You can spend them in the gift shop, whatever. So just like you can't take comps you've earned and transfer them to others, you can occasionally get something for someone else. Like, for example, if you're staying in Vegas yourself, you can sometimes get a second and third room for your friends and family that are coming into town. But they're doing this as a favor to you because you're there in town and they want to keep you happy. But what you typically can't do is say, okay, I'm booking a room for my friend such and such. Use my comps for that because that doesn't do the casino any good because you're not there to gamble and your friend may be a non-gambler. So typically, unless you're a big whale, they don't allow you to do that. So similarly, you cannot transfer over these points. So MGM M-Life, which is also known as uh, MGM Rewards, I still refer to it as MGM M-Life, just like I still talk about Caesars Rewards as being total rewards. But it's all the same thing. They just have been changing the name around. There's different kinds of points you can have there, but these particular points that I'm referring to are very similar to the rewards credits at Caesars. So as I said, this is so you can comp yourself. You accumulate these points from play, from expenditures on property, whatever, and then you can use them to get things on property that maybe your host isn't giving you or you just don't feel like getting the host involved. It's just a way you can use the card to comp yourself. But they are non-transferable. You can't sell them. The closest you can do as far as doing anything for other people is when you're there to use them to get things that other people will use. So you can go to a meal and buy others' dinner with it. Or you could even go and pay for somebody else's dinner with your points if you're present to do it. Or you can get a hotel room for someone with your points there if you want. But you have to be present for all of this. There's no such thing as just uh, using your points remotely. So these are technically called... MGM rewards points, and as I said, they're very similar to Caesars rewards credits or anything else similar in other programs that you may have used in other casinos. This guy claimed he had $40,000 worth and that he wanted to sell them. I was curious what the situation was here. Does this guy really have $40,000 worth of rewards points to sell? How does he think he's going to sell them? What is this whole thing? So I messaged him and I asked him, are you aware that you cannot transfer these? And he said, yes. So I said back to him, okay, well, I'm not understanding. How do you think you can sell these points then? He said, well, I will just give you access to my MGM rewards account and you can just get what you want with it. And I said, no, that's not how it works. You, <laughs> even if you gave somebody access to your MGM Rewards account, they would still need to be you to get it. You have to show ID to redeem these. 
He says, oh, I know very well how the program works. And yeah, you sometimes have to show ID, but sometimes you don't. And for example, hotel rooms, you can just book a hotel room for anybody and you can do it online. You don't need to get me involved. And I said, false, that's not true. You cannot go do a booking for somebody else on your MGM account because it'll be in your name. And if you're not there to check in, then the person can't check in. So he said back, yes, they can. There's a way to do it. And I said, I know what you're probably referring to. You're probably referring to putting them on as a secondary guest. The problem is that's hit and miss. Sometimes you'll show up and they will not demand that the primary guest whose points are being used has to check in first. But sometimes they will demand that. Sometimes they'll say, I'm sorry, you're the secondary guest. You can't check in until the primary checks in, and in which case you're screwed. So that's not very valuable if you have to gamble with whether you're going to have a room or not. (laughs) Can you imagine using this guy's account to book your room and then you get there and he's not there because he doesn't live in Vegas. So you get there, he's not there, and they won't let you check in. So now you have no room. That's not very good. It really brings down the value of these points. And I explained that to him. He said, well, I've done this with many people. They've never had a problem before. Once in a while, they've had to call me and I just explain it to the front desk. And I'm thinking, this just doesn't sound right. Like maybe I know some front desk employees are more lax than others, but this kind of sounds like he's just making excuses. And I said, look, I'm just going to be honest with you. Even though you have $40,000 worth of points, the only way I could see them being used is if it's done in this hotel manner and it's not even reliable And people can't use it for food. They can't use it in a lot of places because they're going to be carded every time, especially for a large expenditure. So really, this doesn't have very much value unless you're going to be there to show your ID every time they want to spend it. So he said, I'm not charging a lot of money for this. I'm looking for only a very small percentage of what they're worth. So he told me that he had five offers for $750 for the $40,000 worth of points. Now, first of all, that's kind of weird. Why would five people offer the exact same weird amount of money like $750? Who would ever say, I'll give you $750 for $40K worth of points? Like maybe one person would come up with that number, but how would five independent people say $750? So I didn't even ask how that happened. This kind of looked like he was using it as a negotiation tactic. Like, hey, I've got five people interested for 750, hoping that I'll say, okay, I'll do it for 800. You might be thinking, okay, well, he's probably just lying about having the points. He probably doesn't even have these points. I thought that too. Well, he sent me a screenshot without even asking, like at the very beginning of the conversation. And even though he posted it in public on uh, a Facebook group, he uh, was now talking to me privately. So this entire conversation we're talking about occurred privately, not publicly. So he posted the ad. I don't know how many people really responded to it. He claimed he had five offers, but the whole thing was suspicious. But he sent me at the very beginning of our conversation a screenshot of him on his MGM Rewards account. And it says he has 3,985,200 MGM Rewards points. And then it says under there... $39,852 in comps, which would be correct. He has $5,327 worth in slot dollars. And 
the slot dollars are ones you can actually use in any kind of uh, machine on property that's good as cash. And then he also has $97,000 uh, $97, holiday gift points, which sounds like a lot, but it really isn't that much. So he really hasn't earned very many holiday gift points. And you earn these from playing throughout the year. Caesars has a similar thing as well. And those are separate from the rewards points. So you can't spend the holiday gift points until you go to their holiday gift points event. And that's where you can spend them. Whereas the MGM rewards points, you can spend any time. So... He was showing me what looked like an authentic screenshot. However, it was taken with his cell phone of his computer screen. It looks like it was taken of a, a Mac screen, and he took the cell phone picture of it. He was on the proper URL of mgmresorts.com slash account slash rewards. That's exactly where you would be when you're looking at your account. This did look like an authentic picture that he took with his phone of his screen and you could even see at the top of this screen his gmail tab and his discord tab that looked authentic so i really believed and in fact i still believe that he really did take a picture of his screen as it was and sent it to me so does that mean that he really has forty thousand dollars worth of rewards points and also why is he trying to sell them for such little money. By saying, hey, I have five offers for seven fifty, he didn't say I have five insultingly low offers for seven fifty, or can you believe these cheapskates wanting all this for seven fifty? He was kind of trying to guide me into offering something around seven fifty. Maybe hoping I'll offer eight hundred to beat these other people with the seven fifty who probably don't exist. So why is he looking for so little money here? Is it because he knows these are very hard to use? and therefore he has to sell them at a tremendous discount. But, of course, the question comes up, why would he want to sell them at a, a tremendously huge discount? He claimed he is done with MGM. He's never going back to MGM. He's just done with them. He didn't want to go into why, but he's done with MGM. He just wants to sell his points for whatever he can get and just forget they exist. Well, maybe, I mean... Maybe he had a bad experience there and he just wants to get whatever he can for points he otherwise can't cash out. He's not banned. He's just someone who can't, who doesn't want to come back. So maybe, but I have a question. Why does he have 5,327 slot dollars that he hasn't used? If he's going to go through the trouble of selling his points to a stranger for less than $1,000, why would he not take one final visit to an MGM property and run through his slot dollars to at least cash out that way? That's a lot more valuable than the points he's trying to sell if he's only going to sell them for less than 1000 5327 in slot dollars is worth around $5,000. So why is he leaving that on the table and why is he not mentioning the slot dollars? So that was kind of suspicious, as was the fact that he only had 97000 holiday gift points when he's earned so many MGM reward points. Now, maybe you could say he earned these over the years and he's just been accumulating them and the holiday gift points reset every year. But this was a young guy. So this isn't someone who's been doing this for 15 years. This guy looked very young. But remember, I said that it seemed like that he was showing me an authentic screenshot. So if I think he was an authentic screenshot and it wasn't photoshopped, 
then how could he have these points if they're not legitimate? Well, I had some ideas, but I decided to keep talking to him. So I said to him, you're taking very little money for this uh, large amount of points. It's 40K worth of points. Why don't you just offer to meet someone who's spending a lot of money on a meal or is getting like a month's worth of hotel rooms during World Series of Poker and sell them to someone on the spot for a lot more than this 750 I bet you could get probably uh, 80%, 75% value if you sell it that way. Oh, my time's so valuable. I don't want to waste any of my precious time when I am in Vegas. I'm not even there that often anymore. I don't want to hassle with this. It just sounds so unpleasant. I just want to sell these points and get rid of them. I said, yeah, but you could make way more. Oh, I don't need the money. I'm a very successful poker player, he tells me. But wait a minute, poker player? I hadn't heard of this guy before. I don't know everybody who plays poker, but this guy really is making so much in poker that he doesn't really care about the money here, but yet he wants under $1,000 for all these points, so he does care about the money. And then he's a successful poker player I've never heard of. So I looked up on his Hendon mob, and he had one cash for less than $400. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, successful poker player. All right. So I continued to talk to him out of curiosity. I I knew there was something wrong with this. I knew something was going on. And then I thought about something that was said to me, I don't know, maybe three years ago, by a very reliable source regarding screen displays. This very reliable source was a nine-year-old. It was my son. My son was very proud of himself that he was able to demonstrate to me that he could go to any web page which displays you have some kind of balance on it and that he could then manipulate the web page, not in Photoshop, I mean actually in the browser. He could manipulate the web page to show anything he wants. So he told me, log into my bank account. He'll show my bank account has a million dollars in it. Log into his gaming account and he'll show he has uh, a billion of the in-game currency. So I did. And then he took over the computer and he gave it back to me. And lo and behold, it really showed that. And again, this wasn't a screenshot of it. He was showing me right on my screen in an actual browser these false values about a false balance of my bank account, a false balance of points he has or in-game currency he has on various games he plays. How was he doing it? Well, he was very proud of the fact that he learned about the inspect element trick on Chrome. So you can do something called inspect element on Chrome if you uh, right-click on certain things on the screen and... uh, then you can basically change the content of the web page, even if on the server itself, the web page is the same. So that's what he was doing. He was doing what's known as the inspect element trick. It's not that hard. You just have to click on where the value is you want changed. You right-click it, and then you choose inspect element, 
and then you go through the HTML code and find where that number is displayed. So if you see something reading 500, you go erase the 500 and type in 1 million, and then on the screen it'll say 1 million. It's that simple. So you don't need to be a genius. You don't have to be a master hacker to make it appear this way. It's very easy. A nine-year-old did it and showed me, my son. And really there's no way to detect that has been done other than a sanity check or refreshing the page. So if you were to walk up to my screen and I were to show you my bank balance, but you didn't actually watch me log into the bank, if you just walked in and I said, hey, look at my bank balance and showed you, you would not be sure if I'm displaying a real bank balance to you or one that has been modified through the inspect element trick. In order to be sure you're seeing my real bank balance, you'd have to see me log out and log back in, or at least go to a different page and come back to this page and then see what my balance displays at that point, because there's no way to change that. But as far as something that's already sitting on the screen, unless you see how the person got to that screen, then you can never trust anything it says. So you should keep that in mind, by the way. If anyone says, hey, can you loan me this money here? I'll show you my screen right now showing my bank account. Hey, look, look, here's Wells Fargo showing I got two million bucks in my account. See that? Well, make them log in and show you. Don't just let them show you a screen with it because that could be what's going on. Anyway, I immediately thought of Benjamin being proud of the inspect element trick three years ago and how I believe that's what this guy was doing. So I went on to my MGM rewards account and I tried the inspect element trick myself and I was able to make a very convincing MGM reward screen that displayed that I had $99,000 worth of comps, meaning I had 99 million points. <laughs> and in fact, I posted this on my Vegas Casino Talk forum because we were discussing it over there, what this guy was doing. So I showed everybody how easy it is to modify the screen. And that's why he sent me that screenshot from his phone, because he didn't want to send me a screenshot from his computer, because then I could say, hey, that is something you could have photoshopped. If he's sending me a picture his phone took of the computer, then it looks a lot more legitimate. And remember, I said I believed that was an unmodified picture from his phone, and indeed it was an unmodified picture. He was using the inspect element trick. So did I tell him at this point, you are a scammer and I'm not falling for this and you're not fooling me? No. I was trying to see how he'd react if I asked him various questions that would expose this if he did what I was asking. So I said, you know, I just need to make sure this isn't Photoshopped. I knew it wasn't Photoshopped, but I didn't want to let him know that I was onto the inspect element trick he was doing. So I said to him, can I see you log in either through FaceTime where you just hold up your phone while you're doing it or through TeamViewer? TeamViewer is a program you can run where someone has remote access to your desktop and can operate your computer while you are. You can kick them off at any time, but uh, it's a way that someone else can see what's on your screen. 
So immediately he jumps to the team viewer thing. He says, oh, no, I can't let you do that. I can't let you have a team viewer access to my computer. What are you, crazy? I said, okay, fine, fine. You don't want the team viewer. That's fine. Let's do FaceTime. Why do I have to show you this FaceTime? Why do I have to do this? I've already proven it to you. I said, what do you mean you've proven it to me? You've showed me something, a picture you took with your phone. I don't know if it's Photoshopped. So he says back to me, okay, would you like my LinkedIn? And I said, what is your LinkedIn going to prove? He says, it'll show I'm an exec." It'll show you that I'm an executive at a big banking firm here in the city. (laughs) I said, that doesn't mean anything. I could make a LinkedIn page that says I'm the king of England. That doesn't tell me anything. He says, well, just look at my LinkedIn. Come on, you'll see. I go, what what is that going to show me, though? That shows me what you are claiming to do for a living. And besides, even if you do work for some... uh, big firm there. That doesn't mean that I can trust you. That just means you have a good job. So what I really want to see, I just want to make sure that this isn't photoshopped, I said to him. Now, of course, I already knew what he was doing. I knew it was a scam. I just wanted to see how he'd respond. So then he says, here, man, here's my phone number. Give me a call. And I said, okay, but is this for FaceTime? He says, no, I just want to explain the whole thing to you. And then you'll trust me a bit more. And I said, no, we, we don't need to do that, though. See, he thought he was going to sweet talk me on the phone and talk about what a big shot he was. And I said, I don't need to have a conversation with you. I'd like to have a FaceTime call with you so I can see you log in. But I just want to make sure that this is the screen that displays when you log in. That, that's all I want to do. Now, again, I didn't say I knew how he did it or it would, it would have killed the whole thing right there. So then he says to me, all right, well, fine, uh, you know, I, I guess... We don't have a deal then. I said, yeah, I guess we don't. So it seemed to have ended. Well, no. About a day later, he came back to me and said, hey, how would you like to buy the whole thing for $300? (laughs) Obviously, he was not getting offers for $750. Obviously, I was the only option he had. And even though he knew I was skeptical, he didn't want to give up. I didn't believe he had any points to sell. I believe this is just an outright scam to try to get a small amount of cash. And I think the reason he wasn't getting other responses is I think they probably removed his post because I couldn't find it again when I went to the group to go search for the post. I couldn't find it anymore, so I think they probably removed it, maybe even banned him from the group. So I may have been the only one he was talking to. Maybe I happened to catch it in the short window before it was deleted. So he was really looking to make the sale, and he thought I was probably the only live one who might buy it, even though I seemed to be skeptical. So we went through the whole discussion again. Okay, show me the FaceTime login. No, I can't do that. Uh, I don't need to do that. Here, look at my LinkedIn. Look at this. Look at that. I go, again, I need to see you logging into this account somehow. Otherwise, I can't be sure you really have it. And he says, look, man, I sent you my account statement. I said, no, you didn't. You sent me one screenshot taken with your phone. Look, man, look at my great job. I don't need this money. I go, well, if you don't need this money, then why are you selling 40K worth of points for $300? He couldn't explain that. So again, we kind of were at an impasse and I said, okay, well, it looks like this isn't going to work out. Okay, well, good luck, man. Goodbye. Well, next day, he messages me again. Okay, I have an idea. How about you send me a deposit beforehand and I will give you my account info to log in. (laughs) 
I said, that's the same problem, though. You're asking me to send you money, a stranger on the internet who I don't know, for something I don't know really exists. He said, well, no, it's a deposit. I go, no, it's not a deposit because I am sending you money first before I do anything. He says, come on, you can trust me. It's just a deposit. It's just a small amount of money. What, you think I'm going to steal a few hundred bucks from you? I said, well, why don't you trust me then? You're telling me I have to trust you to send you money, but you're telling me you don't trust me to log into your account? And he says, well, because I don't give anything away for free. (laughs) I said, well, the bottom line is you seem to believe that you can't trust me, a stranger on the internet, to access your account without a deposit. And for that exact same reason, I can't trust you to send you any money for a, quote, deposit when I don't know for a fact that you won't just run off with it because I don't know you either. But I said, I have an idea, though. I have an idea with this deposit. How about I send the deposit to someone that we mutually trust and then they will give it back to me? If it turns out that this is not all you say it is, and they will let you keep it if it is everything you claim, and I just choose not to make the purchase. And he says, oh, come on, man. We don't know any of the same people. We can't do that. So that was his way out of that one. So I just kept saying, I can't send you a deposit. It's basically the same thing as buying it from you without knowing it really exists. You're basically asking me to send you money for something that I can't verify really exists. And it still doesn't make sense to me why I'm supposed to trust you, but you can't trust me. Well, look at my LinkedIn, he says. You, that's why you can trust me. I'm going, okay, we're going around in circles here. So he just would not give up. He kept trying and trying and trying to use just the same flawed logic. I, I don't know why he was doing this, because it should have been clear at some point that I wasn't falling for this. Even though I hadn't done the big reveal yet that I knew this was the inspect element trick and he didn't really have these credits, even though I didn't drop the big reveal on him yet, he should have known that I was very, very skeptical about this and that there was no way I was going to actually make this purchase. And I even told him that. I said, I can't send you a dollar until I see that these really exist as you claimed, until I watch you log in. And he just wasn't accepting that. He really thought he could talk his way out of it. So he tried and tried and tried and tried, and I wasn't budging. And every suggestion I gave, he found a way to shoot down, even if it didn't make any sense. There was a second problem, by the way. Aside from my very strong suspicion he was using the inspect element trick and the inconsistencies with his account that showed all those slot dollars he was going to use, and the fact that he was this supposed big-time poker player that I hadn't heard of and only had a single cash to his name that was under $400, there was one other problem. And that was people revealed on my Vegas Casino Talk forum that there is a cap as far as MGM rewards points that you can earn. And they actually pointed me to the web page that described this. So with certain tier levels, you can earn at most $5,000 worth of MGM rewards points before they stop accumulating. And the highest levels can earn up to 10000 So there is no way somebody could have $40,000 worth of MGM points because once you get to 10000 they will stop accumulating until you spend some and bring it back down. So let's say you get to 10,000. If you play any more, it will not accumulate any further points 
what you'd have to do is spend some of the points, and let's say you spend some and bring it back down to $9,500 worth of points, then you would accumulate another 500 again as you play until you hit 10K, and then it's going to stop. And that's only for the upper tiers. For the lower tiers, it's actually 5,000. But there is no tier where you could earn anywhere near 40,000. So the screenshot he showed me wasn't just unlikely, it was impossible. Now, I didn't bring that up to him, but it was safe to say this whole thing was a complete scam. Every single element of this pointed to it. And when I say element, I don't just mean the elements you inspect. It wasn't just inspect element. It was every element was a scam here. It was just a matter of how long was he going to persist and keep trying to convince me to get it. So we were just debating back and forth, debating back and forth. This happened over a few days. Every time it seemed like it was over, he'd come back again with a a new way to demand less money than before, but still demanding some kind of money. He just wanted to squeeze something out of me. Well, finally, I kind of dropped the bomb. I didn't completely drop the bomb. First of all, I asked him which tournaments he's played. He says, I don't play tournaments in Vegas that much. I just told you, dude, which he didn't tell me. I said, okay, where do you play? He just said, I just fucking told you, dude. I said, you just said you played a full WPT schedule. Lots of that is in Vegas. Now you're saying you don't play in Vegas? He says, no, a lot of it's not in Vegas. Some events are, sure. Regardless, this is getting fucking exhausting. I said, okay, tell me which events you played, and I'll verify if you did. Name them for me. Because I, I knew he wasn't really playing tons of high-stakes events in Vegas. I, he was probably playing a few events and cash one small one, and that's it. He obviously wasn't uh, the big poker player he was claiming to be. So he he didn't want to continue this line of discussion. He just says, let me know if you want the account, dude. And then tells me one series he played, which is the one cash he had there. So I said, so you're telling me you have one small tournament cash to your name? And he says, yeah, I play a lot online. So I said, okay, which online sites do you play? I have connections on those sites too. Tell me which games you play in, and I'll ask my high and middle stakes friends where you play. He says, I don't play cash online, only tournaments but that there's so many people in these tournaments that, that no one can see he's there. He says, this conversation is comedy at this point, dude. I offered you all the fucking info you can have. I said, you know what? You're right. This is tiresome. You're not going to fool me, bro. Clearly, you won't show me the login because the screenshot is fake, just like the one I sent you, because I had earlier sent him a, a screenshot of uh, my fake 99,000, and I was saying that these can easily be modified, so obviously... Uh, I didn't say inspect element. I just mentioned these can easily be modified and that that's why I need to see him actually log in. So I said that clearly the screenshot's fake, just like the one that I sent to him. He said, I said, scroll up and look at the 99K I showed you. I really have almost zero, but it shows 99K. He says, LMAO, whatever you say, buddy. And he says, if you can't afford the $300, that's cool. So he's trying to use that psychological tactic where... The scammer says, oh, well, it's okay. I know you're poor and can't afford it. Oh, well, that's fine. This opportunity will pass by. That's, a, that's really at a scamming 101 where you're hoping the mark says, no, 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 I can afford it. I'm not poor. Let me show you. I, $300, nothing to me. Fine. You want the deposit for $300? i will I'll send you $300. i am not poor. I'll prove you I'm not poor. That, that's what he's hoping I'd say. So he says, if you can't afford the 300 bucks, that's cool. And I said back to him, I can't afford to get scammed out of 300. That's correct. Then he said, Yeah, I worked in tech before. I didn't inspect element, LOL. 
Uh-oh, he just gave away what he did. I said nothing the entire conversation about Inspect Element. I specifically avoided Inspect Element. And he said it now. He said, I didn't Inspect Element, LOL. <laughs> but I guess he realized he wasn't getting a penny out of me. So he said, you're a loser, dude. And he spelled your Y-O-U-R. <laughs> Good luck. Your life seems like shit. I said back, okay, then someone in tech knows that it is very simple to fake all of this, and the only verification worth anything is me seeing you log in, which you won't do. And then in response to his comment of my life being shit, I said, my life would be shit if I fell for this scam, yes. And he said, nobody faked anything, bozo, but whatever you want to believe. I said, okay, bye. And then he did laughing emojis. Wow, what an unhappy loser. Oh, boy. I'm an unhappy loser because I didn't fall for his scam. Ironically, I would have been the unhappy loser if I did fall for the scam. Here I was a happy non-loser because I didn't lose any money. So, yeah, it was just an outright scam. It's interesting that he used the inspect element trick, though, to do that fake screenshot. I mean, I'll give him some points for creativity here. The problem was uh, he didn't craft the story well enough. The the thing with the $40,000 worth of points that someone could look up and see isn't possible. The 5,000-something that he had in slot play that he didn't touch, which I, I think he also falsified, but he thought that made his account look more rich when in reality it, it just made the whole story look unbelievable. Really, this could have been done better if he put some more thought into it. But something he should have learned from any past scams he's done is you, you just give up when the mark isn't going for it. And I will give the foreign scammers that call me, you know, you get these spam calls. I, I usually answer them just because I like screwing with them and hearing what angles they're taking. But as soon as these foreign scammers realize that I'm not going to fall for what they're doing or that I'm messing with them, they just hang up. Occasionally they'll say, fuck you or something and, or something else nasty to me. But they're not going to stay on the phone a long time and debate with me. They're not going to stay on the phone and try to convince me. They think to themselves, okay, this guy knows I'm scamming. This isn't going to work. I'm just going to hang up and move on. In fact, sometimes it's disappointing when these people hang up on me because I, I want to tell them off. I want to tell them that they're a scamming piece of shit. I want to tell them I know exactly what they're doing, that I've been messing with the whole way. I, I don't get that out because as soon as they realize that I'm not serious, they just hang up on me. I actually had a call from the fake cable company a few days ago. So the fake cable company calls me up and says that they're upgrading their system and that my cable box is going to need to do the upgrade in order to work. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is an obvious scam. And it was even from a number that showed like possible spam call on the caller ID. But even without that, the person had the thick foreign accent. They didn't seem to really have very much real info about me or about my cable account or anything. So this really seemed like the whole thing was bullshit. I mean, it didn't just seem it. The, the whole thing obviously was bullshit, but I wanted to understand what the scam was. Like, what were they going to get out of me by convincing me that my cable box needs resetting in some way? So I was trying to get there. I was trying to cooperate. 
But I also didn't want to give them personal info of mine that they could use later in any way. So, like, they said they need to verify my name and address and the phone number it's registered under in order to process whatever they were doing here. So I gave them a a false name, just a completely false name, and then I gave them a false address in a different city, and then the phone number I gave was the one they were calling. So the person says back to me, can you spell the last name? And I said, spell it. Why do I have to spell it? You should have this in front of you. They said, well, I just need you to spell it for me for verification. So I said, okay, fine. But obviously they didn't really – they either – didn't have my name or they did and it didn't sound like the fake one I gave so they wanted to make sure that I really was giving them a different name so anyway I spelled the fake name I gave them then they said what's the address I give them the address well can you spell the street can you spell the city I was getting tired of this I just I wanted to get to the payoff and it was getting tiresome then I asked wait a minute don't you have this information you're calling me you're the cable company you know exactly my service address you know exactly all this information. You just wanted to verify I was that person. I just did it. So I don't understand. I said, well, can you just spell it for me again? I said, well, I'm trying to understand, though. Do you not have this information? Do you not know who you're calling? And then the guy says to me, you're lying to me, and hung up. (laughs) So we never got there. I I guess I could have spelled it all out, but... I thought maybe he actually did have my name and maybe even my address and he was irritated that I was giving fake info or he just didn't like my skepticism with like, why should I have to spell this? You should have it already. But I really wonder what the point of that scam was going to be. My guess was going to be that I had to pay some kind of upgrade fee and they were going to get my credit card or something or maybe they were going to have me give them some kind of information where they actually could charge me in some way and get the benefit of it. I don't mean through the cable company, but maybe I was going to be, quote, buying a new box. You know, maybe they can put me through a whole fake upgrade procedure and then tell me I need to buy a new box or otherwise it's going to stop working in a few days. And I I don't know. I I really wanted to get there because it was kind of weird, but I, I, I was too impatient. But I'll give this guy credit who hung up on me that he hung up as soon as he could tell that I wasn't someone who was likely to fall for whatever he was doing. So this dude on Facebook should have learned from that. He, as soon as I said I need to see him log in, he should have given up. He should have stopped with the whole uh, call me up, let me uh, show you my LinkedIn or give me a deposit. I mean, this was just wasn't going to work. I don't know what he was thinking. These scammers are funny sometimes. Anyway, we're going to move on, even though it's getting pretty late here. It is 1.33 a.m., and I'm just looking at the clock saying, wow, my, 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 look at the time. Oh, yes, look at the time. It's uh, time for Jeffy Time Theater, I suppose. It's always a cue, something about the time. I'm supposed to just barge in here and say something. So here I am, Colonel Nigel Fabersham here, and... Uh, Druffy Time Theater has returned. Uh, Dandruff, he somehow dug into his memory and said, Oh, I forgot to tell you one customer service story from uh, two years ago. And uh, we can't let that happen. We must always know when Dandruff has some sort of uh, altercation in a business. So here comes another one, in case you haven't heard enough. On with it. Thank you, Colonel Fabersham. This is Druffy Time Theater. 
where I tell you personal stories from my life, sometimes a long time ago, sometimes not so long ago. And this one is more recent. This one is a fairly modern story. I'm not going to tell you a 30-year-old story. It's going to be a two-year-old story. And it is one that I hadn't told anyone up until about uh, two days ago. And then I posted it on the forum. And I'm going to tell it here on this show. This is something that was definitely worthy of a Druffy Time Theater story because it's so bizarre. It, it has to do with a fast food place. But it's so bizarre. In fact, I'm surprised it took me two years to tell it. I had started uh, typing it out two years ago when it happened. And then I got distracted with something. I actually put the post aside and then just forgot about it and never completed it. And then the other day I'm thinking, you know what? I never completed that story. So I completed the story and now I'm going to tell it to you here. And that is this week's Druffy Time Theater. The story begins in the middle of 2021. I think it was in June, June or July. And this was shortly after the reopenings following the COVID shutdowns. This is when the worker shortage was at its worst because there were still people receiving money for their staying home during the COVID shutdown. The government was still kicking out checks to people. So a lot of people, especially lower-end workers, did not want to work. And I understand that because if I had one of those jobs and I was getting money from the government, I would not want to work either. So very few people were coming back to work in those type of jobs and this caused, number one, a lot of these places to be shorthanded. And number two, the quality of the workers who did work was very poor because there was just a much smaller pool of people to choose from. And a lot of people were getting jobs who wouldn't otherwise be hired. And a lot of people were not getting fired when they otherwise would for misbehavior. So this is a story that is very much informed by those times. And it hasn't changed all that much for the better since then. It's gotten a little better, but we still have the worker shortage going on. We still have poor service everywhere, and it's a problem. But it was especially a problem in the middle of 2021. So there's a local fast food place that is part of a medium-sized national chain. All the locations are franchised, meaning that they're independently owned. But some of the franchise owners own multiple units within the area. So maybe someone will own 10 different restaurants or six different restaurants, but none of them are corporate owned. All of them are franchised. This is different than a place like In-N-Out where there's zero franchise units where it's all corporate owned. And then there's some others that are somewhat corporate owned and somewhat franchised. Like uh, Denny's are like that, last I checked. So I had started going there, and I was relatively happy with the place. I went semi-regularly. The one thing I didn't like there was the drive through The drive through always made you do this really annoying thing where they tell you to pull forward and wait for your food. And I always hate doing that because if there's any mistake or anything left out, or even if you want extra ketchups or whatever it might be, it's a tremendous pain in the ass because what happens is they're having you pull out of the line so they can get faster times down for their bosses when they check how long each car is in the drive-thru because the drive-thru employees are judged on the average time that 
each car is there. And if the average time's too high, they get disciplined. So they use this trick, and this just shouldn't be allowed. I don't know why they allow it, but they use this trick that when someone is going to be there a while because they have to make an order and it's going to take a few minutes, they say, hey, can you pull forward and we'll bring it out to you. And what they do is they carry it out to you through the front door and hand it to you. But, of course, if there's an issue, it's a big problem because then they have to walk it all the way back in and fix whatever's wrong and walk all the way back out. In the meantime, they still have the other cars in the drive through to deal with that are on the clock. See, I'm not on the clock anymore once I pull forward, so I'm last priority. So I hate it. I'm not just talking about this place. I'm saying that every fast food place that has a drive through does this crap when they think an order is going to take a while. Now, I will cooperate if there's a line behind me, because if I have an order, it's going to take a long time to cook and the people behind me are getting something fast, then it's not that nice to just make them wait. I mean, yes, they're behind me in line, but I can understand there we're pulling forward and waiting for my longer order to come out is a courtesy to the other people behind me, but I don't like doing it so they can trick their bosses. I don't really care about their bosses and whether they're rated as fast or slow. I just don't like having to pull out and then be last priority. And then they're always giving me an attitude when I send them back in for something. So I say, hey, can I have some more ketchup? <sighs> okay. Oh, hey, you put cheese on this burger. I wasn't supposed to have cheese. All right. And they snatch it back from me because they don't feel like walking back in and walking all the way back out. So they just want it to be done when they bring it to me. And I don't like that. You, when you're in the drive through then they have a lot better attitude when you ask for anything, when you correct anything, because you're still right there, and they're right there by where all the food's being made, so it's very easy to fix things. So that that's why it's a huge difference. I really, really hate pulling to the front, and I really will only agree to do that if there are people behind me. Anyway, this place was especially bad with making you pull forward. If anything's going to take like a slight amount of time, they'd make you pull forward. Like every time I went through, they made me pull forward. I'm sitting there waiting forever. I just decided, you know what? I, I just don't like the drive through situation here. So rather than complain about it, I just stopped using the drive through I just started walking in to get my food there. And, you know, whatever. I wasn't resentful about that. I just said, you know, the drive through here kind of sucks because they're always making me pull forward. And I, I didn't want to deal with that. So I'm just going to walk in. No big deal. That's not what the story is about. I'm just explaining why I was walking into the place instead of going through the drive-thru. So I walked in at about 9.45 p.m. on a particular day to order takeout. Now, this might sound like a time that is just before closing, but it's not. They actually are open till 11. So this is more than an hour before closing, meaning I wasn't walking into the place in the last few minutes and putting people out, which, by the way, is my right to do. I can walk in any time because there's open certain hours and the employees are supposed to serve you during those hours. I'm just saying that that's not what was happening here. When you're going to hear this story, know that there is more than an hour left until they closed. So I walk in and there's nobody tending to the register. There was a young Hispanic guy who was sweeping the floors kind of near the register. He looked about 20 years old to me. He had a headset on, but I couldn't see him talking to anybody. But he did have a headset on, and he was sweeping the floor. I thought, okay, maybe he's uh, taking a drive-thru order, and then he has to wait till that's done. And then when he's done taking that drive-thru order, he'll go back and uh, man the cash register. I thought maybe this is a product of the place being shorthanded. So I waited, and I waited, and he saw me. 
he looked right at me and saw me waiting for my order to be taken. I'm standing there right at the cash register, and he just keeps sweeping like I'm not there. I also notice after about five minutes pass that he's not talking to anybody on that headset. He's just sweeping, 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 sweeping for five minutes and not stopping to take my order, which is weird. Like I'm thinking, okay, is he like the janitor or something? <laughs> like, if he is, then where is the person who takes my order? So I wasn't even sure if this was the person who was supposed to take my order, but I needed to get his attention. He'd seen me for five minutes. The right thing was for him to either come over and take my order or get someone's attention to come over and do it for me if it's not his job to do. But nothing was happening. He's just seeing me there at the cash register, not acknowledging me. He didn't say a thing to me. I'd never seen or dealt with him before, by the way, so there was no bad blood or anything. So I politely said to him, hi, can I place an order, please? And he looked surprised. Like, how can I be asking that? <laughs> He's sweeping. He's been sweeping for, for five minutes. Why? How dare I ask for an order to be taken? So he looked surprised and said, uh, you want to place an order? And I said, yeah, I, I, I'd like to place an order, please. So he put down the broom and walked to the register. I could tell he was already annoyed. I could tell he felt like I was interrupting his cleaning. He really did not want to take my order, but what can he do? I asked him to, so he asked to. And it turned out it was his job to do. I was ordering for multiple people. And one of the sandwiches I was getting, remember, this is a takeout order, so I'm by myself, but I'm ordering for multiple people. One of the sandwiches I was getting the person had asked me to substitute pepper jack for Swiss. So the sandwich came with Swiss. They wanted pepper jack. So I had done this before at this place, and there had never been an upcharge for doing this because I'm not adding cheese. I'm removing one kind of cheese, Swiss, and replacing it with pepper jack. I had done this before at this exact same place, and they never charged me. I had done it ordering online. They never charged me. I did it back when I was ordering through the drive-thru. They never charged me. And at every place I've ever been to where you get some kind of sandwich, fast food or otherwise, and you switch one cheese for another, they never charge you. They will charge you if you add cheese, but never for swapping one cheese from another. It's just very, very standard not to charge in that spot anywhere, including this place. Anyway, this guy, I'll call him Juan. That was not his real name, but I'll call him Juan in the story. He's a young Hispanic man. He rang up an 80 cent charge for that pepper jack substitution. Now, 80 cents is not very much money. And I could have just sat there and said nothing. I could have just said, okay, you know, it's not supposed to be an upcharge, but I won't even mention it. It's only 80 cents. So is that what I decided to do? I think you know the answer. I'm not going to ever pay for anything that I'm not supposed to pay. Now, I was not committed to fight very hard for this 80 cents, but I've got to say something. I've got to at least bring it to his attention that this is an incorrect charge in a polite way. So that's what I did. I explained to him that we're just substituting one cheese from another. They never charge that here, and I usually don't see this being charged anywhere for a cheese for cheese substitution. So can he please uh, remove the 80 cent charge? He came back and said, we always charge 80 cents for Pepper Jack. And he was sounding more and more irritated. I said, no, but this is a substitution. It comes with Swiss, right? He said, yes. I said, well, shouldn't that be an even exchange? You take off the Swiss, you replace it with Pepper Jack. He kept insisting it was the 80 cent upcharge. And I said, it's not an 80 cent upcharge, but I was not going to make a federal case about this. So I actually 
did something I rarely do. I accepted the 80 cent charge, even though I knew for sure it was wrong. Because I could tell this guy was just really getting frustrated. I just wanted to finish the order and get the food, and I was willing to eat the 80 cents. So I let that go. But he's already pissed that I questioned him in the first place and that he had to stop cleaning. So I'm looking up at the menu to see what I want for myself because I hadn't decided yet. I took about 15 seconds, and he says to me, look, I got to get back to cleaning here. Are you going to finish this order or not? So that's very rude. I wasn't making him wait there for five minutes. I was taking literally like 15 seconds to look at the menu and see what I wanted before he blurted out he has to get back to cleaning, which I could tell was on his mind the entire way. The entire way, what was on his mind was, I hate having to take this order. I've got to finish this cleaning. I really don't even want to be doing this. So speed this up, buddy. I don't want to talk about 80 cents. I don't want you to think about what you want. Just blurt it out and let me get back to my sweeping, which is, which is ridiculous, of course. That's his secondary job is to sweep. The primary job is to take orders from the customer. So before I could even answer, he stepped away from the register, grabbed the broom, and started cleaning again. Can you believe this? <laughs> he actually walked away from the register. He was not there anymore. He actually left the register. That is crazy. I've never seen that. In my life, I have never seen once that in the middle of an order that the person gets frustrated and just leaves. <laughs> he didn't leave to get anybody. He didn't leave to get another person to take my order. He just decided he's done with me. It's sitting there in the middle of the state of being ordered. So there's a total on the cash register, but I haven't paid and it hasn't been submitted yet. And he's got a broom and he's sweeping again. So I was shocked. I said, wait, what's going on here? Why are you cleaning? We're in the middle of my order. He said, yeah, I asked if you're going to finish. You didn't answer. So I decided to get back to cleaning. And I said, what kind of priorities are these? You think sweeping behind the register is the reason to abandon my order in the middle? So then he steps back to the register and he says, well, you're going to finish the order or not. Very, very rude guy. So at this point, I'm just done with him. I'm tired of him. I said, you're being very disrespectful to the customer. I don't understand what you've been doing the whole time here. You left me standing here for five minutes before even acknowledging me. And I had to finally say something. When you take my order, you act like I'm putting you out. I don't understand why sweeping the floor is taking priority over taking my order when you're here in the front to take orders. I, I just don't understand what's going on here. And I don't understand why you're getting so mad that I'm trying to place an order and why you walked away in the middle. That, that's not a way you treat customers. And I said, you know, I'd like to speak to the manager. So he said, there's no manager here. I said, there's no manager at all? So you're the top person here? I don't believe that. He says, well, there's a shift manager. I said, okay, let me speak to the shift manager. So the shift manager came over. She was also Hispanic. She was about 35 years old in my estimation. She was making excuses for Juan. She was claiming that she was listening to the whole thing. And she said that, Unlike what I just told her, she didn't hear him say the words, I need to get back to cleaning. For some reason, him saying those exact words was very important to her, which he did say, by the way. But she said she didn't hear him say that, that she's been listening to the entire exchange and that she doesn't see anything wrong here. And I said, what do you mean you don't see anything wrong? This is the first time in my life I've been ordering and the person just steps away in the middle of the order and starts doing something else. I've never seen that in my life. And also, he was very rude to me throughout. Also, he wouldn't even ask me if I wanted to make an order when he saw me at the cash register for five minutes. So how can you defend all this? How can you defend him walking away from the register? 
She said, well, it wasn't that he was walking away from the register. He was just multitasking. (laughs) I said, come on, multitasking. He wasn't multitasking. He switched one task to the other. That's not multitasking. He wasn't doing two things at once. He walked away from the register and left me just standing there so he could finish cleaning because he didn't want to deal with me anymore. Even though I backed down about the whole thing with a pepper jack charge. So I asked her, she kept defending it, but I said, okay, if I asked the store manager here, is this store policy to leave while a customer's ordering in the middle to sweep the floor, would they say yes or no? And she said, well, no, they probably wouldn't. They probably wouldn't say that's okay. I said, okay, well, then it looks like I've made my point, right? Why, why does it matter if he said those words? We can agree that he stepped away and started cleaning, right? Well, yes. And you're telling me that's right? Well, no, it wasn't. But, but here, let me, just, let me just do this. Let me take it for you, sir. Let me take over. I'll just finish the order for you. And uh, I'll even not charge to the pepper jack. <laughs> so I said, okay. okay, fine. So she finished taking the order. And I was almost about to abandon it because I'm sure you're thinking, wow, I bet they spit all over that food. Well, they couldn't because I could see them preparing it. It it was an open preparation area, so I could see the food being prepared. I committed to stand there and watch like a hawk and make sure they could see me watching like a hawk. So they knew they couldn't do this. But that's the only reason I even continued with this. Otherwise, I would have walked out because I wouldn't have trusted food. Otherwise, it was made in the back that I couldn't see. So while I was waiting for it to be made, uh, I asked her, you know, so what, what's going to happen here? I can't believe this whole exchange even occurred. I can't believe the guy walked away from the register, and I'm very surprised you're still defending it. And she says, well, I'll tell the manager about this tomorrow. And I said, no, actually, I'll tell the manager about this tomorrow. So when is this manager going to be in, and what's their name? So she told me the manager's name and said that she doesn't know when she's going to come in, but... I, I can try to reach them tomorrow if I want. In the meantime, I'm noticing Juan is listening in, and he's looking really unnerved and agitated. Like, he's furious about this. The fact that I'm uh, complaining about him to the shift manager and that I'm talking about coming back and uh, talking to the manager. So after I uh, completed the order here, uh, I'm, I'm standing there waiting for my food to be made, watching really closely. And Juan is still going around sweeping. So he eventually exits the area behind the counter and then starts sweeping around the rest of the restaurant. And he gets close to me. And I'm, I've got this weird feeling that he's so pissed. And this guy is like 20 years old. He kind of had gang member vibes from what I could tell. He just kind of seemed like a former gang member, maybe even a current gang member. He just seemed like that type of guy. I, I wasn't expecting exactly uh, professional handling of this out of him. And I was a little bit concerned. He might try to take a swing at me or maybe even worse. So I was really on edge watching him out of the corner of my eye and ready to defend myself if he were to attack me while I'm waiting for the food to be made. I was still kind of thinking maybe I should just get a refund and leave. But uh, I I just I said, you know, I'm going to see this through. I'm not going to let this asshole chase me out. But uh, I'm going to be very, very careful. I'm going to be... St- watching the entire time without making it obvious I'm watching of where he is. And if, as soon as he gets close to me, I'll be very, cons- you know, I'll be very on guard to make sure that he doesn't try anything. So he's sweeping, 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 and then gets close to me. And I'm thinking, okay, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? 
And then he walks by and says, I'll see you tomorrow, sir, and keeps sweeping. That's kind of a weird thing to say. I'll see you tomorrow, sir. How's he going to see me tomorrow? So I'm thinking, is that a threat? Like he's going to come find me? And then I thought, oh, wait a minute. I mentioned that tomorrow I'm going to talk to the manager. He probably thinks I'm going to come in and talk to the manager and not call in, which was my plan. I didn't say I'm going to call. I had in my mind I was going to call, but they didn't know that. So he probably thought that I was going to come in tomorrow and talk to the manager. But why would he say that? Why would he say, I'll see you tomorrow, sir? So obviously this was some kind of intimidation move. He was basically saying that he'll see me tomorrow when I'm coming in to report him, so I better be careful. That, he left out the last part, but that's what he meant. So, okay, you're going to come complain about me? I'll see you tomorrow. Come tomorrow if you dare. That basically was the message he was giving me. Again, he wasn't thinking I was just going to call. So that was really bizarre. But I didn't respond. I just let him say that and keep sweeping. Well, they gave me my food. I walked out. I'm wondering if he's going to follow me. And fortunately, he wasn't. He still had his head down. And he was across the uh, restaurant. And it seemed like he wasn't going to be following me. So it seemed like I was concerned about this for nothing. So I get to my car. I unlock it. I open the door. And then I hear a familiar voice across the lot. It's Juan's voice. He's standing by the door of the fast food place, and he says, I'll see you tomorrow, sir. He actually followed me out, just kind of delayed. He wasn't right behind me, but he came out about 30 seconds after I did and walked out the door when I was at my car and shouted across, I'll see you tomorrow, sir. So again, I didn't say anything, and I just got in my car and drove away. He did not attempt to step into the parking lot. He did not attempt to catch up to me. But he was clearly following me to make those ominous, I'll see you tomorrow threats. He definitely wanted to get that out one more time, maybe hoping I wouldn't come back. So the good news is I got safely home without Juan stabbing me in the parking lot. I also wasn't going to go back to this place again. But what just happened there? And what should I do from this point? Should I say I'm not coming back and just forget the whole thing and just not take it any further? Or should I attempt to report one to the manager for what happened here? I decided this was just too weird and too jarring to let go. So I called the place shortly after getting home and that same shift manager, remember the 35-year-old woman who seemed to be uh, oddly defending him? I'll call her Maria for the purposes of this story. She looked around 35 I told her about how I got followed out at the end, and I reiterated how frustrated I was with the entire hostile interaction at the counter and everything else that happened. And then Maria said back, actually, as soon as that happened at the counter, I talked to Juan and I made sure he didn't follow you out. I was very clear to him he couldn't do that. So actually, when he went outside, he wasn't following you. He was bringing a shake to a customer who was waiting from the drive-thru. Now, it is true. Remember, I mentioned that they often tell drive through customers to go to the front. However, I didn't really believe this. What were the chances that right when I walked out to take my food and go home, that he happened to walk out 30 seconds after that with a shake to bring to a customer and wasn't following me? But 
she kept insisting that's really what happened. She said, I made sure he had that shake in his hand before he went out. It was for your protection. It was for everyone's protection. I made sure he had that shake in his hand. I was looking out for you, she said. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. She was basically saying that her concern as soon as this happened was that, yes, he was going to follow me out and attack me in some way. That's not what she was directly saying, but that's what she was strongly implying, that she was very concerned this might happen and that she made sure he understood that he's not allowed to set foot out of there unless he has something he has to bring to another customer. So that when he was about to follow me out, she said, well, wait a minute, you, you, I told you you can't go out. And he said, oh, I've got this shake I've got to bring. She's okay, well, then have the shake in your hand and go out. Otherwise, you're not allowed to follow him. So she actually knew I was being followed, and he justified it. Well, I got to bring the shake to this guy. Well, okay, fine, but if you only if you bring the shake, which is weird. <laughs> like, what's the shake going to do? But she wanted him to have an actual purpose to go out there, not just to follow me. So she's trying to say that uh, she was protecting me by making sure that he was only going out in the course of doing his job, and that at the very least he has the shake in his hand, so he's in the middle of doing his job and not just going out there to hassle me. And I'm thinking, this is insane. How could this guy still be working here if that's the concern? If you have to lecture employees not to follow out the customer and either hassle them, fight them, or stab them, and to not go out right behind them unless you actually have a purpose to go out, that person should not be working there, even if it's fast food. So I'm thinking this is an insane conversation that she actually foresaw that this could happen, that I would be followed out and hassled, or worse. So I said, why is this guy working here if you have to make sure he's not following customers outside after they're they're unhappy with him? And she said, I was just making sure. I told him he couldn't go outside until you were gone unless he had food to bring out there. I made sure he had that shake in his hand before he stepped out the door. I didn't know he would say anything to you. Well, I did believe she had some kind of conversation about having to go out with food only. The fact that she even had to have it, or the fact that she'd even let him go out following me. Why not just say, look, once this guy leaves, we're going to have to send somebody else out in your place because we don't want you out there hassling him, if that's the concern. Not, well, you can't follow him unless you have a shake in your hand. But yeah, if you've got a shake in your hand, then yeah, go ahead and stab the guy. It's cool. But don't drop that shake. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I'm thinking... What kind of conversation is this that I'm having with her? So then I pivoted back to the initial interaction that I had at the counter with Juan and with her. I said, why were you defending him when I asked for you at the restaurant? I said, he abandoned the order in the middle and just left it sitting there on the cash register and started cleaning again. He left me standing there by myself. I've I've never had that in my life. So... I wasn't hesitating for more than a few seconds. How can you even defend that? How can you defend how rude he was to me the whole way? And she said, I was listening to the whole thing as it happened. He never said the words, hurry up, I need to get back to cleaning, just like I told you. So there's not much I can do about it. I said, well, what do you mean there's not much you can do about it? First of all, everything that he did and said there was pretty bad. And, and second, he did get back to cleaning. Why does it matter if he says he has to get back to cleaning? He actually did it. You saw that, right? She's like, well, yeah. I said, okay, so you think it's okay that he abandons my order in the middle and gets back to cleaning because he's frustrated with me? You said it was multitasking. He wasn't multitasking. He, he gave up on my task. 
And I asked, why are you trying so hard to make excuses for him? It just seems like whatever I say to you about what he did, you find an excuse to make it not sound that bad. Why are you doing this? I don't understand. Is there, is there some reason you're trying really, really hard to make it seem like he wasn't in the wrong? So she couldn't give me a straight answer. She says, well, sir, I, I'm sorry. I, I know you see it differently than I do. I'm just trying to tell you what happened here. I'm trying to tell you what I heard. I didn't hear him say that, that he has to get back to cleaning. I just saw him starting to clean again. I think he was trying to do a few things at once. Uh, he, when he f- went out after you, it was just because he had to deliver that shake. I know it looks bad to you, but it's, it's not really what it seems. I, I just don't agree. So I said, you know, something strange is going on here. I, I'm not satisfied with this at all. So, uh, I, I am going to be calling and speaking to the general manager, just to let you know. So you might want to get ahead of this and tell them what happened, because otherwise I'm going to. And she said she understood, and we ended the call. After I hung up, I realized I had one other problem. The time before, I had just bought $100 worth of gift cards from the place. Now, that sounds like a lot, but it's really not, because I'm ordering for several people. And you know, after a few times there, it, it adds up, and it $100 get spent. The reason I bought the gift cards is because there was a limited time promotion where you get 25% more in gift cards than what you pay. So the $100 I spent, I got $125 worth of gift cards. I did not use any of them on this visit I was just talking about because I forgot to bring them that time. So the gift cards, I was going to have to wait for next time, but now there was not going to be a next time. And now I had $100 worth of gift cards for a place that I justifiably did not want to come back to. So I realized that I had to really see this through because I wanted to get a refund for these gift cards given everything that happened. Now, I'm not someone who believes you're entitled to a refund for gift cards usually. So if I just decided, hey, I decided I don't like your food anymore. I want a refund on these gift cards. They don't have to give it. That's the whole point of gift cards is once you buy it, it's bought. But when one of their employees acts in this uh, extremely rude and threatening fashion and then you don't want to go back, then yes, they should give back the money you spent on the gift cards. So I knew I was going to have to speak to management and get them to authorize this. And besides, I wanted to report this anyway. So the next day, I called up and spoke to the manager. I had not remembered meeting her before. I hadn't seen her. At least I didn't think I'd seen her in the times I'd been there. She was a middle-aged sounding Hispanic woman. She sounded older than Maria was. She kind of sounded like kind of near my age. And unlike the other two, Maria and Juan, who seemed like they were probably American-born, she was not. She had a fairly thick accent. I will call her Rosa. Rosa was fairly nice, and she made a hell of a lot more sense than Maria and Juan did. But still, my interaction was not very satisfying with Rosa. Rosa did admit to me that they already had problems with Juan being rude to other customers. Rosa also said that they would have fired him weeks ago if they didn't have such a hard time getting workers. She says, you know how it is these days. It's very, very hard to get workers. And now that part's true. And I said to her, I believe you. I believe it is very hard to find workers right now. I know that every place is going through this. But obviously, this is pretty bad. I mean, not only did the guy follow me out and and say twice, once in the restaurant, once out, that he'll see me tomorrow. Not only was he super rude to me in the restaurant itself not only did he walk away from the register in the middle of an order but the shift manager was nervous he would go out and do something to me to where she had to lecture him beforehand not to so obviously you can't keep someone here working like that well amazingly even though she said she believed my story she said she wasn't sure if they were going to fire him 
She said, we just don't have enough people. We're already shorthanded. If we let him go, then we're going to really not have enough people to operate. So I'm going to talk to my bosses what to do about Juan. We might fire him. We might not. It depends if we can find people to replace him. But uh, if we don't fire him, I'll make sure he stays away from you when you come in next. So I told her, look, I believe you about the worker shortage, but you can't continue. You, you cannot continue leaving this guy employed here after what he did. He's even trying to make me scared to come back by repeatedly telling me I'll see you tomorrow and following me out to shout that to me. So you, you can't leave this guy here. Even without the I'll see you tomorrow crap outside the restaurant, even without that, you shouldn't leave him here with uh, walking away from the register and everything else. He barked at me. I mean, you, you can't leave this guy working here. I said, this guy's enough of a threat to where the shift manager has to keep tabs on him and tell him he has to be holding a shake when he goes outside. So she said, look, the, what happened here with you was that we have been noticing for the last two weeks that he hasn't been doing his part cleaning, that everybody has to do their part to clean because we don't have enough people so we can have just one person doing all the cleaning. So everybody has to help clean. And he wasn't doing it. And so we told him he needs to clean when no customers are there and do his part or otherwise we're going to have to let him go. So she said, I think he took it too seriously. I think what happened was he thought we meant you have to clean. And once you start, that's the most important thing. And she says, obviously he misunderstood and that's why he was angry when you interrupted his cleaning. I'm not defending it, but that's kind of what happened here. And I said, well, all right, even if you want to ignore his rude exchange with me at the counter and him leaving me there for five minutes and walking away from the register in the middle, if you want to ignore all that and just say he was confused that he was supposed to be cleaning, him saying twice, including following me out and saying he'll see me tomorrow should be grounds enough to fire him. In fact, even Maria, your shift manager, knew he was a threat to me and warned him beforehand. So it's not just my imagination. So she said, well, look, as I said, we'd like to fire him, but we just can't replace him easily. And if we fire him, then we're so shorthanded, we won't be able to operate. So I, I'm, maybe we'll fire him, but I have to get the permission from my bosses. <sighs> I said, all right. Look, I'm not coming back anyway after this whole thing. So... I want these gift cards refunded. And I explained to her why I bought these believing that I would have normal interactions here, not one of your employees trying to act in a threatening fashion. So can you give me back what I paid for these gift cards? I'll give you back all $125 worth and you give me the $100 I paid. She says, I don't have the power to do that. I need, again, to talk to my bosses about this. I said, wait, the general manager of the location doesn't have the power to refund the gift cards that I just got? And she said, no, actually I don't. I cannot refund them unless I get permission from my bosses. Now, believe it or not, that may not have been a lie. The recent model for chain places puts kind of a monkey in as a general manager. The model prior to that, which I would say mid-2010s and before, was an intelligent and capable person would be the general manager. They would be paid a lot more than everybody else, and they would be empowered to basically do anything. It was almost like it was their store, and they would hire someone who really knew what they were doing and really had customer service skills. But that's gone out the window, not just because of COVID. This started before COVID, where they realized that they are probably wasting money. When I say they, I mean like all kinds of places like this, not even just fast food, like a lot of chain places of all kinds 
put a general manager there who just is not very competent, not very bright, and isn't being paid very much, and they leave the real power in the hands of the district manager who's above them. I guess they figured that not enough things happen to justify paying someone that much at the store. So they figure that they'll put the district manager there to make the actual decisions. And they'll be paid well, but the general manager won't. So this was clearly what was going on here. So I did believe her that she didn't have the authority to give me back the gift cards. Then I thought about, you know what? It's 2021. Maybe they have a video of this whole thing. They have video cameras in these places. Like, for example, if they get robbed. So the video camera could show our entire interaction. There was no robbery going on, but they could probably see and maybe even hear the entire interaction. So I asked, is there a video camera on the counter? And she said, yes, there is. I said, oh, good. Well, can you bring that up? And then you can see the whole thing. She said, well, I would love to, but I don't have the password to view it. (laughs) She had to get the password from her bosses or have them view it and show her. That's how little power they gave her. And I believed all this, too. (laughs) They really did just put in a monkey there who had no ability and probably paid her shit and wouldn't even let her see the video of the place. It's a password that they kept away from her. So I said, okay, when can I speak to this uh, general manager? She said, well, let me speak to the general manager and uh, I'll tell you what he says and then I'll call you back. I said, okay, when will you call me back? Well, I probably can't call you back the remainder of today and maybe not tomorrow, but uh, definitely within two days you'll get a call. I said, okay, thank you. So I waited two days, no call. Three, no call. Four, no call. Five days, no call. A week passed, I did not hear from her. So I decided to call back. I called back, she was not in. I left a message, no call back. Well, looks like I was getting blown off. That wasn't good. And it didn't surprise me because it seemed like she didn't really want to take action. It seemed like she just kind of wanted me to go away. She didn't want me to exchange these gift cards back. She probably didn't have the authority anyway. And she probably didn't want to tell the district manager about this whole story. And she probably just wanted this whole thing to vanish. She already knew this one guy was a piece of shit because she told me, and I believe her, that he already had a lot of issues being rude to other customers. So she just didn't want any further disruption. She just wanted me to disappear. Well, I wasn't going to disappear. I needed my hundred bucks back from the gift cards. And I also wanted someone in authority to know what had happened here and take some real action. I couldn't force them to, but I figured the district manager was the next stop. So I uh, tried calling and letting someone else answer the phone at this place. And I said, hey, can I have the number of the district manager? And the person who answered the phone said that they aren't allowed to give that information. So I tried a different location. I thought maybe they knew I wanted to speak to the district manager and they told everybody not to tell me. I didn't identify myself when I called, but maybe they knew it was probably me. So they're hiding it from me. I'm not saying they were. I'm saying that my thought at the time was maybe they were doing that. So remember, this is a chain. So I called up a nearby location, figuring that there's a good chance that uh, it could be owned by the same people and that... uh, the same district manager would be managing this one as well. And if not, maybe he could get me in contact through the uh, the corporate office who the district manager is. So I figured that the other location would probably help me more. I tried. Well, sure enough, the other location told me the same thing. That information was confidential. It was the same district manager as the location I had been to, but they cannot give me that information. 
The best I could do was leave my name and number, and they'd pass on the message. I thought, you know what? I'm tired of leaving my name and number. I'm going to figure this out on my own. So I said, okay, well, thanks for the offer, but no thanks. Uh, Goodbye. Well, I Googled the restaurant and its location, and I found a newspaper article when it had its grand opening. And one of the pictures from the article featured a middle-aged, Middle Eastern-looking man. And this Middle Eastern man was pasting decals on the window. And the caption named him and said he was the manager of the West L.A. location. Now, that seems strange to me. Why would the manager of the West L.A. location, which isn't that close to me, come over to this location to paste decals on the window? They could get anyone to do that. Why would they bring the manager of a different location for that? So I figured that there's a good chance this is actually the district manager who doubles as the general manager of the West L.A. location. Also, I noticed that the owner, who they also pictured and interviewed in the article, was Middle Eastern himself. So I thought, okay, this this is probably two Middle Eastern guys, one who's uh, the owner, the other one who's either a relative or friend of his, and probably the owner's hands off and then leaves this guy in charge of the locations they're running. And the article said that they own six locations now. So they probably put this dude who's pasting the decals in charge of all six locations. He's basically the big boss. So that's who I've got to reach. But how do I reach him? I have his name now, but how do I reach him? So I Google his name, and it came up. It came up actually in a Yelp review of the West L.A. location, where people were leaving one-star reviews and complaining, and then he would respond, please call me, I'd like to speak to you about your concern. My name is this, my phone number is this. So he was giving out his name and phone number publicly on Yelp. So that was nice to see, because I knew I could call him and I wouldn't be intruding in any way. He was actually inviting people to call him. Not about this location, but about the West L.A. location. And it seemed like, my, from my guess there, from my deduction, that he probably was the district manager, the big boss of all the locations. So I called the number. I reached him on my first try. I will call him Assad in this story. That's not his real name, but that's what I'll call him. So Assad said that, yes, I was correct. He was both the store manager for the West L.A. location as well as the district manager for all the Southern California units. So I was right. So I told him the entire story. And I could tell he was legitimately appalled and pissed off. And I can tell when I'm complaining to someone about a business, I'm I'm complaining about a manager, I can tell whether I'm getting jerked around and being made to feel like they're going to take it seriously or when they're legitimately angry and are going to take action. The interaction I had with Rosa... I could tell she was just trying to say whatever she could say to get me off the phone and she wasn't going to do anything. But this guy, Assad, I could tell was pissed. I I could hear it in his voice. I could hear that he was very, very frustrated to hear this story. Not that I was calling him, not that I was telling it to him, but the fact that it occurred was pissing him off. And then he started to rant to me. He says, first off, I want to apologize to you. There's no way any of this should have happened. But you have no idea how much money we put into this location. You have no idea what we spent. Like, whatever you think it probably was, it was more than that. And it's getting me really pissed off to hear that this is happening here because I've been wondering why the business has not been very good over there. This location has been lagging behind the others. And I I think I know why now. I I think they're driving people away. And I believe you, but I'm shocked to hear this. So he was hopping mad. 
Okay, perfect. That's what I wanted. I wanted him to be hopping mad. I wanted him to take this seriously. Ro- Rosa's trying to tell me all the reasons they can't fire one, and, oh, you know, uh, we told him he should be sweeping. He just misunderstood what we meant by that. So I wasn't being taken seriously at all by Rosa, but this guy was really pissed, and this guy was saying they invested a lot of money. I mean, who knows? This may have been family money. He may be related to the owner, but he was ranting to me about the money they spent on this location. It's not It's not doing well, and, and now he thinks he knows why. I mean, you Boy, was he pissed. So I'm thinking, okay, we're going to get some action here. He told me that he would check the cameras. He said that the cameras I mentioned indeed have direct views and audio of the counter area, that they set it up that way on purpose. So he would be able to both look at the video and hear the audio of my interaction with Juan at the counter. And he said he's going to check it. He said if even 10% of what I'm telling him is true, that Juan is gone. He actually said that. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm firing for sure if even 10% of your story is correct. So it seemed to me like Juan was going to be canned. It seemed pretty certain that was going to happen because I was telling the truth. He said, as far as Marie is concerned, she's done a very good job. I've had no problem with her. I like her. I think she's a good employee, and it it surprises me to hear the way she handled this. But you know what? I'll investigate this. If it seems like that she was complicit in this situation, I'm going to terminate her as well. I I don't want to do it. I probably won't do it. But uh, if I have to, I will do it. Then I said, you know, uh, as far as Rosa's concerned, I was very surprised how she did not take this seriously. I was very surprised how she said that she's probably going to keep Juan employed there and that it seemed like she was making excuses herself. It seemed like she wasn't going to take any action. And he said, that also surprises me. He said, Rosa's a smart woman. She's good at her job. It's really hard for me to believe that she'd still let him work there if this happened, but I'm going to find out. He said, one other thing that's bothering me is that Rosa was supposed to call me if something like this happened. She knows she's supposed to do that, and she didn't. And this is also a big deal, he said. He said, he should have known about this already. He doesn't like that he's hearing it for the first time from me. I said to him, you know what? It was even hard to reach you because they wouldn't give me your information. They wouldn't, and the nearby store would not. I had to Google it and find it on Yelp. And find that article about the grand opening. I had to deduce it. Nobody gave me this information. They said, I don't know why they were doing that. It's not a secret. You, you saw I posted my number on Yelp for people to call me about the West LA location. So I'm not trying to hide my info. Well, that's a good point. <laughs> I didn't understand what was going on there. So I thought now that I had his attention and now that it seemed like he was agreeing with me. And he told me he believed me. He said, I believe you, but I, I need to check for myself, which is totally reasonable. He had cameras there. I mean, let, let the guy check and verify my story. So I said, okay, well, I'm not asking for you to commit to this right now. You're welcome to check into this entire thing and get back to me. But I've got these gift cards, and I explained to him that I bought the gift cards when I was happy with the place, and then after this traumatizing event, I don't want to come back there. So can they refund the gift cards? I haven't used them. I'll return all $125 worth, and they give, give me back the 100 I paid. Well, he did not like that idea. He said, look, we really want to make this right for you. Let me handle this. I'll call you back. I'll even give you a a whole meal on me. Just please let me fix this for you. I'd like to keep your business. And I said, no, I appreciate you want to keep my business. The problem is you're not going to be the one making my food. So I don't feel comfortable eating there now. Even if you end up firing Juan and Maria, 
The problem is that maybe their friends are still working there. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure you understand. I don't think you'd want to go back in the same situation if this happened to you. So all I'd like is to get these gift cards refunded. And then, you know, maybe in six months ago, maybe in six months or so, when everything is forgotten about and the dust has settled, then uh, I'll consider coming back. So that wasn't really true. I was never going to come back there, but I wanted them to think I was possibly going to come back so they'd be more cooperative with keeping me happy and refunding the gift cards. If I just said, well, I'm never setting foot in the place for the rest of my life, then they'd possibly say F you. I wanted them to think that they could get my business back. I just needed like a cooling off period after this. So Assad still didn't like the idea of the gift card refund. He said there won't be a problem again. None of our other employees would take this out on you. That's not how they are. They're good people. And I said, look, I, I, I don't know them, though. And the fact that this happened here, the fact that the shift manager didn't seem to care, the fact that even the general manager didn't seem to care much, I just I just don't feel comfortable at the moment. I, I still think that there will be people resentful about this if anyone gets fired. So uh, can I please just have the gift cards back? And again, I'll, I'll consider coming back in six months or so. So he finally relented, finally agreed he would refund the gift cards if his investigation revealed that all or at least part of my story was true. So, okay, fine. He said, I believe you. I fully believe you. But just give me a week to investigate and I'll call you back. So, okay. Gave it a week. No callback. Not again. Another week passed. No callback. I thought, after this whole thing and he's all pissed off like he was, how is he forgetting to call me back? I I have a feeling he's not calling me back because of the gift cards. He doesn't want to give back the money. So he's just kind of avoiding me. So I called him, got his voicemail, left a message, no callback. So I decided I'm going to have to just keep calling the guy, and eventually he'll answer the phone. And uh, I wasn't showing my caller ID at any point, so he can't see it's me. So unless he's just not going to answer any non-caller ID calls, and if that's what he's doing, I can also call from other numbers that he won't know is me. Like I just got to get him on the phone, because for sure he's investigated by now. So the following week, I tried again, and he answered the phone. So he said, I'm sorry for not getting back to you. I investigated this. I have a conclusion now. But unfortunately, I got sick right after that, and I just forgot to call you back. So sorry about that. I just kind of had to catch up on so many things after I got better, and this kind of slipped my mind. I'm really sorry. I meant to call you. This is probably bullshit. I think that the guy really was put off by refunding the gift cards, and I'll tell you why. Businesses in general, especially small businesses, they really, really hate giving back money that they are already holding. It is very, very different for a business to reduce your bill than a business to actually hand you money that they presently have in hand. It shouldn't be. Money is money. But the way they see it is like a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. It's actually worth more than two in the bush to them. Because if you haven't paid yet, then they know you always have the option of saying, you know what, I'm not happy at all here. I'm just not going to pay at all. Goodbye. And then they have to find a way to extract it out of you. But if they already have your money, then they are in a much more powerful position. But it's not even just about power. It's just hard for them to bring themselves to do. So if I had a bill that was $100 and I said, hey, you know what? Let's say I, I just bought these gift cards, but I hadn't given them the money yet, and this all happened. And I say, you know what? I'm just going to give you back these gift cards and not pay. That would be a lot easier for them to do than give me the $100 back 
that I had already paid. Even if I had agreed to pay. If I hadn't actually paid yet and said, you know what, after this whole thing, I'm just going to give you back the gift cards and we're just going to walk away from this, they'd say no problem. Every business would. But it's the fact that they actually have to give me money. And this is true across all businesses in all industries for the most part. Big, medium, and small, but especially medium and small. It's just some weird complex they all have that once they have the money, it is very hard for them to give you money back. It's just so different to them than reducing or eliminating a bill. So that was the problem is I had spent 100 already. They had it in their register and they were going to have to subtract this out of their income and give it back to me. And they didn't want to. Rosa didn't want to. Assad didn't want to. And I could tell Assad believed and agreed with me that this was all outrageous what happened there, but he was avoiding me because of the gift cards. He didn't say that, but I knew that was probably the case. But I had him on the phone, and uh, what was he going to do? But we still didn't hear from him the conclusion about what he found. So I'll tell you what he found. He told me on that phone call. He said, you were correct. Everything you told me that happened turned out to be correct. Between what I could see on camera and what people admitted to. He said, I was able to pull up the video. It was clear. The audio was clear. I heard everything. I saw everything. And everything I saw that happened at the counter was exactly like you described it. I saw Juan ignoring you when you were up there for five minutes, like you described. I saw you asking him to take your order. I saw him getting mad at you about the cheese thing. And I saw him leaving the register and sweeping, and then I watched you get mad and argue with him about that. I I saw the whole thing. So even without all the other stuff you told me, he said, I can't have behavior like that in this store. There's several things he did wrong here that were very bad, and I decided right then he was gone for sure. He said, but then I listened to how Maria handled it. Because remember, Maria was still at the counter when she came up to talk to me. He said, I wondered why she was trying so hard to defend him. He said, like you, I thought something was a little bit strange. So I decided to investigate a little bit further. So he went and asked the other employees about this whole thing. He asked them, did you guys hear anything? Did you guys see anything? And how come it seems like Maria's trying so hard to defend Juan? Do you guys have any idea why that might be happening? And two different employees told him that Maria and Juan are dating. Uh-oh. Well, that explains a lot, doesn't it? Maria was Juan's girlfriend. Which is weird because she was like 35 years old and he was like a 20-year-old gangbanger. So like, what the hell? <laughs> that was an odd couple. I would not have guessed that. If they were closer in age, I would have totally guessed that. But I would not have guessed that. They just seemed like two different types. But that's what was going on. Is that Maria was trying to protect her boyfriend. She did not want to discipline him. She didn't want to report him to the manager. So when she told me, she'd tell the manager that it was complete bullshit. She wasn't going to tell him anything. And she was hoping that I was not going to report anything to the manager. And she had to protect him from himself. Because remember, he's some gangbanger hothead that she was afraid might get himself into trouble. So he said, I spoke to Marie about this whole thing. And she admitted she was dating Juan. She said she was afraid that he would get fired if this escalated or if you complained to the manager. So she tried to de-escalate it and then she didn't do it right. 
She said that she knew that Juan messed up. She knew that he did several things he wasn't supposed to, but she didn't want to tell you that because she was afraid that you would then bring it to the store manager and he'd get fired. So she was trying to make you believe that everything was fine. It was all misunderstanding. She said that her only focuses at the time were to help him keep his job and preventing him from doing something stupid. That's why she tried to convince him not to follow you out and only to go out if he had the food to bring out there. And she apologized to me and that she only did this because she cared about Juan and she was trying to keep him out of trouble. So do you think Assad bought this sob story? You think Assad felt, hey, this is a nice, caring woman who's just trying to keep this young, wayward kid that she's banging out of trouble, trying to protect him from himself and trying to give him one more shot and keep management from knowing to really give him just another chance to do right at his job because she cared about him. Do you think Assad felt sympathy here and said, okay, Maria, you're a good person. And I forgive you. Your heart was in the right place, Maria. You think Assad said that? Nope. He fired her. He told me, I told her that she failed at her position. She drove away a regular customer, which meaning me, because she was trying to protect her boyfriend. She said, I explained, he said, I explained that this is exactly why we don't allow employees to date one another, that you're caring for one more than just an employee caused you to make some pretty bad mistakes that escalated the whole thing and made a regular customer never come back. That's exactly why we don't allow this here. And even though you've done a good job here otherwise, you violated our strict policy that employees can't date one another. You signed a document agreeing to that policy. Your violation of the policy caused a huge problem. So I have to let you go. Bye-bye, Maria. So Maria was fired. Juan was fired. What about Rosa? Did she get fired too? Did the sharp sword of Assad come down on Rosa as well? Well, he told me he talked to Rosa about the whole thing. He said that, interestingly enough, this whole thing started indirectly because of her. Because remember that whole pepper jack cheese thing that was getting Juan's panties in a bunch that he wanted to charge me and I told him he's not supposed to and he got very mad at me even though I ultimately backed down. Well, turned out I was right, but that this wasn't Juan's mistake. This was Rosa's mistake. Rosa actually told him that he is supposed to charge for any kind of different cheese. This is what he was taught. So Assad told me, hey, I, I said to Rosa... How did Juan have this wrong information? Are you not training people well enough? And she said, oh, no, no, no. This wasn't the wrong information. Whenever cheese is exchanged, we have to charge the customer for cheese. And Asad said, I told her, no, 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 no. That's not what we do. That's not what anyone does. You don't charge for an exchange of cheeses. Cheese is cheese. So you, you take one cheese off, you put one in its place. It should be an even exchange. It should be zero. And Rosa said, oh, I, I thought we charged for that. He said, no, you don't charge for that. So... So she trained Juan the wrong way. Now, this doesn't excuse any of his other behavior, but it's funny how that whole thing was actually her fault. Then he said that he uh, educated Rosa on the cheese substitution, and I can be assured that this will never happen again. (laughs) So don't worry, sir. 
you will never get charged 80 cents for a cheese substitution in this joint ever again. It's safe to come back. Because, of course, that was my biggest concern. So I said, well, wait a minute. What about the whole thing about Rosa basically blowing me off and not taking this seriously and never calling me back and just wanting to ignore this whole thing, given everything that happened here? But the guy following me out and saying he'll see me tomorrow, like, how, how does she not take this seriously? How does she let him still work there? I thought you told me that you were surprised about that. He said, yeah, well, that is another thing I discussed with her. And she said that she was very concerned about her team already being overworked, and she couldn't afford to let Juan go. That she knew he was already rude to other customers, she knew they had to eventually fire him, but that she wanted to find replacements first before following him, before firing him, and that she knew that it was going to be hard to do because the labor market was so bad at that point. So it was going to be very hard to find a replacement that quickly. So what she did was uh, decide that she's not going to fire him until they can find a replacement for him. So Assad said, no, that's not the way we operate here. He said, I would rather temporarily close this location than leave people like that working here and ruining our reputation. So he explained to her that you can't do this. If you have employees that really, really mess up badly, something that's unforgivable, and that's not just a minor violation, you have to fire them. And if you get too shorthanded to operate, then just temporarily close. But that... Absolutely, you cannot leave people like that working here. And he apparently told her that this should have been brought to him and that he asked her why she didn't bring it to him. He said, she said, again, I was afraid that you'd fire him and then we would have not enough people to operate. And my people here are so overworked as it is, they'll be even more overworked and uh, everyone will go crazy working for me here. I just, I just felt it was better to wait until we got someone to replace Juan. So Assad said, look, that's not your decision. That's not your call. And... Next time you have to come to me when any problem happens with a customer here and you have to fire anybody who is rude to customers and mistreats them or anything else really bad. You have to fire them no matter how shorthanded you are. So she said, okay, I understand. So he didn't tell me what he did to her. In fact, he's not supposed to anyway. I mean, technically he wasn't even supposed to tell me that he fired Juan and Maria, but he's especially not supposed to tell me about a current employee what he did and he didn't. So I don't know if she was just given guidance, but not formally disciplined, or if she was disciplined. It kind of sounded like he just told her that she was wrong with some of these things, but didn't discipline her in any way. That's kind of the impression I got. I still don't know why Maria was dating Juan. That was one of the stranger things in this story, one of many strange things here. I asked, okay, what about the gift cards? Now let's get back to that, the Gift cards that they did not want to refund. What about the gift cards? Still don't have my hundred bucks back. So can I now get the gift cards refunded now that you have seen that everything I reported was true? So he still was trying to talk me out of getting these gift cards refunded. He said, Juan and Maria don't work here anymore. You're not going to have a problem with them again. And everybody else doesn't have a problem with you. And I, I coached Rosa. They were not going to have the cheese problem again. And I, I coached her how to handle problems going forward with other employees if they ever occur. So I, I'd really like if you just give us another chance. You'll see we'll do a lot better. So I repeated, I just don't feel comfortable here. There easily could be people who resent me about this, even just because... Now there's too fewer people working when they were already shorthanded, and now they've got to work a lot harder because I got these two people fired. So I just don't want these people making my food. 
And he said, oh, they're good people. I, I've told you that before. They're, they're, they would never do anything to your food because of something like this. Everybody understands why I had to let those two go. They didn't even like Juan anyway. He caused a lot of trouble there. They're no one's going to resent you. I, sorry, no. I, I doubt you would come back, right? I'm, I'm talking to you, the listener, not Assad here. I, I doubt any of you would want to come back after such a thing happened. So I kept saying, look, after everything that happened here, I just can't come back right now. I'll consider it in six months. I just can't do it now. So please just refund the gift cards. So finally, he realized he's not going to convince me to come back. And he said, okay, I'll instruct Rosa to give you a cash refund, but she's not there every day. So make sure you call first. I don't want you to come down there pointlessly and she's not there to do it. She's the only one who I will authorize to do it. So you need to make sure she's there. Call before you come down and she'll give you the refund. I said, okay, thank you. So over the next week, I tried to call up and see if Rosa was there and she was not. One day she called in sick. Another, she went home early. And another one, she came in late. Just seemed like I couldn't get her. Whenever I could make it down there, she just wasn't there. And the people I would ask, like, when's she coming in? I don't know. Well, she usually comes in by 11, but it's 11.45 now. She's not here yet, so I don't know. It was, it was so hard. But finally, one of the days, the following week, I called up and they said she was there. So I had them put her on the phone. And I said, hey, remember me? I'm going to come down and uh, get the gift cards refunded. So I will be there in five minutes. So I jumped in my car, sped down there, walked in. And Rosa's pleasant demeanor from the phone from weeks before was gone. She had a very sour look on her face. I could tell there was contempt. So maybe she did get disciplined. I don't know. Maybe she was mad I made her look incompetent. Maybe she blamed me for having a really, really shorthanded crew at this point because I told Assad what happened and he fired two people, which he didn't want to do. I don't know. Maybe it was a combination of all this stuff, but she clearly was not very happy with me. She did not say a single word to me. I told her I'm here to get a refund for the gift cards. She motions to me kind of angrily to hand them to her. I hand them to her. She runs them through a machine, pops open the register, whips out 520s, puts them in my hand, and then kind of turns her back. <laughs> so she was uh, not pleased one bit. It was like, I don't like this guy. I have to refund $100 to him. I want as little interaction with this jerk as possible. That was really the attitude I was getting from her. She did not say, I'm sorry from your experience. She didn't say, we'll do better next time. She didn't say, give us another chance. She just stood there glaring at me and eventually just kind of uh, turned her back on me and faced the other way. I just said, thank you, and walked out the door. So that is the saga of Juan, Maria, Rosa, Assad. Pepper Jack cheese and a beautiful fast food romance. Somewhere out there, Juan is probably in prison for a gang murder. And he's telling all the inmates there how an asshole Jewish customer ruined his attempt to go straight. Isn't that a sweet ending? Now, I've had some uh, bad reaction. Not all bad, but some bad reaction to this story. Some people said that I was the one responsible for escalating this. Some people said that I was just entitled. Some people said that I seem to get into these situations all the time, so the problem must be me. So I asked a very simple question back. What could I have done differently? Aside from not speaking up 
about the cheese charge being incorrect. Which, by the way, I backed down on. So it's not even like I was stubbornly sticking to it. But other than just not mentioning that at all, what could I have done differently? Because remember, I came in and I stood patiently for five minutes at the register waiting for Juan to take my order. And he wasn't. He saw me and he just kept sweeping. But I didn't say, hey, jerk, why are you ignoring me? I didn't say, hey, get over here, dummy. I didn't say, hey, what are you doing? You're supposed to be taking my order. I didn't say any of that. I said, hi, uh, uh, can someone take my order, please? And he came over and did it. When he told me the pepper jack cheese is 80 cents, or didn't tell me, I saw him ringing it up, uh, and I pointed out it was incorrect, I, I did it very politely. I didn't say, hey, dummy, why would you charge me if we already have cheese on this? I, I Nothing like that. I, I said, oh, I, I think there's a mistake here. I'm, I'm actually just uh, substituting cheese. I'm not adding cheese. And then when he disagreed, I, I said, no, it's, but it's a substitution. We're taking away one slice of cheese and putting another. So, and, and I've done this before. It's never a charge. Like That's the tone I used with him. And then when he kept saying, no, 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 the policy is 80 cents, I actually said, well, I, I don't think that's right, but okay, fine. And, that, and then I, I was about to move on. I'm looking up at the menu to see what I order next, and that's when he uh, stormed away from the register and told me he has to get back to cleaning. Not just told me. He says, uh, you going to complete this order or what? Is I got to get back to cleaning. And then before I could even say anything, he gets back to cleaning. So I, I didn't cause this. I was actually very passive at the beginning. So anyone in my spot would have had this occur. The only difference would have been at the beginning that uh, maybe someone who got charged that 80 cents would have said, okay, I know it's wrong, but I'm not going to say anything because it's 80 cents. But I just said something. There's nothing wrong with saying something when you see a, a wrong charge on there. And the stuff after that, yeah, I, I escalated at the point once he just walked away from the register because that's outrageous. At that point, I had to say something. But that's not me being entitled. I've never seen that in my life before or since. And the bottom line is, that Assad investigated the entire thing. He looked at the video. He listened to the audio. He asked other employees. He asked the employees themselves. And you know what? None of them even denied it. Juan did not deny that he did any of this stuff. Maria did not deny that she did the stuff she did. And Rosa didn't deny that she dismissed all this and was trying to avoid doing anything to any of these employees for what they did. Everybody admitted to everything. And yet two people got fired, despite the fact that it was shorthanded and very close to having to shut down if they lost anyone else. And yet the district manager fired two people anyway. So why do you think he did that? To kiss my ass? Because he wanted me to be happy? No, he did this because he was the one running the business and he knew that both of these employees screwed up royally and shouldn't be there. That one of them was a rude piece of shit who was harassing and threatening customers, and the other one was a woman who was dating him and trying to cover for him because she got to have feelings for him and was violating the no dating other employees policy. I couldn't fire anybody. I wasn't the one running that business. I had no authority anywhere. I told the boss of the entire place the true and correct version of what happened. I did not exaggerate. I did not embellish. I told the exact story. It's not like I changed the story to say that Juan f followed me out and pulled out a knife and tried to stab me and I barely got in my car and sped away. I told the story exactly as it occurred without changing one detail in the slightest. And it was up to the big boss of the business at that point to decide whether these people should remain employed. And he made the decision, no, that they should not. So I asked the critics, I said... 
Who do you think has better insight here? The one who actually owns the business and investigated it and found out the truth of what happened? Or you on the forum? Obviously, it's the guy who runs the business. Obviously, it was very tough on them to let two people go. But even this district manager was very much in agreement that this was crazy and outrageous and he couldn't leave these two people employed there. Someone else said that this was cancel culture at work, that I canceled these two people. That's also incorrect. Cancel culture is where you get someone fired or disciplined because of something they do that has nothing to do with their job. So if I had a totally fine interaction with Juan and with Marie and everyone there, but then I went home and I didn't like what Juan wrote on his Twitter, not about me, but just in general about politics, and then I called up the manager and said, hey, look what Juan is writing about politics. Can you fire him? And he got fired. That would be canceling. That would be cancel culture. Cancel culture means you are getting someone fired or disciplined over something that they have expressed an opinion about or posted on social media that otherwise has nothing to do with their job. But this was not canceling. This was getting someone fired who behaved very badly at their job that directly affected me. That was something directly aimed at me. Didn't just affect me. That's not cancel culture. That's just good old-fashioned reporting a terrible employee to their boss, telling the truth, the boss verifying that being the truth and making the decision to fire them. In fact, when bad employees are fired, it's not a tragedy because let's look at it. If a bad employee gets fired, who loses and who gains? What about future customers? Do they gain or lose? They definitely gain because they don't have to deal with these bad employees in the future. What about the business itself? Do they lose or gain? Well, they gain as well because they eventually will replace these employees with other employees who are better. In fact, they're the ones making the decision to fire. So obviously they are feeling that it's in their interest to fire these bad employees. Otherwise they wouldn't do it. So they're gaining. So who's losing? The only one losing when a bad employee gets fired is the bad employee. Think about it. Nobody else loses. It's a net gain for the business, a net gain for the customer, a net gain for society. The only one who loses is the bad employee themselves. And in this case, they had themselves to blame. This wasn't a human error. This wasn't just a careless mistake. This wasn't a victimless situation. It's not like I saw Juan smoking pot in the parking lot on his break, and I reported it just to be a dick to get him fired because it's technically against policy. I wouldn't do that. I've never done that. I've never tattled on an employee for something that didn't have to do with me. I've never tattled just on stupid violations. Like I know some businesses say, oh, you can't park in the lot for the customers, and they, 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 force the, they force the employees to go park in a different lot. They used to do that shit to me when I worked in a supermarket back when I was 18, and I hated it. I, I actually stopped doing it. I just started parking there anyway. But... Uh, I would never tattle on something like that because that's victimless. That doesn't affect me. That's not my business. But when it's directly against me, yeah, I'm going to tell the truth about what happened. Why, why shouldn't I be the eyes and ears for the person who is the boss of the business? Shouldn't the owner and the person directly under the owner know what's going on at their business? Why should that be hidden from them to protect 
an asshole who follows out a customer and makes him feel threatened, tries to make the customer feel scared to come back and report what happened. So just like I always say that at the World Series of Poker, the best hotel room to be in is the one I just checked out of because I always call up and have them address maintenance issues. Similarly, a business is often in its best state employee-wise after dealing with me and having some issue. So this is a, a net gain for everybody when something like this happens, except for the asshole who caused it in the first place, the bad employee. And I have one other thing to consider, in case you still think I'm a jerk. Let's say Juan was in an interview, and they said to Juan, hey, can you describe your work, your work ethic to us? And Juan said, yeah, uh, let me tell you my work ethic. I'm going to ignore customers when they come in and want to order something because I'm doing something else. If they ask to order, I'm going to be kind of pissed off and have a bad attitude with them. I'm going to charge them for things that they shouldn't be charged. And if they disagree, I'm going to get really rude to them and walk away from the register. And if they complain about me, I'm going to follow them out and threaten them. So can you hire me? Do you think any boss would hire that person? Of course not. And if that boss did not hire that person, would you say, oh, no, you're screwing that person over. They need a job really badly. How could you not hire them? No, you'd say, of course you don't hire that guy. He sounds like a psycho. So why is it any different if he already has a job and does this stuff? If he does not get hired because he says he will do this stuff and you think you're fine with that, then why is it wrong to fire him for actually doing this stuff? What's the difference? Either way, he needs a job. So again, I, I don't ever report any kind of victimless situation or technical violation of policy that doesn't really hurt anybody, or even things that don't involve me. If I see it, another customer having an issue with an employee, I figure, okay, if the other customer wants to say something they can, I'm not getting involved. But if it involves me, yeah, I'm going to say something. Unless it's something that's uh, minor or semi-minor. Like, there's many times things happen that I'm not happy with that I just go, okay, you know, it's, it's a fast food place. I can't expect tip-top service or whatever. I've had that many times. I've even had this at regular restaurants. I think, okay, you know, this isn't a super high-end restaurant. Yeah, the, the waiter was kind of rude. Yeah, whatever. But yeah, I'm not going to get the manager. Just whatever. I'm just not, it's not major enough to say anything. There's many times I've had that. So I, I don't report every little thing, even if it affects me. But something like this, the guy follows me out. Yeah, I'm going to report that. And yes, I'll be happy when he gets fired. And yes, it's good for everybody. But if you still think I'm wrong, tell me what you could have done differently. You can text me, 775-372-8355. Tell me how you could have done this differently to where the guy would not have walked away from the register mid-order, other than just not mentioning the overcharge, which, of course, should be your right to say. We have somebody here who uh, has never been rude to me or followed me out anywhere without my permission. That was uh, Trader Ruski. Hello. What's happening, Jeff? So no, I didn't hear the whole story, but I would argue that if the employee's in the wrong position, you're doing that person a favor, too. Yo, you mean the employee himself? Yeah, because, you know, it's like if it's the bad employee, they're obviously not the job that inspires them. They're thinking about something else, so you're probably doing them a favor, too. Well, yeah, and it's true. It's also just uh, prolonging the inevitable if you don't say anything. That's the other thing. Is that, Like this guy here, I, I even had some idiot say, oh, you know, it's always you who has this, these problems. I said, they told me he had issues with other people in the last few weeks. So what, every, all these other people are the problem too, but not him? 
Like, what are you guys talking about? This, they, they actually tell me that the guy was rude to other customers in the last few weeks. So, I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer who was wrong here. A- anyway, there's just some trolls who like to find fault in anything I say. And then there's other people who aren't trolls, but they just feel so uncomfortable if, if anyone gets fired as a result of complaints, which they shouldn't. It's, it's not a bad thing as long as it's for a good reason and as long as you're being honest. Now, I'll admit that if, you, if you're mad at an employee and you say, shit, well, if I tell the truth, the boss probably won't take it seriously enough to fire him. So let me embellish this or add some details. That'll get him canned. And then you add details that didn't really happen and the guy gets fired. That's unethical. You shouldn't do that. If, if the guy's not going to get fired on what really happened, then just uh, that's the way it is. And you, you should never lie. And I always make sure in every one of these situations, I, I tell the exact truth from start to finish. Even if I know there's no way they could prove I was uh, lying, I, I will not lie in these situations. I will always tell the exact story as it happened. And the funny thing is they, they never deny it. It's, it's so funny. You'd expect that when they'd ask them, they'd already have an excuse ready, especially when I tell them I'm coming the next day to say something. But they never do. They, they always admit it. It's so strange. They never have a story. It's just always, yep, yep, that happened. Yeah, that happened too. They'll have a weak excuse for why they did it, but it, it's never changing the facts. Like they always admit, yeah, the way I reported it is kind of what happened. So, so even the ones I'm accusing, they, they don't ever deny it, including this story. Nobody denied anything. So anyway, that was uh, Druffy Time Theater for this week. Haven't told anyone the story until this week. And when I say anyone, I, I think the only person I told when it happened was my girlfriend. I don't believe I told anyone else in the world. I meant to post it on the forum, and then it just kind of slipped away from me. All right, so let's move on. And uh, it's another Jamie LaFay story I have for you. We talked about Jamie LaFay on last week's show. That was the first time I ever talked about Jamie LaFay. Jamie LaFay, to remind you guys, is a 43-year-old Vegas-based poker player. She says she's a poker pro, and she might be. I, I don't know, but she identifies herself that way. I know she does play a lot of poker. I know she's played the game for quite some time, but I wasn't really aware of her until, I'd say, about a year ago. And she's not really a big name in poker. Somehow she has, like, 12K followers. I don't even know if they're all real, but she has a pretty good following, but the average person, if you ask who is Jamie LaFay, they're not going to know. And I'm not someone who toots my own horn about my notoriety in poker. I know there's still plenty of people in poker who don't know me, but I would venture to say that if you asked the average person who follows poker who is Todd Wittellis and who is Jamie LaFay, you'd have more people knowing who I am than she is, even though she has like more than twice the followers I do. I think she probably has a lot of the followers she does because she's a fairly attractive woman, whereas I'm just a dude. So I I think that informs the reason she has a lot of followers. But nevertheless, uh, she's been on Twitter for some time talking about poker. I started following her about a year ago. As I mentioned on last week's show, I didn't have any direct interaction with her until recently, except for one thing where someone threw me into a... uh, group DM conversation about some problem she was having at the Aria where she got banned and claimed someone was sexually harassing her that they ended up banning her for it. And I don't know. The whole story seemed so convoluted. It just seemed like it had to be missing a big piece. I just couldn't imagine in 2022 why they would ban the victim of sexual harassment rather than the perpetrator. And even if that were the case, she had no proof. So I wasn't going to put my neck out on the line for what could easily be a story that had more to it that I wasn't being told. And 
I, I just steered clear. I didn't even mention it anywhere. I just pretended like I didn't hear it and moved on. And it seemed like she wasn't mad about this because she didn't come to me with this. Someone just brought me in and said, oh, maybe Todd can help. And I listened and I kind of just like listened, meaning I read it. I didn't speak to her on the phone or anything. But I I just kind of uh, let myself out of the conversation slowly without uh, really discussing it much. I think I asked a few questions about you know, any interactions she has that uh, were by email or by text or by uh, Twitter. She didn't really have that. So anyway, I, I didn't get involved in that, and that's fine. I, I usually don't like to unless it's clear that someone's really been wronged. And then I mentioned on the last show that she had raised an issue on Twitter that she was sat next to a guy who smelled really bad. This was in a cash game and that she asked for a table change. But instead of just discreetly asking for a table change, she was doing so very loudly, and then she told the guy out loud that she's changing tables because he smells like uh, rotten cheese. (laughs) And she kept going on and on about how bad he smelled, and when he said she was rude, she's like, no, you're rude because you shut up smelling like this. And Apparently she made a big deal about this, or shall I say a big stink about this. And she was bragging about this on Twitter, and it didn't get a good reaction. There was a small percentage of the people who backed her on this, but the vast majority responding to her were saying that she was being unnecessarily rude, she was humiliating him, she doesn't know this guy's story, maybe he has some kind of uh, condition that makes it uh, difficult for him to not smell bad, and you know, what, what, what's the reason to shame him like this? And maybe he has mental health issues. So the people criticizing her brought up a good point, And I went through this at length last episode. That's just catching you up in case you missed that segment. But there's a new thing that happened involving Jamie LaFay since then. And that's why we're talking about her again. So we're going to have uh, back-to-back shows with Jamie LaFay talk, which I, I hope doesn't become a regular segment here. Uh, She seems kind of crazy to me, to be honest, and she actually blocked me. I made, like, a very, very innocuous joke about how I wish I could transport her back in time to sit next to Annie Duke, because Annie Duke was rumored to smell bad back then. And she said, yeah, no thanks, and then blocked me. Why why would you block me for that? I'm not even insulting her. That was really weird. That was before I talked about her on this show, so nothing to do with that. And from what I've seen on Twitter... As I mentioned last time, she seems like just very easily agitated and sometimes hypocritical and just kind of crazy. It kind of seems like a lot of people avoid engaging with her because they're kind of afraid of the reactions they get. So a new controversy happened involving Jamie LaFay, and this time it did not involve a smelly guy. This time it was the battle of Native American female poker players. I didn't know there were that many of them to have battles with one another, but apparently this has happened. Jamie claims to be Comanche. I don't know if this is true. I don't know if this is an Elizabeth Warren situation, but whatever it is, she claims to be Comanche. Maybe she is, maybe she isn't. And I don't know how much Comanche she is. I, you know, She could be one 1,024th Comanche. She could be one quarter. She could be one half. She could be full. I don't know, but she claims to be Comanche. She ended up at a live table, a live cash table, with a woman who plays poker under the name Pocahontas. You know, like Pocahontas? This is Pocahontas. 
Now, Pocahontas is not being racist because Pocahontas, in addition to just kind of being a joke, is actually Native American herself. So it's not a matter of uh, cultural appropriation or a white person taking on that identity to make a joke out of it. This is an actual Native American, and even Jamie admits that. But uh, Jamie was still offended and felt that uh, this was an offensive name. By the way, Pocahontas is not even an original name. Betty Carey. Have you heard of Betty Carey before, Trader Risky? I have not. Okay, Betty Carey is an old-school female poker player from, like, the 70s and 80s. And she ended up leaving Las Vegas and hiding out in Alaska, where she still is to this day, because her life was threatened by Bob Stupak. And yes, that Bob Stupak, the owner of Vegas World and then the one who built the Stratosphere, that same Bob Stupak, according to Betty, threatened to kill her because she played a high-stakes heads-up poker match against him in Vegas World and lost to him and was convinced she was cheated and started telling people that Bob cheated her. And she claimed that Bob responded by saying that uh, this is ruining his reputation and he's going to have her killed. And keep in mind, this was like in 1980s Vegas where the mob was very present. It was probably the most dangerous time in Vegas was in the in the 80s. So she was very worried that Bob may have known someone who would kill her without thinking twice. So she bolted and went about as far away as you can get from Vegas without leaving the country. She went to Anchorage, Alaska. And that's where she still is to this day, I believe. But I played with Betty on Party Poker in the early 2000s, and her name was Poker Hauntez. Not quite the same way. It was Poker H-A-U-N-T-E-Z. Poker Hauntez. And it was actually on a Party Poker when I chatted with her that she told me who she was and told me the story about Bob Stupak and how he threatened her, and that's why she was in Alaska. When Bob Stupak died and... Then Betty's name came up on Facebook some years later. I said to her f- friend who knew her from the 70s, I said, tell Betty to come back. <laughs> Bob's not going to kill you now. He's in the ground. So she didn't come back. So maybe she decided she likes Alaska. Bob has been dead now for over 13 years. He died in September of '09. But that's why she left, according to her. And I, I believe the story. That was the original poker haunt is, and I don't believe Betty had any kind of uh, Native American blood, but this was back in the 70s, so you didn't have people complaining about things being offensive in that manner. I still don't think it's offensive. I think it's just a joke. You know, it's a movie called Pocahontas, and someone calls himself Pocahontas. Okay, whatever, especially someone who's actually Native American. I mean, it's a stupid thing to be angry over. But for whatever reason, Jamie was offended by this name. And then she happened to be playing live with Pocahontas and decided to give her a hard time live. So I will say one thing for Jamie LaFay. She's not a keyboard warrior. She's not someone who talks a lot of shit on Twitter, and then you get her in person, she's afraid to say anything. Uh, Jamie LaFay is arguably more confrontational in person than she is on Twitter. So she just went right at Pocahontas there at the table. So here was Pocahontas talking about this on Instagram, in a video, she doesn't name Jamie, but then Jamie takes credit that the person doing this was her, but she talks about what happened, and uh, this 
shook Pocahontas so much that she decided she's going to leave social media. Listen to this. And I've had a few followers who are no longer following me that they just suck, you know? And they kind of ruined Instagram for me for like the past year. So I'm changing my name from Pocahontas. Well, that's not because of them. That's because of... I met this chick at a poker table and she knew who I was from Pocahontas. But like, I mean, obviously she doesn't know me and she was being a fucking bitch for no fucking reason. I didn't deserve that. She doesn't know me. Anyway, so I don't want to be a personality. I'm going private, changing my name and I'm removing almost all of my followers. And yeah, I think I'll be happier this way. Okay, bye. Okay, now before I play the second video, which was attached to this, that I actually got this video from Jamie's Twitter. She attached the two videos together. So before I play the second part, remember, Jamie's name was not mentioned here. And also some people got confused by this first video because at first she's complaining about people who were following her that were not nice to her over the past year. And she's not having fun on Instagram for that reason. But then she went on to say, actually, the reason I'm leaving is not because of them. It's because of an incident that just happened at the poker table with a chick that was a, quote, fucking bitch to me. And then she clarifies here in the second video. I should clarify that that chick I was calling a bitch wasn't a follower ever. She, I mean, I'm pretty sure I know how she knew me, but um, yeah, no, just some random fucking bitch. I mean, she's not, she's not a nobody. She's bigger than I am. I'm a nobody. That's why I don't deserve that shit. She's basically saying that someone who's a bigger name than her, which is Jamie, which is true. Jamie is better known than uh, Poker Hauntis is. Poker Hauntis is a young woman who's trying to become a name in poker and hasn't really done so yet. So she's admitting that Jamie's a better known player than she is and saying that she was given shit for no reason and now she's quitting social media and basically changing her name and making her account private so there's no more public interaction from her after this. So Jamie saw this and, you you know, Jamie's not going to sit there and just say nothing. Can you picture the woman who stood up in a poker room and yelled that a guy smelled? Can you picture a woman like that just saying nothing to that sort of video, calling her a fucking bitch? Of course not. So here is Jamie's response back to her posted to Twitter. If you want to see Jamie's response, you want to see her Twitter as a whole, it is at LaFay Jamie, L-A-F-A-Y-J-A-M-I, LaFay Jamie. Here's her response on January 9th. Wow. (laughs) To call me a bitch on social media when you don't even know me is fucking amazing. Like, good for you. I hope you're really proud of yourself. Two, what part of me talking to you as a human being, another female in poker, another Native American in poker, is me being a bitch? Answer me that, because that I would love to know. Nothing I said to you was rude nothing i said to you was bitchy all of it 
all of it was complimentary. All of it was kind. Nothing I said to you, not a single fucking thing I said to you was mean. All of that that you are telling yourself is just an illusion that you've made up. By no means did I have any ill will towards you. I literally was just trying to be friendly. And you, for whatever reason, want to take it and twist it into something that it's not. And then to go out on social media and call me a bitch when this is all a delusion in your own head is insane. I hope you don't pursue poker because you obviously don't have what it takes. Well, that was uh, kind of an unhinged response. First of all, I don't believe that she was complimentary and nice to her because why would Pocahontas ever have reacted that way? It doesn't make any sense. If all she did was compliment her and say nice things, why would Pocahontas quit social media and make all her accounts private and change her name? Obviously, she walked away from that table feeling shaken by what had happened. I don't know what happened. I wasn't there for what happened. I don't know anyone there who witnessed this, but I have to imagine it was probably hostile and Jamie doesn't realize it. Just like Jamie doesn't realize how rude she was to that guy who smelled bad. So I think there's some lack of self-awareness going on here. I don't know how bad it was, what Jamie said. Maybe Pocahontas was too sensitive. But I, I can't imagine that Jamie was very delicate about the way she approached whatever it was. I think that Jamie gave her a hard time and said, you're another Native American. How can you call yourself that? It's rude. It's offensive. It, it uh, enforces stereotypes about our people. How could you do that to us? You're one of us. I, I can imagine. And then she's probably like, shit, what did I do to deserve this? That's just my guess, but it has to be something along those lines. Then on uh, January 9th, same day, later that day, uh, Jamie LaFay tweeted, Pocahontas, say that shit to my face. Someone asked her, how do you know it was about you? And she writes back, natives know these things. What do you mean natives know these things? No, it's it's because you had just confronted her at the table. And then she said a fucking bitch confronted her at the table. That's how you knew. It's not because you're native. Now, here's the first nice thing that Jamie said about her. Some guy named Lance said back, she's kind of hot. And then Jamie said back, she's very hot, actually, LOL then surprisingly there weren't that many negative responses to what Jamie was doing here. One guy who calls himself the read the room reply guy, but he doesn't have any followers. He wrote, yikes, you're gross. Full stop. Be more dignified. Seriously. (laughs) So read the room guy read the room and was not very happy with the way Jamie was acting. Here was Jamie's follow-up video a day later on January 10th. Uh, Recently, I spoke to one of my Native American friends who pointed out how hard it is for Native Americans, especially women, um, and I 
I do know this. I know this firsthand. I don't even know how many times <laughs> I wanted to quit playing poker because it was, it was fucking rough. It's well, uh, hang on a second. I'm looking at Jamie LaFay. She doesn't look Native American. Maybe she is, but you wouldn't look at her and say, oh, that engine, she shouldn't be at the table. Get out of here. We don't want your kind here. Go home, savage. Like no, no, one would, no one would even think that she has any Native American blood by looking at her. So I don't believe that she's facing some kind of uh, terrible discrimination for being uh, Native American. Now, maybe some of the mistreatment she claims that she got was because she's female. That's possible. That happens. But I don't believe it has anything to do with her being a Native American. I don't think anyone even knows this other than people that read her Twitter. And I hadn't even seen this discussed on Twitter until recently. So that's kind of strange. That's kind of a strange thing to be claiming that you've wanted to quit poker. It's been rough. It's been rough being a Native, a Native American in poker that nobody can tell is Native American. Yeah. It's hard. Um, but... I don't do this for the attention. I don't have a YouTube channel. I do this for the money. I'm a grinder. I'm out there every day grinding. Okay. It is true. She does play a lot of poker. It is true she's not one of these women who purports to be a poker pro and then doesn't play. She does play. I've heard that she plays a lot. However, she does tweet a lot. She does put out a lot of tweets seemingly for attention. So that's not really accurate. It didn't have to be on YouTube. You can be trying to get attention on other platforms, on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok. I don't know if he's on all these, but there's a lot of different ways you can be trying to get attention on social media, even if you're not using YouTube. I have no ill will towards Pocahontas. I hope the best for her. I was excited to meet her. Still am. Um, I'm sorry. If you think I'm a bitch, I was not trying to be a bitch. Okay, now, I'm not cutting it off there. That's where it ends. I'm sorry if you think I was a bitch. I'm not trying to be a... End of story. (laughs) I don't get that. I've seen this happen before with other people where they record some kind of statement on Twitter and then it just cuts off and they don't make another video to complete it. This was exactly a minute, but there's no minute time limit because the video I played just before from her was two minutes, two seconds. So... Somehow she ended this after a minute and didn't bother to follow up with the rest of it, which is kind of weird. But she's claiming now that she has nothing against Pocahontas. She was excited to meet her. She's still excited to meet her. It doesn't make any sense. If you were excited to meet her and said, oh, Pocahontas, I've seen you around and I'm a fellow Native American and you're really pretty and I think it's great you're entering poker and we have another female out here. You think Pocahontas would have come back and said, I just had an awful experience with a fucking bitch at the table. I don't know what her problem is, but I'm quitting social media forever. Like, that wouldn't have been her response. What? And the fact that we're not getting Jamie acting that surprised that Pocahontas felt this way means that she kind of knows. Because if Jamie really felt nothing happened, we would have gotten a different tone. We would have gotten, what? I was friendly, friendly to you the entire way. We seemed to be getting along. Everything seemed to be great. I was nothing but nice to you. I, I couldn't even begin to think there was any kind of problem. And if you think there was, can you please tell me? Because I have no idea what I did. Because I thought we got along. It wasn't that. It was kind of like, why are you calling me a fucking bitch? I was nice to you. 
I was complimentary towards you. What's your fucking problem? It was, it was a different tone. It was a different tone. It wasn't one that was of surprise. And if you go back and listen to her videos or go watch them again, you can tell she's not surprised. Someone named uh, Pepe Shane on Twitter said, some people are unfortunately going to be that way for whatever reason. They let a bad day or situation or their own personal beliefs run their emotions. Kudos to you for being stand-up. Females should always be empowering to other females. So he's actually complimenting Jamie for empowering other females. How? You, you just drove someone away from social media. Can you imagine if a guy did this? Can you imagine if uh, Pocahontas said she's leaving social media because of the way a guy treated her at the table? There'd be like an outpouring of sympathy and saying, and who was this person? Tell us who this asshole is. We're going to really make his life hell. That's what you'd see. But somehow when a girl does it, like there's people responding to her like, okay, you know, you're doing a great job empowering other females. What? Like, I don't even know what happened. Maybe, maybe Pocahontas is exaggerating here and nothing happened. It just doesn't seem like it to me. Jamie LaFay said, back to this Pepe guy, I ain't nothing but my true self. I like to see people do well. I enjoy all the females in poker. I've been graced with knowing. I think females in poker make it so damn fun. I think plenty of men feel the same. I hope the best for her I always did. See, I just prefer an authentic response. I would just prefer a response like, I didn't like that name she chose for herself. I thought it was offensive. I told her so. She couldn't take it. Too bad. I don't like that sort of uh, discriminatory name being chosen even by one of my own people, and I let her know that, and that's the way it is. That's what she should have said. It it shouldn't have been this, uh, oh, I've always wanted her to succeed. I want the best for her. I like all females. It just seems kind of like a cop-out. A person named uh, Joseph Biden, not Joe Biden, but Joseph Biden, B-Y-E-D-E-N, who's uh, Joseph B six zero zero eight eight three five seven. I had to think that Joseph Biden could have come up with a better uh, Twitter. Not, I wouldn't say the screen name because that's the Joseph Biden, but the, but the Twitter handle, Joseph B six zero zero eight eight three five seven. What? Are there that many Joseph Bs on Twitter? Was Joseph B six zero zero eight eight three five six taken? That's strange. Anyway, he said, "I guess she chose an option other than I want to thank the random Native American woman for educating me as to why my Instagram name could be offensive to other Native Americans. I appreciate the education and will do better going forward, including changing the name." Nah. Now Jamie said back, "I never brought it up, even though I wanted to." So. Jamie's trying to say she didn't say anything about this, but maybe maybe she didn't. Maybe this is being assumed here. But there was something she said to send Pocahontas packing and changing her name. And I think that changing her name is the biggest part, because if Pocahontas was simply offended by Jamie at the table, just thought she was a bitch, and was rattled by it and said, okay, I'm privating my account, she would have just privated her account. She wouldn't have changed her name. But the fact that she changed her name from Pocahontas means that she was made to believe by Jamie that there was something wrong with the name. I think the name is fine, especially for an actual Native American. It's crazy. Now, of all things, the name change that was done by Pocahontas was a strange choice. She went from Pocahontas to 
LVCVNT, which if you change the second V to a U, would be spelling Las Vegas cunt. <laughs> I have to think that's what it means. LVCVNT. That's what she changed it to. You have to think the LV is Las Vegas. That's where she lives, Pocahontas. And CVNT, that's probably cunt, but without the word cunt. She probably thought she couldn't use the C-U-N-T on Instagram, which she probably can't. So she made it CVNT. So she went from Pocahontas to Las Vegas cunt. I think Pocahontas is actually far less offensive than Las Vegas cunt. Wow. And let me see. I think the account's still private. When I last looked, it was private. Yeah, LVCVNT is still private. So Pocahontas has become the Las Vegas cunt and is now uh, not gracing us with her presence because something that Jamie LaFay said or did. Hmm. So more Jamie LaFay drama for you. And I'll let you know if anything else crazy happens. Here's some crazy luck we will talk about. A poker player named Thomas Zeno either is a no or is a not, Z-A-N-O-T, won a pretty big jackpot at Pi Gal Poker at the Flamingo. This, is, in fact, is one of the biggest Pi Gal jackpots in a very long time. It was... One million dollars. No, 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 much more than that. One hundred billion dollars. Okay, so closer to the former than the latter, but still, it was $6.45 million, the jackpot he won at Flamingo. That is pretty good. That is a very nice Pygod jackpot, and he happened to be a poker player. He won the jackpot with a seven-card spade straight flush, and he hit the progressive jackpot for... 6,443,401. So I guess just short of 6.45 million. In 2022, the largest Pi Gal progressive payout at all of Caesars Las Vegas resorts was less than one sixth of that, meaning that it was probably just a little bit more than a million, the second highest one going back a year. So this was... Last week, on Sunday, he'd been playing for a few hours, and then he got that hand. When asked what he's going to do with the money, Thomas Zeno said that he's going to buy a house with the winnings. Of course, uh, the Flamingo was very happy to publicize this. They want people to believe that you can have a gambling success story. They had him holding an oversized check that had uh, Caesars Entertainment on the top left, and They had his name up there with the amount he won. The funny thing is the Twitter post about this showing that he won did not name him. It didn't say congratulations to Thomas Zeno. It just said congratulations to a lucky player at Flamingo who won uh, $6.4 million. And then they show him holding a check with his name on there. (laughs) Typical Caesars. Typical Caesars. The press release that Caesars put out about this said the PyGal Progressive links more than 40 PyGal tables across Caesars properties statewide in Lake Tahoe, Las Vegas, Laughlin, and Reno. With the largest network of linked tables, jackpots grow quickly. 
the PyGal Poker Mega Progressive Jackpot hadn't hit since March 2022. This was in their press release. So they want you to know that the jackpot grows really fast because they have so many different tables running at the same time. And every time someone puts something down to win the progressive and they don't, then the jackpot keeps growing. And that this is not just Vegas properties, but also ones in Lake Tahoe, Laughlin, and Reno, because these are all in Nevada, and they can link them. Thomas Zeno has a similar lifetime Hendon mob to what I have. He has around 1.1 million in lifetime poker tournament caches, and I have around a million in lifetime poker tournament caches. However, he does not have a bracelet. He did win a $565 No Limit Hold'em event at the Gardens Poker Classic at Hawaiian Gardens in 2017. There were 2,000 players. He was in first place with $162,000 being awarded to him. That was his largest score of all the tournaments he has entered in his life. The question came up, what did Thomas Zanot tip? What was the tip he left? Because that's a hard one to tip. Why? Because it's such a large amount of money that you either have to leave a ridiculously large tip or you get resented for it by those receiving the tip, which is annoying. Like if you leave a lot of money to someone, you don't want them resenting you. My attitude is I'd rather leave zero and be resented for leaving zero than leave something that is fair and be resented for being a cheapskate. And that's why it's very hard to tip on these jackpot wins, because what is actually fair will get you resented. So you've either got to really over tip or just not tip at all, I would say, because if you try to tip what's fair, they get mad. And I think it's really messed up to give your hard earned money, your money that is rightfully yours, that you won, that you shouldn't have to give to anybody else, that you give it away and you're resented for it. But what would be a fair tip? for a $6.443 million jackpot. Well, reportedly, he gave about 1% of $65,000, which percentage-wise doesn't sound big, but that's a damn big tip, $65,000. Because the dealers didn't do anything to earn it. They're just dealing cards whether he wins or loses. So to tip 65000 to the dealers from anything is very big. That was not officially reported, but that's what's been circulating in the back channels that he tipped 65000 and that people were happy with that. But this did start a debate again regarding tipping and what is appropriate for jackpots. And I really didn't like reading what I did. And I know there's dealers who listen to this show. There's nothing against you guys. And I know you work for tips. And I hope you get tipped very well. And I hope you make a lot of money. And I mean that. But there's a difference between making money because people tip you well, because they want to, and people who are expected to leave the tip you want them to leave when they hit something big. Because you're not entitled to anyone's tips. People leave tips because they feel they want to leave tips, because they're doing well, because they're feeling generous. But there shouldn't be an expectation that they leave you a really high tip because they hit a jackpot. Now, I will believe that even though Thomas Zeno seems to have been 
a PyGao degenerate and probably lost a lot of money in PyGao prior to this, I would say that in casino gambling lifetime, it's almost certain that he's up because this was such a big hit. But a lot of people who hit jackpots that seem big are actually down lifetime and sometimes even down in the medium term. So someone who hits a $100,000 jackpot, that seems great. You're kind of jealous. Oh, wow, look at that guy. He just hit $100,000. I wish I was him. Well, maybe not. Because if he has lost $200,000 gambling this year, then the $100,000 jackpot is not a lot to envy. That just cut his losses in half, but he's still down $100,000. And a lot of these people who are hitting these seemingly bid jackpots are way down lifetime even after the jackpot hits, unless it's a huge jackpot. But ones that are like six figures, especially low six figures, often do not get the person out of the hole, sometimes not even out of the hole for the past year. So that's why you can't judge these people, among other things. You, you can't judge them and say, oh, wow, you've won 100K. You can afford to break off a good percentage for us because you don't know. And the problem is when there's these large jackpots that even a small percentage becomes a lot of money. So look at this with Thomas Zeno. He gave 1%, and that was 65000 Now, that was not scoffed at. They were reportedly happy, all the dealers there, that he gave 65000 That wasn't the problem. However, let's say he gave 20000 which would be very generous. I bet there would be some there who would say, what, 20000 The guy just won almost $6.5 That's like a third of a percent. What a freaking cheapskate. One third of 1%. What a fucking asshole. I, I can imagine that a lot of them would say that behind the scenes. Even though 20000 is a very generous tip for one hand of pie gal. The problem is the unrealistic and unfair expectation that if one particular hand or slot pull results in a very large payout, that this now entitles the employees there to a certain percentage of that payout. It doesn't. Now, some of you may not agree with me, but let's think of it a different way. Let's take Wally the Whale. Wally the Whale is a very rich guy who likes to gamble very big. Wally the Whale plops himself down at a blackjack table with very high denomination chips, and he bets $100,000 per hand. On the first hand, Wally gets dealt a hard 18, he stands, the dealer draws a 17, and Wally wins $100,000. What should Wally tip? Seriously, what should he tip on that hand? What should the dealer get? This isn't one hand where he happened to throw out $100,000 when he otherwise never does. This is a guy who every hand's going to bet 100 k So the first hand he wins, and he gets 100 k The next hand he might lose. Probably go back and forth, right? So Wally the Whale, on the first hand, bets 100 k wins 100 k What tip is he expected to leave? Well, I don't know the answer, but I would say that it is probably not very much. You're probably not expecting Wally to break off $1,000 for the dealer, right? Because that's just one of many big hands he plays. If he did that, he'd be broke very fast, faster than the casino would make him broke. So what's the difference here? Why does it matter if Wally the Whale won his 100 k by betting 100 k versus a much lower stakes player 
who pulls one spin on a slot machine and gets a 100K jackpot. What's the difference? Aside from the stupid paperwork that has to be done for the hand pay. Let's ignore that for the moment. What is the difference? What is the difference? Let's, let's even take away the uh, hand pay thing. Let's look at a uh, table game where they can pay you by chips. So what is the difference between a 100K hit at a table game of a jackpot like that? At least I think they can pay you by chips. I'm not 100% sure, but let's assume they can. What's the difference between a 100K Pi Gao jackpot hit winner and a 100K blackjack player who's betting 100K per hand and wins 100K in the first hand? Why should that tip be any different? It shouldn't. And that's the whole point. Just because someone doesn't play as big as someone else doesn't mean that the one who feels the 100K is a lot for them should be expected to tip more. The bottom line is these employees are there to deal. And they're there to deal the nosebleed games, the high stakes games, the middle stakes games, the low stakes games. They're just there to deal whatever they are going to deal. And some people will bet a lot. Some will bet a little. Some will bet in the middle. But their job is the same no matter what. It's no harder to deal to a high roller than a low roller. The high roller may have some more expectations of performance, but aside from that, it's pretty much the same. So you're not entitled to more of a tip because someone is betting more. Now, I'll hear back the argument, but wait a minute, we work for tips. We're paid minimum wage. We wouldn't be doing this job if we didn't get tips. The tips are what keeps us dealing. They wouldn't be able to hire dealers if they were just getting minimum wage with no tips. Okay, I agree that casinos should pay you a fair wage. I would love to see casino tipping abolished and the casino dealers all paid a fair wage. I would love that. It's not going to happen. I would love that, though. But since that is not going to happen... What is fair tipping? Fair tipping is really whatever people want to leave. People should tip whatever they feel is right, and you don't have a right to any of it. You have a right overall at the job to expect that tipping's going to happen. So the casino shouldn't discourage tipping. And it's fine that people are made to understand that your base pays minimum wage and that the tipping is what brings you up to a wage that's more fair for what you're doing. That's fine. That's fine to put that message out there and to have everyone understand it. But that does not mean you're entitled to many thousands of dollars because you happen to deal someone a big jackpot. And you may say, well, the tips are pooled, so we're not getting that whole thing. Well, I don't care if it's pooled or not. The point is that somebody should not owe $65,000. They shouldn't be expected to pay $65,000 when they hit a jackpot like that. Now, some will anyway. I think Thomas Zeno didn't do this out of guilt. I I think he just did it because he just hit uh, a $6.5 million jackpot and felt like being generous. And you know what? That is going to happen a lot. For the most part, when people hit these jackpots, these are gamblers, and they want to kind of share the wealth a little bit, especially because a lot of them are superstitious, and they feel like they want to reward the dealers for giving them these good cards, even though the dealers didn't really have control over that. So you will automatically be getting a lot of tips from people like that, from people like this Thomas Zeno who break off 65K. So for that reason, since it's going to come in anyway from people who actually want to do it, you should not resent those who don't want to do it. And you especially shouldn't resent those who want to leave something that is more fair. If I hit that hand, I I don't play those jackpot things. Like I don't ever do those jackpot uh, hands 
at any of these table games in the rare times I play them. So this will never be me. But if it was me and I got one of these jackpots, I would be in such a quandary what to tip because I wouldn't want to tip zero. I would want to tip something. I understand that that's expected to do when you're playing a casino game. I would understand it's technically my right to tip zero, but I'd feel like an asshole tipping zero. So I'm not arguing that I should tip zero. I'm not saying that I would tip zero. But my big fear would be if I left what I thought was fair, that I would be resented and talked shit about. And I'm not going to give you a penny if you're going to resent me and talk shit about me for giving you money. I'm just not. I'd rather you talk shit about me and I gave you zero. So honestly, if the choice is between giving you a tip that's fair and you talking shit about me or me giving no tip, I'm going to give you 0.0. And it was very disheartening reading a lot of the Twitter comments. And again, these were not bashing this Thomas guy, but about people in general and the tipping and what's expected of them. And how resentful some of these dealers were when jackpots were hit and only like a thousand or two thousand was left. Oh, we were stiffed. Oh, what an asshole. Oh, what a cheapskate. And in the meantime, this thing, this person who left the thousand or two thousand dollars think they, they did something nice because they just broke out of the biggest tip they've ever left in their life. You got to look at it that way. This person just left the biggest tip they ever left in their life for you. And you're resenting them. Because it wasn't the monstrous tip you were hoping for you also have to realize that most of these gamblers in the casino are losing long term in fact some of them are losing so badly it's ruining their lives ruining their marriages ruining their families so you you have the occasional lucky one who hits a very large payout like that you have to look at all of them in the aggregate and say this is an aggregate of a lot of people losing money together with a few very lucky ones in there who aren't. And I'm not, cons- I'm not counting the casino advantage players. That's a whole different matter. So you, you look at that and you say these people are overall losing a lot. That's, why, that's how it, it builds all these casinos. That's what maintains all these casinos. So you're asking them to give more on top of that. So you can't say, oh, look at that lucky asshole. He just hit that six-figure jackpot. Why isn't he give us a, giving us a bigger tip? Because overall, everybody's losing combined, and this person might even be down, might even be down for the year. You're just not entitled to it. It's nice if people give it to you, but you're not entitled to it. And you know, I actually have experience with something similar on the other end, and that's with Poker Fraud Alert Radio's free roll. Nobody is asked or expected to leave money for the Poker Fraud Alert free roll. I never say that if you like the show, you should donate to the free roll. Never. If you just want to listen and never donate a penny, I'm completely fine with that. I could take the attitude, I do this show, I put all this effort into it, I put all these hours into it, you get all this free entertainment, come on cheapskate, you've been listening for eight years, donate a little bit. I don't ever say that, I don't ever think that, because I'm not entitled to it. But I know that there will be people who do, some more than others. But there will be people who do, who just say, I want to be generous and give back to the show, give back to the community. So you should look at the tipping the same way if you're a dealer. That there will be some people who just will voluntarily leave you very generous tips and 
you shouldn't expect them. You should just be happy with ones that are being left for you. And know that it will all break out to where you're paid pretty well for what you're doing. And not resent the people who aren't leaving as much as others. But most importantly, you don't necessarily deserve a certain percentage piece of a big hit. It's their money, not yours. But I really don't know what I would do if I hit something like that. Because I'd want to leave something. I would really want to leave something. But I'd be so concerned that if I left what I thought was fair or even double or triple what I thought was fair, that I would still have a lot of shit talking going on behind my back about what a cheapskate I am. And that would bother me more. It would bother me to leave zero and kind of feel like a jerk. But it would also bother me even more to have left something I know is generous and know that people are hating me for it. And I'll tell everybody here, I will never give anyone a penny that's going to resent me for what I'm giving them. Because if I give you something I don't have to give, then I shouldn't be resented for it. And by the way, this is different than any other service job like a, a waiter or a waitress at a restaurant. That, that's, that's a very different matter. Because there's no jackpots at restaurants. We're not arguing whether you should throw the poker dealer a dollar after your hand when you win. We're, we're talking about jackpots where you're expected to leave massive amounts of money. Taking a look at the chat, John Commode said, Concealed carry is going to be necessary as you age. It's an interesting take. I think it was probably about the fast food story. I don't know if it has to do with age. I guess if I got really old to where I felt that I was uh, having a hard enough time walking and that if anybody attacked me or chased me, I'd have a very hard time unless I had a gun. If he means that, then I guess he's right. But I, I don't think it's any more or less necessary now than when I was 25. Drawing dead in the chat said, Druff, what's up? I just got up for work. Hmm. That always makes me feel weird when I read that. But then again, Trader Ruski here, uh, he got up for the day. So my day is uh, ending soon and there's our beginning. A little bit strange. We're all in the same country. All right. We're going to move on. This story was sent to me by a listener. And I felt I had to cover it because we've been covering these type of things. We're going to talk about Adele here. We've been covering her since the very beginning of her saga with performing at Caesars. And originally she scrapped her show with just about zero notice. It was very bad. These mega fans came all the way from the UK to see her initial performance. And then she ditched out on it. And it was too late. It was with less than 48 hours notice. So they had already flown there. And they found out that she was not doing the show. She lied about the reason and claimed that it was because of COVID, which it wasn't. There were a a number of things going on. She didn't like the set design. She didn't like the show that was had too much going on in the background. She wanted just to sing. And she also was having problems with her boyfriend, who was a sports agent named uh, Rich Paul. So she put out an apology video blaming it on COVID, saying the show's not ready. And I'm going to play that one more time, even though I've played it many times in this show, which is so insincere. Hi, um, um, listen, I'm so sorry, but 
um, my show ain't ready. We've tried absolutely everything that we can to put it together in time and for it to be good enough for you, but we've been absolutely destroyed by delivery delays and COVID. Half my crew, half my team are down with COVID, they still are. And it's been impossible to finish the show. And I can't give you what I have right now. Um, and I'm gutted. I'm gutted. I'm gutted and I'm sorry. It's I'm gutted. We've been awake for over 30 hours now trying to figure it out. And we've run out of time. And I'm so upset and I'm really embarrassed. And I'm so sorry to everyone that's travelled again. <sighs> I'm really, really sorry. I'm really sorry. Um, we're on it. We're going to reschedule all of the dates. We're on it right now. Um, and I'm going to finish my show. And I'm going to get it to where it's supposed to be. Now for you, I'm so, I'm so sorry. It's been impossible. We've been up against so much and it just ain't ready. I'm really sorry. Yeah. So that sounds very heartfelt, but it was full of bullshit. Also, Adele had a history going back to before she was even that famous of backing out of shows with various excuses. Often it was medical excuses. It just seemed like show after show she was canceling. She even admitted in certain interviews that she hates performing, that she gets physically ill, and it's very hard for her to bring herself up to even doing one performance. So I thought a residency in Vegas was going to be a disaster. And indeed, early last year it was. And we've talked about this a lot. So she canceled her entire residency, which lasted a few months, which didn't make any sense because if it's about COVID illness, why not cancel it for a few weeks and see if everyone gets better and then continue? So that, that was a lie. It was just blaming it on COVID when it was many other things going on. Maybe some people were sick with COVID also, but it, it, that was not why it happened. So they had to cancel that residency. And then the question was, is there going to be a makeup residency? And that question kind of lingered for a while. But I was thinking it was just never going to happen. I just thought it was a disaster in the first place to even think she could. I thought that was a huge mistake on the part of Caesars. And that this was really just waiting to happen, given her history. I thought the show was just never going to take place. But... To her credit, it did. The show did take place, and it got pretty good reviews. Initially, when they were uh, designing her first show, one of the big problems was she just wanted to be out there and sing, and she did not want a bunch of stuff going on in the background or a lot of props or a lot of gimmicks. One of the things she hated was the design of a water feature where she would rise out of it. She called it a baggy old pond. I'm not going to rise out of a baggy old pond. That's ridiculous. No. So she didn't like the baggy old pond. Calwatt thought it was a boggy old pond, but she really said baggy, a baggy old pond. I don't know what that means, but she, she would not come out of the baggy old pond. And apparently the baggy old pond is not part of the new show. And she fired the set designer who had worked with her before from the original show. But they are now running the show this year and also the end of last year, and it was actually going okay. And she hadn't backed out, and she was making her performances. And 
everything seemed okay. The show was called Weekends with Adele. And so far, it was not the disaster that many, including me, thought it would be. That's the good news. The bad news is that after the initial hype, where all her big fans came from the UK to see it and people traveled across the US to see it who were big fans of hers, after these people saw it, the hype died down very quickly. And they were unable to continue filling seats at the rate they thought they could. Initially, they believed that this residency was going to be so hot that they didn't even have to give away these seats as comps. Now, that ended up not being true even before the whole residency imploded last year. Caesars was swearing that the show's so huge they won't even give it away comped, and then people were posting screenshots and photographs of uh, mailed offers to them, which included a free ticket to Adele's show. <laughs> like, like, why does Caesars even do this? Why, why say we're not going to comp this for anybody and it's that hot of a show and then comp people? Like, this is 2022 when this was happening. So how do they expect that people are not going to share this on social media? People share everything on social media. You, you can't pull these gimmicks off anymore when people can prove you as a liar. So that was stupid. But I will say that it appeared that provided she could get through the residency, that this was going to sell very well and they weren't going to have trouble filling seats. Well, maybe not. Initially, it did very well. Initially, the prices were staggeringly high to sit anywhere in the lower area and... It was just very hard to get any decent seats to the show for anything of even a semi-reasonable price. But that has died down because there just isn't the fanaticism to see it once you get past all the diehard fans who had to be there for the beginning. So it has quickly declined in ticket sales and demand and people willing to pay huge money to sit close. So the show is not a failure, but it's also not selling like hotcakes like they were expecting. There's also another problem, and that is that sometimes people will buy a seat and then not show up. So what happens if somebody has bought a seat and gets sick? What happens if they buy a seat or recomp a seat and they're a degenerate gambler and they just don't want to leave because they're stuck 100K in their uh, blackjack session and it's more important to try to get unstuck than to get up and see Adele. So these seats stay empty. Well, Adele got quite upset about this. She did not like the any kind of imagery possible of empty seats at her show. She was very, very sensitive about empty seats at her show, especially after all the previous controversy involving this residency. She wants the residency to look like it was a wild success, and she definitely, definitely, definitely did not want pictures getting out there on social media of empty seats in the lower sections of Adele's show. Why are the lower sections important? Well, because those are the expensive sections. And if there's going to be empty seats there, she's afraid it will look like that People just don't feel she's worth it to pay a premium to sit down there and see her up close. So it really looks like you're a failure, according to Adele, if lower 
section seats are empty. Any of them are empty. So she demanded that they fix this. She said, I'm not going to have un- unoccupied seats. I don't care if they were sick. I don't care if they're degenerate gamblers. I don't care if uh, they think that getting unstuck in Pi Gow is more important than seeing me. I want these seats filled. I don't care what you have to put there. Go, go to the morgue and get some dead bodies and prop them up there. No one will be able to tell. It's dark anyway. And uh, get some so get some vagrants off the street. Go get some bums and, and stuff them over there and give them a, a, a paper bag with liquor in it. I don't care. But just make sure someone's sitting there. Make sure there's no empty seats. I don't care. Go to the local prison and get them out and sit them in those seats. I don't want anyone, anyone not sitting in a seat in the lower section. So it's very important. No seats in the lower section would be empty. So what did they do? Well, there's some ways to make that happen if you are the venue. In this case, it's Caesars. How do you get those seats filled? One way is just to upgrade people to them. You can take people who bought upper section seats that were much cheaper and just say, good news, we're moving you down. You could even have the ushers go through the aisles and just pick random people and move them and say, hey, we're giving a gift to you. And they won't even know it's because Adele is demanding that these seats get filled somehow. Or you could just sell them anything that is not occupied uh, when it gets close to showtime. You can uh, resell them. Or you can put seat fillers in the seats. Seat fillers are people who do not pay for the show, but are placed there to make it look like the show is fuller than it is. Seat fillers are also used for award shows where sometimes people can't make it and uh, empty seats are in the front of award shows like the Academy Awards and they think it looks bad. So they will actually have seat fillers who are paid to be there, whose entire job is just to take up space. And they don't want to sell those seats or anything because they don't want to draw attention to the fact that they need to fill those seats. They, they just need to quietly fill them with people who look like they belong to be there. So that's where seat fillers come in. So this is kind of similar here. But how has Adele been filling the seats? Well, she decided she does not want people being able to buy these seats because they're really not paying market value. She does not want people getting hip to this whole thing and saying, oh, well, why should I pay huge money for these lower seats when I can get these for a few hundred bucks at the last minute when inevitably some people don't show up? And that's not a hidden trick because I've been doing this since I was in my 20s to get good seats in Vegas shows, even ones where they are not obsessed with filling every seat. But what I would do, I haven't been to a show in a while, but when I would go to shows all the way through the early 2010s, what I would do is I would go to the box office and I would say, what is the procedure for getting released casino seats? Because what would happen is the casinos would have some really good seats to comp their whales, and if they didn't give them all away, they would release them back to the show to do what they want with them. And what the show would then do is is sell them for whatever the 
regular seat highest price is, which wasn't like an outrageous price. So like if, if the normal, quote, good seat you could buy was, say, uh, $300, then you would pay $300, but you get an incredible seat, one of the best in the house, whereas the other people who bought the $300 seats in advance, they're in good seats, but not great. The very best seats were always reserved for the casino, and then I would wait till like 10 minutes before the show and buy them. But it was different for each show, the procedure to get that, and sometimes they deny such a thing exists, and you have to convince them to give them to you because it really does exist. But I bought so many of those casino seats, and sometimes, in fact, it was just the regular price. Sometimes it wasn't even the highest uh, regular seat price. But it was never like a super high premium. And it felt cool. You know, I'd walk in, I'd be in the very best seat in the house. And I'd know I paid the same thing as everybody else there. So people have been aware. This isn't like a top secret thing I was doing. People, especially locals, have been aware you can pull this. So Adele didn't want this. Adele didn't want people who were otherwise maybe willing to pay a high premium to sit in the good seats for her show, knowing, oh, you know what? I'll just wait till 10 minutes before the performance and I'll grab one of these empty seats. So rather than do that, they're actually just uh, filling the seats at Adele's show with Caesars employees who are directed to be seat fillers. And I don't know if that's ever happened before for other shows. But the Las Vegas Review Journal has actually verified that this has been happening. This was rumored and then uh, it was verified. So in an article in the Las Vegas Review Journal... The author of the article said the hotel calls in employees and those who work for the resort's partners to occupy seats when ticket holders simply can't make the show. I actually observed this opening night when the seat next to me was open for the first few minutes of the show until a Caesar's staffer settled in. The possibility of unoccupied seats is more of a concern early in the run, with a flurry of ticket purchases on the resale market, fans juggling their travel schedules for COVID-19 issues and flight cancellations. The superstar headliner has reportedly sought to have all the lower section filled. The hotel is obliged, but know that this isn't an opportunity for the general public. It, it is exclusive to the Weekends with Adele series. So he's saying two things here. That First of all, this is the only show where they are doing it this way with filling it with employees. And second, that the general public can't just uh, stroll up and say, I'd like one of those open seats, please. They're doing this on purpose to prevent people from spending much less to get a really good seat. However, they are noting here in this article that they do release some seats. They don't say they're casino releases, but I bet they are. And that you're basically paying the highest regular seat value, just as I described, and you'll get an excellent seat. But this article claims there's very few that are like this. But you can still do this for Adele's show if you want to see it and get a really good seat and you get lucky. And when I say lucky, I don't mean it's like they're drawing a number. I mean like the seat just has to exist. And you have to approach this, by the way, with the attitude of, okay, if it doesn't work out, I'll just take a regular seat or I'll walk away. You can't go there saying, okay, I've got my heart set on seeing this in a great seat and then be disappointed when it doesn't happen because it may or may not happen. But I've had good luck doing this when I've done it. It's been many years now. It's probably been about 10 years since I last did it. But I've had very good luck with getting excellent seats to these shows by just getting it at the very last minute. I mean, like, last 10 minutes or last 15 minutes. And you can ask them. They'll usually be honest with you. 
you ask them when are the casino seats or the really, really good seats released to where you end up reselling them shortly before the performance, when should I come back for that? And they'll usually tell you. So you can do that here if you want. But it's interesting that Adele does not want any lower seat open and that they're actually filling it with employees. And the employees have to do it as part of their job. They're told, okay, this is your task for the day is to go watch Adele. I wonder if they have to keep seeing it. I wonder if it's like the same employees that have to keep coming back. That would kind of suck. Like in a way, it's good. Okay, instead of having to do real work, I get to go see an expensive show in a great seat. But then what if you have to see it like five times? They get kind of boring at that point, unless you're a huge Adele fan. That's what's going on with Adele and her obsession with no empty seats. If you guys have heard before of casinos filling seats with actual employees who are being paid to be there, you let me know. But I hadn't heard of this before. It's weird. So no baggy old pond and no baggy old empty seats. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the number to call or text. From the 773, he's talking about White Castle. He said, I always order three double cheese with jalapeno cheese, and it took me 20 years to figure out it doesn't come with pickles with that cheese. I've even complained and received replacements before. If I order and ask for pickles, they charge me. I wait till after and then say, oh, by the way, can I have pickles? They don't have pickles. It's all about fighting the system to win. Okay, well, this is probably in response to something I said a while ago on this show that I wasn't a fan of White Castle. Because there's a White Castle now in Vegas on the Strip. I think it's by Casino Royale. And I'm just not someone who likes burgers that are already made in a way they want to make them. I want to have it my way, as Burger King likes to say. So, like, I went to White Castle and said, can I have a plain burger? No. Can I have a burger with no onions? No. This is the way we're making them, and here's where you get them. Now, maybe that's not the case at other White Castles, but this one on the Strip, they're just making the burgers, and you're going to have it the way they make it for you. So I'm not sure what he's talking about here with the jalapeno cheese and the, and the pickles. Uh, I see he's pulling a trick where a certain type of burger doesn't come with pickles, and then he just orders it and then asks for pickles on the side, and they just give it to him. Anything you can't customize burgers, I don't really like. From the 815, in reference to Poker Bunny's Max Payne Monday video with that guy saying go at the very beginning, this guy's kind of defending it, saying, I do a bit of music recording work, and sometimes artistically we have decided to leave the we're rolling in the recording. This kind of seemed accidental to me, though, because the go was almost cut off. It was like, go. That's how it sounded. It wasn't like, go! It sounded like a go that was half recorded. The 410 area code texted me saying that they believe that Alan Kessler got me the invite to commerce at that party. I don't think so. Alan Kessler was not there. I think he probably wasn't invited. He doesn't come to L.A. that often. He's there occasionally for tournaments, but he's not a big L.A. guy. From the 530... Eric, referring to Eric Person, has got one of the biggest egos I've ever seen. The amount of times he says he owns 27 casinos is unreal. He's all about making himself look amazing and making everyone else look small. People with big egos almost always are extremely insecure about something or a lot of things. My guess is he only has a small ownership in Maverick Gaming and has nowhere near the money he tries to make everyone believe. 
Okay, well, I, I mean, it's possible, but he does have enough money to donk off $2.8 million in the month of December. So this is definitely a guy with money. From the 314, after years of trying to win a PFA free roll, I finally won. Amazing. Baruch Hashem. So this is from a Jewish guy, a fellow Jew I've met before. Very nice guy. We went to dinner one time. And he actually recently had uh, some pretty serious health issues and survived. So uh, he he went through a pretty tough situation recently. I'm, I'm not going to say anything more and violate his privacy, but I'm, I was glad to hear that he was okay because he easily could not have been. This wasn't like a small chance. This was like a pretty large chance he was not going to be okay, and he faded it. So that was great, and I'm glad he not only survived, but also survived the Poker Fraud Alert free roll and won. So things are looking up. So if you want to text me, 775-372-8355. If you're listening in the archives, you can still text me, and I'll respond. If you're listening live, you can text me, and I may read your text on the air. Let's move on. A major offshore sports book has been shut down by the feds and 11 people have been arrested. Mm. This is a sports book known as Red 44. I've never used Red 44 before, but apparently Red 44 has been busted. It has been shut down, including with a uh, 114-count indictment filed in a U.S. District Court. The U.S. Attorney's Office for the Northern District of Alabama announced that 11 Americans have been indicted who are managing Red 44. This is based in Costa Rica, and the .com site for Red 44 is now gone. The U.S. Attorney's Office claimed that they were conducting illegal bookmaking and betting activities and that they made $75 million in profits between 2019 and 2021. They said that they've accepted hundreds of millions of dollars in wagers from bettors during that time. This office is based out of uh, Birmingham, this U.S. Attorney's Office which is the first time I've seen that office bust anything related to gambling, at least anything that I've been talking about. It's often the uh, Southern District of New York or a district in Maryland. This Alabama one is kind of a new one to me, but here is the actual press release. It said, Today, a federal grand jury indictment was unsealed, charging 11 defendants from across the United States in a multi-million dollar wagering excise tax evasion scheme. Criminal investigation... Assistant Special Agent in Charge Lisa Fontanette and U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Homeland Security Investigation Special Agent in Charge Katrina W. Berger were in charge of this, as well as U.S. Attorney Prim F. Escalona. It was a 114-count indictment filed in U.S. District Court, and the following defendants were charged. Timothy J. Pusley, 51, of Birmingham, Alabama, charged with 38 counts of tax evasion, one count of conspiring to operate an illegal sports betting organization, one count of conspiring to commit money laundering, and four counts of money laundering. By the way, these tax charges, it's kind of similar to the way you got Al Capone, where these people were making a lot of money with this illegal sports book and not paying taxes on it, and you are actually required to pay taxes on illegally earned money 
as much as you are required to pay it for legally earned money. So when they bust these operations, if they haven't been paying their taxes for the money they earn, then they can get them on that too. Christopher Burdett, 30, of Chelsea, Alabama, charges six counts of tax evasion, one count of conspiring to operate an illegal sports betting organization, and one count of conspiring to commit money laundering. Nathaniel Burdett, 36, basically all the same charges as Christopher Burdett. Jonathan Lind, 44, basically, again, the same thing. Thomas V. Zito, 57. These are all from Alabama. This guy's from Vestavia, Alabama. Same basic charges. Christopher Donaldson, 46, of Trustville, Alabama. I wonder if you wear where trust is allotted, uh, Trustville, Alabama. I wonder if there's a lot of hernias over there. But in Trustville, Alabama, he was charged with one count of conspiring to operate an illegal sports betting organization and one count of conspiring to commit money laundering. So I guess this guy didn't evade taxes. Gary Rapp Jr., 44, of Lakeland, Tennessee. So finally someone not in Alabama, charged with uh, the usual six counts of tax evasion, and the money laundering charges I mentioned before. Mark Giacinto, 50, of Upton, Massachusetts. Basically the same charges. Matthew D. Voorhees of Englewood, Colorado, age 47. Basically the same charges. David Richards, 38, of Las Vegas. Basically the same charges. And Joshua Gentrup, 36, of Athens, Georgia. Basically the same charges. I don't know any of these people. Never heard of them. I was wondering if some of these people might be known poker players, as they sometimes have been with previous sports betting ring busts, but this is not happening with this one. So this actually began in 2005 or earlier by this Pusley guy, this Thomas J. Pusley, who was the ringleader, and he has the most charges against him. And they had an offshore server in Costa Rica, and the defendants named here are senior agents in the Red 44 organization or founding members. So it's important to understand that this is different than a sports book like Bet Online or Bet Any Sports or Bovada. It's not like one of those where you deposit money and you bet, and basically there's no agent in the middle. The whole thing is handled by the automated system, including the depositing, and that when it's time to cash out, when you want to get the money, then you say, okay, I'd like a cash out for this much, and then some human being checks that everything looks okay, and then sends you the money usually in Bitcoin. That's, that's how it works with the offshore sports books that don't involve the agent model, and that's the type I use. And by the way, it's not illegal to use them. It's illegal to operate them, but if you're in a state of course, that uh, doesn't have sports betting like like I am and uh, many others, and you want to still bet on sports, you can use these offshore books and nothing's going to happen to you. Now, your money's not guaranteed at any time the book could screw you, but you're not going to get arrested for using these sports books in case you're afraid to use them. You can totally use them. Nothing's going to happen to you. And that's why I openly admit I use those. I, I don't care. I'm not involved in running them in any way. I just will use them as a customer. The Red 44 book we're talking about here is not like that. Red 44, you get a certain amount of credit, and then you use an automated site in Costa Rica to place the bets. And then at the end of a week or whatever the period of time that is agreed upon, then you do the settling up with the agents. And we've talked about this before. So these people listed 
most of them were agents, and that's why some are out of the area of Alabama. There's one in Tennessee, one in Massachusetts, one in Colorado, one in Vegas, and one in, in Georgia. These were presumably agents who were taking these bets and were not taking – they were depo- basically depositing and cashing out for these people and settling with them every week or whatever. That was their job. Now, it sounds like it's better for the customer when it's on credit, but the government actually is more bothered by these ones that operate on credit than the ones where you have to deposit first. Now, why is that? It's because the ones that operate on credit will sometimes put a lot of pressure on those who lose and can't pay. And they'll threaten them. They will sometimes commit acts of violence or at least really make the people feel like acts of violence will be committed if they don't pay up. So sometimes people will get in over their head and get more credit than they really should have and chunk off a lot of money and then owe a lot to the sports book. And the sports book gets pissed off because they think that they were being free rolled. So they start really pressuring the people who had this credit who aren't paying. And sometimes they feel like the only way they can do it is by threatening physical violence or implying that physical violence is going to happen to really scare these people into paying up. Now, despite what you see in the movies, this actually doesn't happen all that often where one of these modern books that operates this way actually hurts anybody. But they make you believe that it might happen to you. So that's why the government is really bothered by these because it ends up with the element of either violence or threats of violence, whereas Bet Online and Bovada don't have that because they don't have to collect from you. You have to put the money up with them first. And if you lose it, they already have the money. They're already holding it. So there is no element of threatening or committing violence if you lose there because you can only lose what you actually have to put up. It says, regarding the tax counts against the defendants, the indictment alleges that the organization was estimated to have accepted hundreds of millions of dollars in wages from bettors from 2019 through 2021. In 2019, the Red 44 organization was alleged to have earned a gross profit of $14,930,000. The excise tax owed to the IRS or 2% of total wagers placed by bettors would be 6882460 for 2019 alone. I don't know how they determine that. If <laughs> It's not a legal business what the IRS is uh, do here. Because they're calculating this based upon the action that was put through, not the money won. So they're not saying that $15 million was earned in profit, so you guys owe whatever your normal tax rate would be for this profit, as any business would. They're saying no... You owe 2% for all wagers placed on this service, regardless of what you earned. So they're claiming that $6.882 million for 2019 and uh, $6 million more for 2020 and about $7 million for 2021. So they're claiming that this is owed and that this not being paid is equivalent to tax evasion. I don't know if they're also alleging that these individuals were evading taxes that they would owe for themselves or just that it's tax evasion from a business standpoint. I I think it's probably both. So these people are all in the U.S. I I don't know if they've actually been arrested. I know they've been indicted, but given that I think they're in the U.S. presently, maybe not all of them are, maybe like uh, 
Timothy Pusley, he could actually be in Costa Rica. He would be if he's smart. But a lot of times these agent model organizations, everyone is in the U.S. It's more of these books where you have to post the money first, like Bet Online, where the owners, even if they're American, are offshore. So that is apparently one of the bigger operations of this nature. One of the bigger agent sports betting models here. This Red 44 was just busted. Let's talk about another sports betting operation that had something unfortunate happen to it. And this was actually posted about by an Australian member who both listens to this show and occasionally posts on the forum, who goes by Oz Gary, and I've met him before. And he's a nice guy. He's an interesting person. I actually met his whole family a number of years ago. And this is what he copy and pasted from another site regarding Marley's House of Sport. I had not heard of Marley's House of Sport. And I have to imagine very few outside of Australia had heard of them because it was something that was aimed at Australians. But Marley's House of Sport was targeting the poker community and the sports betting community from Australia. And they were trying to solicit ten to $50,000 investment packages. People started to get concerned in May of 2022 that something was going on with Marley's House of Sport that didn't sound right. They were afraid it was a scam and that their investments might be in danger. So this is what Oz Gary copy and pasted back in May of 2022 to Poker Fraud Alert. The initial purpose of this group that was a private group that someone put together online for those who had concerns about Marley's House of Sport. So this is a post from there, a copy to Poker Fraud Alert. The purpose of this group is to try to get to the bottom of some serious concerns myself and others, including clients, have about Marley's House of Sport, which has been introduced to the poker community over the last 12 months. If someone invites you to the group and you don't wish to be involved, feel free to leave. However, I'd like to invite anyone, including Marley himself, into this group that has any answers to these questions and any supporting evidence that we can clarify the legitimacy of of Marley's House of Sports as a business and security of people's investments. If you know any members of Marley's House of Sports, please invite. Marley's House of Sports claims to act as a financial investment service for clients to invest money for significant returns using a unique staking system on horse racing, sports betting, and using strategic and professional bankroll management. Let's stop right there. I don't need to read any more. This is a long thing. I don't need to read any more. You know why? I am going to read you more because it's interesting, but I don't need to read any more because that means scam right there. It sounds like it may not be. It sounds like maybe you have these sharp sports bettors that have ways to beat these sports and they just need a bankroll to do it. Say someone who just doesn't have any capital to bet with but is a sports betting and horse racing genius. So how does that guy run up money? Well, he gets other people to invest in his picks. So that's what Marley's House of Sports is supposed to be. However, I've seen this time and time and time again. Not in Australia. It's usually based out of Vegas when I see this happen. But I've seen this time and time again, and it's always a scam. The person running it tends to have little to no sports betting knowledge other than how to place bets. They are not 
positive EV sports bettors. They are not sports bettors with a good reputation. They are not people who really have any kind of innovative system to analyze these games. These are usually sports betting ploppies who are just outright scammers. So as soon as I read that, I know it's going to be a scam. But let's go on. And especially when they promise big returns. It's one thing to say, I think I've got a winning system. I just don't have the bankroll to bet on it. Uh, Who would like to put money up that we can all bet on these things together and, and hopefully we'll win? And by the way, the immediate thing that should be a red flag to you, aside from everything I said, is why would they need massive money invested to bet on these sports? If the person who has the picks is that confident with their system, they need some money to bet. But at some point, having too much bet on a game is going to be problematic because it's going to start moving the lines and uh, it's going to be hard to get enough money down on the line. So then then you have to, if you want to bet the amount you think you want to bet, then you have to start betting on inferior lines. So there's something to be said with not having too much money that you want to bet if it's not all yours. So there's not necessarily any kind of advantage. In fact, often there's a disadvantage to be betting other people's money on your system unless you're taking a commission or something. But really to say we need clients to invest money for significant returns, if it's really just an investment thing, then you'd have to ask why would they need that? It just doesn't make any sense for sports betting. Some clients have shown balances to increase eight times over a period of six months 5K into 40K, 10K into 80K. Marley claimed just last week that his first big investor has increased his balance of 1 million to over 9 million in seven months. Unfortunately, without any transparency, such as evidence of bet slips or betting activity statements, these results are too good to be true, especially when you consider the amount of money that would be required to get to put down with bookmakers to get returns that high. That's exactly what I was talking about, that uh, bookmakers don't just take unlimited action especially when it's not a super major event. Bookmakers also restrict winning players frequently, and winning millions over periods of seven months is not even slightly realistic or believable. Also true. Guess who got his limits severely lowered on a major offshore sports book? Me. And I'm not winning millions on there. But they saw I had a good streak going in NFL, and then they looked at the bets I was placing, and they realized that these were typically sharp-sided bets. So they said, this guy we think is probably a positive EV sports better, so uh, we're going to be uh, lowering his limits severely so he can't do much harm to us anymore. So imagine someone betting millions that's winning at this rate. There's no way he would continue getting action. I have contacted Marley, quote, flush John Winter. Remember, this is not me talking. This is the copy and paste to Poker Fraud Alert on a number of occasions via email to ask simple questions about Marley's House of Sports. However, he is refusing to provide any answers, stating I'm not a member and claiming that this is trade secrets and intellectual property. So keep in mind here, it appears that they're not being transparent with what's going to be bet. So you're not getting emails every day. Okay, you're an investor. Here's what we're betting on today. Here's how much we're betting on each thing. No, they're just saying, oh, we're, we're just doing a lot of sports betting and we're winning a lot of money. So you guys are way ahead. Well, if you're not actually able to cash out that money, then this could very easily be a Ponzi scheme. Marley will not provide Australian Financial Services license number as required for anyone dealing with financial services and investments. This is not a confidential license and leads me to believe he does not hold one. 
Marley claims that all clients have been paid out when they've requested a withdrawal. This is once a month. However, now only three monthly, which he claims is due to expansion. This may be the case for now, but if you're an investor, you have to you need to be confident that every dollar and every balance across his clients is fully accounted for. Otherwise, this obviously won't be the case forever. So what he meant by three monthly is not three times a month. He means once every three months. That's probably Marley buying time. This is back in May. I have asked Marley to provide his exact number of clients. He will not provide this. Of course, that's a bad sign. I've asked Marley to, what he claims is the sum of all client balances with no response. As mentioned, he claimed that one client now has over $9 million with him. I have asked Marley where all the clients' are, money is kept. Is it in his personal bank account, a business bank account, betting accounts, if we could see the balances, but no response. I've asked Marley how he could possibly get the money down with bookmakers and which bookmakers are accepting these bets, which bookmakers have beaten for millions, and if I can see all of the bets for the past seven months and the transactions to see the millions of dollars of profits. Also, if Marley's using betting accounts and other people's names to place bets, this involves bank accounts and other people's names, which is high risk, meaning that these other people could any time could make off with the money. I've also asked Marley about an audio message he sent to his clients requesting a $25 annual fee to cover the cost of expansion. (laughs) So he's making millions and millions of dollars and he needs $25 from each of them to cover the cost of expansion. Oh my gosh. One of the costs mentioned in the audio is a new server cost of $80,000. As an IT professional, I have a few questions around that because this is not realistic. I have asked if it's an on-premise server. The specs of the server purchased, most small to medium businesses on-premise servers are under 10000 Can he provide a receipt for this server? Can he provide the supplier or the IT company that he procured this server through? Where is the server located? Why does he even need a server? That's a good question. Why does he need a server? Marley's House of Sports runs a website which is hosted with squarespace.com on a shared server in a data center in New York City. <laughs> This $80,000 server is on Squarespace, which is cheap server space you can buy that does not cost anywhere near $80,000. That is hilarious. That's a bad sign when they're collecting money for a new server and they're using Squarespace. Squarespace is for small businesses that don't really know how to set up a website and don't want to pay someone to do it. They just need some kind of basic website. And Squarespace has various templates that you can use to make a basic website on their server. And then you just pay them the monthly fee for renting the space. But this is not something meant for uh, high traffic operations. And definitely $80,000 would not be necessary. So, of course, uh, among everything else, this is very suspicious. The most expensive e-commerce plan you can purchase with Squarespace is 52 Australian dollars per month, (laughs) which is less than 50 U.S. dollars per month, by the way. Marley's House of Sports also uses Gmail, which is a free email service. I cannot see any need for Marley's House of Sports to have a server of any kind, a couple of PCs to run Office applications such as Word and Excel, perhaps a couple of graphic design programs and internet access to cloud-based hosted services such as email and a website. 80000 is an unbelievable figure to quote for any server that I can imagine. 
I'm not a hater or an online troll trying to deny people investment opportunities or legitimate business. I'm simply concerned about my friends and fellow poker players trusting an investment system that on the surface appears to be too good to be true. No, it appears to be a complete scam. And potentially causing financial losses. If you are an investor with significant balance with Marley's House of Sports, you might commit significant other savings money or a loan for a holiday or poker series, car, jet ski, etc., with the understanding that you can withdraw your balance in a few months or years. So you just want to make sure Marley's House of Sports has the projected balance to pay you out in full. He's basically saying don't count that money. It's probably gone. So if you're expecting to play poker with it or take an expensive vacation or buy a house, uh, think again. There are also some accusations that I've been made aware of of some initial investors in Tasmania chasing Marley's House of Sports for payouts and being ignored. Of course, if all these questions can be answered and supported with substantial evidence, then I will close down the group and give Marley's House of Sport a glowing review and nominate it for every business award possible. (laughs) So that's um, pretty bad. Obviously, it doesn't take a genius to figure out here that Marley's House of Sports is uh, a complete scam. Here is... I actually have some audio of people in Tasmania chasing down the owner of Marley's House of Sports to pay them. Yeah, it's the Tasmanian devil. This would be better if we had a video show. Anyway, what's happened since? That was in May. In November, a new user to poker fraud alert named Venom1000 posted, Yes, 100% scam from the so-called Marley John Winter who has an extensive criminal record. He has somehow duped many investors, and now it seems he's finding it difficult to pay members' balances that he states have grown exponentially with large promises of 400% ROI. From the so-called whiz self-proclaimed, as members attempted to withdraw funds that Marley Winter claimed one member had over a million dollars of balance, he must be in panic mode as he sent members emails advising that members had to all of a sudden provide him with photo identification and bank numbers within 24 hours. This bloke is one grub of a human being. He is fleecing people. I've spoken to five. And not only are the ATO, which must be some law enforcement organization in Australia, pursuing him. As he states his record, but we have the screenshots to prove that he has grown members' investments to over 400%. I wonder why someone who's so good only asks for a small percent commission and the formula is baffling. Why do you ask? Well, I'm going to help these people who were duped into his Ponzi scheme, like many others. Stay tuned as Marley John Winter of not only Marley's House of Sports, he now also has Marley's House of Investments. Oh, no. <laughs> Which he set up and he no longer replies to any member inquiries from Marley House of Sports. So I guess he's moved on to a different scam. Marley's House of Investments. Of course, he has no AFS license, nor does he have Austrac credentials. The list goes on. All he has is a sole sole trader and he keeps referring to ASIC, but anyone with half a clue would know this bloke is full of it. He's been playing poker for many years, has not won much up until a recent event at the Gold Coast where he won several hundred K. I wonder where all that has gone. Regardless, he still travels to poker events around the place before he wins. If you've not heard of the bloke, look up Marley's House of Sports. It's farcical. They're coming for you, Winter, and you'll be charged for the fraud you are. Then here's an email that a member got that this guy posted. 
Hi, MHS, MHI, MHS Journey member. I don't know what MHS Journey is. MHS is Marley House of Sports. MHI is Marley House of Investments. We're sorry to inform you that your account has been frozen. This means you'll no longer be on for betting purposes now. We'll not be able to log in, withdraw, or deposit any money. As per our previous email and terms of service, we require specific documentation and email and details from every client to ensure compliance with KYC regulations and laws. Your account was frozen because you did not provide the required information in full by the cutoff on November 22nd. In order to get your account reinstated, we must receive the required information in full, which you may find in our terms of service. Failure to do so may result in permanent account termination and loss of all profit, as we legally cannot pay out anyone in verif- unverified aside from returning any deposits they've made. So you see what he's doing here is he's giving super short deadlines to send in this information, hoping someone will respond or he'll just claim he didn't receive it, and then he can give the excuse of why he's not paying them. Then this Venom 1000 guy posted, there's much more to come from all this, so stay tuned as a current affair. Wait, a current affair? <laughs> That's actually, I didn't know they're even still around. Hope a current affair does not come after me for stealing their sound effect. But he claims 60 Minutes is coming after them too. Not hard to find as he plays poker in Australia, again gathering all the evidence. Then a guy named Bund11, also from Australia, signed up to Poker Fraud Alert and basically just uh, requoted this whole thing and then said, reply to me, my friend, and gave his email, said, I got my initial deposit and money out of him, but only after he realized I had the ability to carry out my threats and promises. Hmm. I don't know, maybe Bun scared Marley into at least giving his deposit back. Sky 16 said, would love to talk to both of you. I was a member and I got out a few months ago. The, these posts, by the way, are from January 2023, so the very reason was paid out just recently after threatening to expose him. I will send you a private message with my contact details. And then Bund gave it to him. We had someone sign up named Marley's House of Scammers who uh, posted a review of Marley's House of Sports. And I'm not going to read. It was a long thing, but the guy was uh, very, very angry and, and bashed them pretty hard. Another person named Hunter signed up. And he said, the latest from this person, couldn't call him a man, is that people who applied for a withdrawal in October have been sent an email saying it's been canceled due to not getting all the conditions met in time. So canceling October and December withdrawals, he started way back in August whining about people withdrawing their gains. That's when the rot set in. I bet the rot set in when he stole the money a long time ago. We are aware of a person who's cashed out almost $2 million in Marley House of Sports, paid the 0.5% and is still waiting for his funds. He cannot get it in a lump sum, just in installments. So even the guy who cashed out $2 million is basically getting nothing. I fully believe this is a Ponzi scheme. It is collapsing. He will end up in jail. As for his Cunties Award, he should look in the mirror. It's a one-horse race if he does that. I, I, I don't know if it's some kind of award he thinks he's going to get, this Marley guy. So I will tell you, looking at the Poker Fraud Alert signups, we're getting a lot of new signups from Australia. And I was wondering at first, like, why are all these Australians signing up? At first, I thought maybe it's about spam. No, it's it's a bunch of Australians signing up so they can comment on Marley's House of Sports in this thread. So hopefully this Marley guy goes to Australian prison. He sounds really bad. And I'm afraid you guys are going to get just about nothing. But yeah, if you really press and really make a big deal, then the squeaky wheel might get the grease for now before he's completely out of money. Finally, 
Hawaii is one of the two states in the U.S. where there is absolutely no gambling. There is gambling underground, but there's no legal gambling in Hawaii or Utah. The other 48 states all have some form of legal gambling or lottery. Utah and Hawaii have neither. And both have been very strong in their opposition to gambling. And that's a trivia question I like to ask people. I say, name two states where you think that gambling is completely outlawed. There's only two of them. So people guess Utah pretty quickly because it's Mormon. But then they try to think of another state along those lines, something which they picture a very red state with a lot of Christians who are against gambling. So they start guessing maybe Wyoming, maybe Idaho, maybe uh, Alabama. And I say, nope, it's actually a blue state, Hawaii. Now, why is Hawaii so anti-gambling? Well, I believe it's because they think that they don't need it. I think they believe that it would be a drain on their locals and that they already have a thriving tourism industry that nobody's going to come to Hawaii to gamble. People come to Hawaii because it's Hawaii, so why have the gambling there? It's not going to attract tourists. It's going to hurt locals, so screw it. However, poker may come to Hawaii after all. There's actually a bill in place to bring poker to Hawaii. And I believe this is the first of its kind. This would be actually poker and sports betting. And this is being proposed because there are a lot of underground rooms that are based out of Hawaii. And they figure, why not just make it legal and fair rather than forcing these people underground having to deal with criminal organizations. So it has been proposed by reps John Mizuno and Daniel Holt that would allow locally owned businesses to open gambling parlors that offer poker and sports betting. They claim there are 70 to 100 underground gambling rooms in Oahu, which I don't believe. There couldn't be that many because Hawaii doesn't have that big of a population. I think they're exaggerating to make it seem worse than it is. Daniel Holt said this is a very responsible proposition. We're taking an industry that is currently being unregulated and putting it into regulation and benefiting our communities at the same time. Also, they don't want outsiders coming in and running these rooms, so they have a requirement in the bill that the person with the most stake in the operations has to be a resident of Hawaii for at least 35 years. The gambling parlors would be limited to 25,000 square feet and up to 30 poker tables. And this would all be in Oahu, would not be allowed on the other islands of Hawaii. However, it would allow the owners to go online within three years. There's a little bit of controversy, though, already with who's involved with this bill. Eric Ford was hired as a gambling consultant, and he actually 
registered a company already called Rise Hawaii Gaming LLC. They see registered in August. And he said, we're proposing for this new bill something is never done in the state of Hawaii. We're not proposing a casino. In Hawaii, when you say the word casino, everyone runs. It's like saying fire in a theater. This is not a casino. This is just a regular poker room and sports betting parlor. However, Ford is involved with something called Full House Poker, which is kind of a dumb name, which is a poker room in Eugene, Oregon. That's why he was hired as this gambling expert. But in 2013, he was sentenced to 20 months in prison for operating an illegal sports book out of a bottling company called Aloha Springs Water. Uh Uh-oh. Also, apparently, they were putting pressure on people who uh, owed money to the sports betting operation. They took a Rolex as collateral from one of the customers back then. Also, uh, one of his partners, Kendall Limahai, was indicted or pled guilty, along with seven others, uh, as, as being part of that whole scheme. This uh, Lima High is actually a poker player and actually cashed at a WSOP event in 2022. And uh, Ford has also cashed at the World Series of Poker. So there's some people who are saying, look, we're, we're trying to get these legitimate poker rooms going and legitimate sports betting operations in Hawaii. And uh, the two guys writing the bill are already uh, allying themselves with a guy running a room in Oregon who's presumably going to get a piece of this somehow and he's already been convicted for illegal sports betting back in 2013 so what are we doing here (laughs) we're moving them from illegal underground rooms to legal rooms run by convicted criminals who've uh, run illegal rooms in the past so what are we even gaining here that's what critics are already saying so some believe that just that alone is going to kill this and that it's going to take a lot to convince legislators to legalize any form of gambling in Hawaii. It's just been something really, really taboo in Hawaii to ever legalize and that there would really have to be a major change in attitude in the legislature to even consider this, and that's hard enough. And then you throw in known criminals being involved with the whole effort, like this Ford and this uh, Lima High, then it's probably not going to work. There's an attempt here, but it's probably not going to work. And normally I wouldn't mention this, but it's interesting because it's Hawaii. This was any other state, I I wouldn't talk about it. But because it's Hawaii and they're just so anti-gambling there, and this is an attempt to bring legalized poker there. But yeah, it's a problem. You, You can't associate yourself with criminals when you're trying to convince a state that has been very anti-gambling to have gambling. Because then you give a very good excuse to those who are against it. Hawaii's isolation, I think, is a lot of this as well. Because everything has to be kind of self-contained over there. Some people don't realize how isolated Hawaii really is. But go bring up a map and take a look at where Hawaii is in the world. And take a look at the fact that it is close to nothing. It is not close to anything. One of the closest big cities to it that isn't in Hawaii, something that isn't in Hawaii that's the closest to it, one of those is Los Angeles, about 3,000 miles away. They're that isolated. 
that L.A. is, is their close city. They had to go 3,000 miles to reach. But if you bring up a map, a world map, and look at where Hawaii is, you will see that every direction there's basically nothing from Hawaii. North, east, west, and south. If you go far enough west, you reach East Asia. If you go south, you really reach nothing. You go east, you'll reach L.A. or uh, northern Mexico. You go north, you'll get to Alaska. But everything's far. Everything's like 3,000 miles away or more. So they're really, really isolated over there. And they really have to take care of themselves. And all the supplies there, anything that they can't manufacture or grow there has to be imported. And it's expensive. The last thing they need is to be burdened by gambling problems that are making residents who are doing okay become impoverished. So they're really afraid to bring it there and they just look at it and go, what are we gaining from this? And I understand. Like, what are they gaining? And I'm someone who is pro-gambling expansion. I think if adults want to gamble, they should have access to it. I would be annoyed if I lived in Hawaii and I could not play any legalized poker that I would have to go to one of these underground rooms and who knows what's going to happen there. So it would be annoying to me as a resident there if I did live in Hawaii. It's not even a matter of driving a few hundred miles every so often to where poker is legal. You're so isolated, you're not going to get to it. You'd have to fly 3,000 miles to get to California to do it. But I will say I understand why they're worried about this. That they don't want gambling to turn into part of the culture. And Hawaii does not have a big population. So if a lot of people get into gambling there, it could become quickly a high percentage of the population. They only have 1.442 million in Hawaii. That's a pretty damn small population. That's a lot smaller than... Nevada, for example, which also does not have a big population, which has 3.1 million. So you're talking about like two and a half times, or actually about two times, a little bit more than two times the population Nevada has compared to Hawaii. Hawaii has a smaller population than Idaho. It has a smaller population by a good deal compared to Puerto Rico. Even Alaska, which is known to have a very small population, still has about half the population of Hawaii. And Wyoming, which has the smallest population, has 578,000. That's still uh, well more than a third of what Hawaii has. It's just not a big population over there. And yet they are very, very isolated. So I kind of understand the fear. Trader Risky, have you ever been to Hawaii? Um. When was the last time you were there? Oh, God. First marriage, so many years ago. <laughs> so, um, but, but it was beautiful. I mean, I have to admit, I had very high expectations going in, and, and it was great. I did not go to Hawaii until I was close to 28 years old. I went in the very, very end of the 1990s. I went in uh, the end of 1999. I was very close to turning 28. And even though I had traveled to a lot of places by then with my parents, the one place that was prominent that wasn't super far, you know, 3,000 miles away, but it wasn't ridiculously far, the one place I had not gone 
like that was Hawaii. Why do you think that was? What would be the reason my parents did not take me to Hawaii but uh, took the kids to a lot of other places that are a lot farther away? Um, maybe activities for you to do? No, it was because... But I imagine there isn't Hawaii. But, um, no, it was actually because these were the adult trips they took that they wanted to be alone together and not have uh, the burden of kids. This was like the romantic adult trips they took and the kids stayed home. So that, they took us on almost every trip, but th- this was this and Jamaica were the exceptions where they would go without the kids. So I did not make it to Hawaii until I went on my own at the age of almost 28, and I went with uh, my then-girlfriend, and uh, this particular girlfriend, uh, I kind of wish I went with somebody else. This is not someone any of you know. This was someone who I was not with anymore by the time I got into poker. But this particular girlfriend, she had a decent job. She wasn't making huge money, but she had a decent full-time job. And I wasn't making big money then. You know, As I said, I wasn't playing poker. I, I had just a normal job myself as a programmer and not... not making a ton of money. So we went together and I even offered that I will pay more than she did. Like, so I bought the plane tickets and I paid for most of the hotels, I believe. So I was really paying for the vast majority of the trip and she could easily afford it to have paid her portion. And she didn't make that much less than I did. So there really wasn't that much of a reason for me to be footing the bill here. And we, of course, weren't married or anything, weren't engaged, nothing like that. We had only been together for about uh, five months. And everything was fine at first. And then of all things, a problem, a fight happened at the Dole Pineapple Factory. So the Dole Pineapple Factory actually has a setup for tourists to go take a look at it and you can buy pineapple ice cream and you can walk among the pineapples they're growing. It's it's uh, moderately interesting. It's in Oahu. So among the other things we did there, we went to the Dole Pineapple Factory and we got pineapple ice cream. So she bought two ice creams. She said, oh, sure, do you want the pineapple ice cream? I said, okay, sure, let's try it. So she buys two pineapple ice creams. I think they were probably $3 each. And I ate my ice cream. She ate her ice cream. We get in the car, and we're continuing to drive around Oahu. And she seems pissed off. And I couldn't figure out what I did. Like, what did I do wrong here? And she was fine when we got to the Dole Pineapple place, but then after we leave there, she's pissed off. So something happened there that she was pissed off about. I couldn't figure it out. So I asked, what's wrong here? And she says, uh, nothing, nothing. And I, I could tell that wasn't true. I could tell there's something wrong. So I thought maybe I did or said something to really get her angry or embarrass her in some way. I, I thought it was something that was uh, at least semi-justifiable for her to be angry about. I just couldn't figure out what it was. She didn't want to tell me. So finally I got it out of her. And she was getting very upset that I, I wouldn't just let this go and, and, and find out why she's visibly angry. So finally I found out the reason she was so angry at me at the Dole Pineapple Place. It was that I didn't pay the $3 for my ice cream and I didn't offer to reimburse her. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. That's what it was. So I said, what? That was like $3. She said, I know, but you, you didn't even offer. You didn't even say, hey, 
Uh, can I give you the $3 back for it? I said, why would I offer the $3 back? This is like a $3 ice cream. I said, I've paid for so many things on this trip. I pay, paid for your airfare. I'm paying for all the expensive hotels. You, you threw in a little bit of money for the cheap hotels, but I, I've paid for the vast majority of this trip, and you, you work a good job. I never asked you for anything other than the little bit you're providing. So you're, you're saying that an unscheduled $3 ice cream that you bought for me is, is making you angry I didn't offer to reimburse you on a trip I paid this much for? Yes. <laughs> so I asked her, I said, where's the logic in that? I don't understand how you could even begin to justify anger over this. So she told me that she thought that what she had agreed to pay for the trip was going to be it. And that she was very surprised that now she has to pay $3 extra for ice cream. <laughs> and for my ice cream, this was pissing her off. She said, it wouldn't have gotten her angry if we each bought our own ice cream or if I gave her the $3 back. But it was the fact that she paid the $6 for both of us and I didn't offer to reimburse her the $3 that was really getting her go. She was really angry because she really thought that uh, she had budgeted this trip. She, she knew what she was paying. And now, now here she is having to throw in extra money. It was insane. And by the way, this wasn't like a straw that broke the camel's back thing. It wasn't like I had been routinely doing this and, and hitting her with additional things she has to pay for on the trip, and this was just finally what set her off. She admitted it was only this. In fact, this was near the beginning of the trip. This is the type of crap I had to deal with. I'm not exaggerating. This like really happened exactly as I said. So that was my first Hawaii trip. And then I actually uh, didn't go back for a while until I was with the girl I'm with now. And we've been there twice since then. So I've been to Hawaii now a total of three times. And two of them with the current girl I'm with. And of course, Benjamin was with me as well. And then one time with that girlfriend from back in 1999 that didn't want to buy me $3 ice cream. It's funny the things you can remember. Something else I remember from that 1999 trip, and this, of course, wasn't her fault, but there was a horrendous rainstorm on Hawaii, on Oahu, when I was trying to drive back from the North Shore to our hotel, which was on Waikiki Beach. And I wasn't sure what to do, because this was one of the worst rainstorms I've ever driven in. And it was so heavy that I basically couldn't see out the window. And I was also afraid that it would flood and then carry the car into the ocean because I was on a road there by the North Shore that's just like seaside. So I was trying to figure out what to do. Normally, I just pull over and wait for the rain to moderate some. But I said, I'm a little worried that if I just stop here, that either a flood's going to carry us away or that... There could be a landslide. Like, I, I didn't think it was necessarily safe to stop. And I was also worried, you know, what if someone hits me while I'm stopped? Now, I guess I could have found somewhere far enough off on the side to pull. But I was still worried that it may not just be safe to hang around and wait until it gets more and more flooded. So it was kind of scary figuring out what to do. And I elected that I'm just going to power through it. I'm just going to keep driving and hope that there's not a disaster here. I just don't want to sit here and wait and be a sitting duck for whatever might happen from any floods because so far it wasn't flooded yet it was just tremendous rain coming down 
but that was really one of the hardest rains I've ever driven in my life. And uh, fortunately, everything was fine. I, I got past it. And uh, I think after I drove enough that it lightened considerably, and then it wasn't an issue anymore. But I didn't know that. And in 1999, I couldn't exactly look on a smartphone or something. So I remember that, too. One thing I will say that was positive about that girl on the trip was that I wanted to see a lot of sites from Hawaii Five O because I'm a big fan of that show. And she really wasn't into that show. She didn't hate it, but she wasn't a fan of it. And she did have a good attitude about going around and doing that stuff. So she, she never objected to any of the Hawaii Five O tourism. Though I didn't just do that. I, I tried to do a lot of things there. So, you know, mostly things that were just general things we both would be equally interested in. But but we did go to some things that were Hawaii Five-O related, and she didn't object at all. So that, that part was nice. The ice cream thing was bizarre. Very bizarre. And I, I guess uh, Trader Risky went with his first wife, and uh, when when did that marriage end? That ended in 2001. Okay. It was, uh, was the Hawaii and trip at least? I think Hawaii was maybe 2018. Or 2008, I mean. Or no, 98. I was going to say, wait wait a minute. Wait yeah, a minute. You, you went with her after the divorce? Um, <laughs> yeah, 98. So, yeah, no, many years ago. Oh, we almost went at the same I time then for the first time. You went you went 98, I went in 99. Yeah. Hmm. Now, did you did you have any uh, issues with, with the wife there, or did, did the issues come later? I think that was actually one of the uh, good good parts of the marriage. Okay, so you had a good that, trip. There. I think two weeks in Hawaii was good. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was going to be good, and then we we have these ice cream problems. They're very very weird. Very yeah, weird. I think that was the peak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you can look now, back. What, did you, what did, did you watch the new Hawaii Five O draft? I, I did. Yes, uh, I, I had to watch that because I, I was a, I was such a big fan of it. It was it was different from the original. Uh, I, I did like how they kept the theme song to be uh, mostly the same. They shortened it, but it was the same theme song. And uh, and they tried to pay homage to a lot of the original elements of the series, and they, they kept a lot of the same names of the characters, even though the characters were different. It, it was just a very different show. And I, I still like the original one better, even though there's a lot of elements to it that are dated and that wouldn't uh, really fly today. I don't mean from a controversy standpoint. I just mean from a production standpoint. Right. But uh, but I, I really like the original, and I, I actually found the original in the mid-'90s. I, I was aware of it since I was a little kid because my parents would watch it, and I would hear it. At, they'd put me to sleep, and then I, I wouldn't fall asleep for a while. I had a trouble falling asleep. I think I just needed less sleep as a kid. It was kind of weird. Uh, I, I never realized it was kind of abnormal, and I didn't even tell my parents about it. But they put me to bed at around 9, and then I wouldn't fall asleep till like 11.30. And I just got used to that being the case. I, I didn't think, oh, wow, this is weird. Why don't I fall asleep for two and a half hours? And it wasn't like an insomnia feeling. It was just like I'm being put to sleep when I'm not tired. So I would hear the TV downstairs and I would hear them watching Hawaii Five-0 and that memorable theme song. So I was very aware of it, but I, I was too young in the 70s. It, it aired from uh, 1968 to 1980. So I, I was uh, just about eight years old when it went off the air. So I, I was too young to 
have appreciated that show first run. And in 1994, when I was 22, I caught it on uh, syndication very late at night. I just was flipping around channels and found it. And I, I watched an episode, and I, I liked the episode. And I said, oh, this is pretty good. I never actually watched this show. Okay, well, I'll, I'll watch it tomorrow. So I turned on the TV at the same time the next day, and I saw what turned out to be one of my favorite episodes. And it happened to be the second one I ever watched. And that one got me hooked on the show. And then I started making sure to watch it every day. And that's how I eventually became a big fan of the show and watched all the episodes. And I'll tell you guys something that there is a secret Hawaii Five-0 revival that probably nobody knows about. But if you're a fan of the show, you can find it on YouTube. And I won't tell you who posted it, but uh, I will tell you that uh, I know the person who posted it quite well. But it is a secret episode of Hawaii Five-0 of a remake, not in 2010, what, what uh, Trader Ruski was talking about, but a 1997 remake with Gary Busey as the star that had one episode, a pilot episode that was never aired and was never supposed to see the light of day and is not available on any DVDs. The only place you can find it is on YouTube. And I know the person who posted it. And I know exactly how it was obtained, which I can't say, but I can tell you it was obtained and it's on YouTube and you can watch it. It's not the best quality as far as the picture, but it's good enough to watch. And I actually thought that was decent. Like, I I had pictured it was going to be terrible because it was a pilot that wasn't picked up, even when there was a lot of interest in this revival that was being talked about. But it never aired, and it was hidden away to where no one could ever find it and ever watch it. But it was unearthed, shall I say. And it is on YouTube if you want to find the... You can look on YouTube, 1997... Hawaii Five-0, and you will find it, and you can watch it, the full episode. And it actually fe- features some of the original cast. Uh, not Jack Lord. Uh, I'm not sure if he had died yet. He was either dead or very, very sick when that was made. He died of Alzheimer's. He had a similar situation to President Reagan. Both of them, by the time they died of Alzheimer's, didn't know who they were. Reagan didn't know he was president. And Jack Lord did not know he was in Hawaii Five-0. They were that out of it by the end. And both of them actually had very protective spouses that mostly kept them out of the public eye once they really went downhill. And that's pretty tough. I mean, it's got to be very tough to spend many years with someone who has Alzheimer's and is really out of it and doesn't know what's going on and doesn't even know who you are anymore. And trying to keep them out of the public eye because they were once an important figure that you want people to remember them for their good years, not for when they have just lost everything in their mind. Credit to the wives of these two to keep them out of public and taking care of them privately and until their deaths. Something else you may not know, uh, Jack Lord was married to an older woman. Usually these big male stars are going to marry younger women. But he was married to someone who was, uh, I think, more than 20 years older than him. And she lived to very old. I think she lived to like 100. So she outlived him. But yeah, he was married for uh, many, many years. 
until his death to this uh, older woman. That's unusual among big male celebrities. How often do you see that? Anyway, that's all I got here. I think that this last discussion probably appealed to the uh, old demographic of this show. Talk of uh, 1970s TV, even before my time. But that's okay. We have a lot of people here who are in their 60s, even some in their 70s. The oldest listener, to my knowledge, is 79. If you are older than 79 and you listen, feel free to text me at 775-372-8355 and tell me. But right now, the guy who calls himself Tough Puppy is the oldest listener, to my knowledge, at 79. I used to think I Am Greek was the oldest listener, but uh, even though the male I Am Greek is also 79, uh, that apparently is not who was really listening. It was really his wife, who was 77, and passed away. By the way, I'm glad I didn't have to do a show this time that was focused upon someone dying, because the last two shows, the first topics were first about I Am Greek passing away, and then Dave Lerman passing away. So I'm glad that uh, this show doesn't feature that type of talk. Anyway, I'd like to thank uh, Batman for coming on this show during the first three segments, including the long one about him. He was a good co-host. I enjoyed having him on. And, uh, you know, he said he'd like to come back. So let me know what you thought of Batman as a co-host, if you'd like to have him back on as a Poker Fraud Alert co-host. Because he doesn't just have to come back on if we're talking about him. He even said he would have stuck around for the whole show if he didn't have to wake up early in the morning. But I'd like to thank him for the time he spent here. I did hear part of him before I passed out last night. And I mean, what a trip walking into... Like, you know, we grew up in L.A., so we're like, oh, this is a card room, right? I mean, imagine coming from these smaller towns and, like, you hear about commerce and then it's like fucking the Mall of America. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that before either because, yeah, I was kind of... uh, I kind of worked up to seeing commerce. The the first thing I ever saw was, was Hustler. And it looks a lot like it looked then what it looks like now for the most part, minus Hustler Casino Live's presence there. And then the next thing was Hollywood Park, which is bigger than Hustler, especially back then. And then the next thing was Commerce. So I kind of worked up in size from like a medium room to a large room to a huge room. So it wasn't shocking for me to walk into Commerce and see it. But uh, yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought of that until he mentioned it that. If you're from out of the area and all the rooms are small, and even if you're used to like the Vegas rooms, like think of the Bellagio, which is not a small room, but it's it's not a, a huge room either. It's just a room that's on the side of a casino. Then you walk into Commerce, so this giant thing is dedicated to poker, and you go, wow, that is big. But a lot of people don't know that L.A. was really the, one of the biggest areas for the poker scene in the uh, 60s and 70s, before Texas Hold'em was even legal in the state, it was still very big for poker. So it wasn't just Vegas. Vegas always had a poker scene as well, but L.A. had a very big poker scene that a lot of people don't realize existed. And for many decades, going back to before I was born. I've even played with some of these guys that have told me of their days playing in the uh, 70s L.A. card rooms. So anyway, guys, tell me what you think of Batman as a co-host, if you'd like to have him back, if you wouldn't, if you don't care. 
But I'd like to get feedback on that. But I enjoyed having him on, and I will be happy to bring him back if he'd like to come back. But I'd still like the feedback regardless. So that is it. Thank you for coming on Trader Ruski, and I will see you in the next episode. Okay, Jeff. Have a great week. You too. Have a great week. See you, brother. See ya. Some of you might be wondering, did I have a bet on the L.A. Chargers game, which involved one of the biggest choke jobs in NFL history, especially NFL playoff history? They were up 27-0 and lost the game. Did I have any action on that game either way? No. I did have action on that Colts game where they blew a 33-0 lead during the regular season. And I had a plus 165 on the Colts. That was kind of painful. I was right there in the bike watching it on the big screen. And it's like watching a train wreck in slow motion. But no, I did not have action on this Chargers game. But if I had the Chargers there, I would have been very angry, to say the least. There's rumors going around on the internet that someone in the middle of the game when the Chargers were a gigantic favorite to win because they were up 27-0, bet $1.4 million to win 11000 and then lost, which would be very, very painful if true. But there's no verification that this really happened. This might just be a bullshit rumor. You never know. The reason it's a little bit doubtful is that with someone, someone who has... 1.4 million to throw around on a bet. Would they really do this just to get $11,000? Like, maybe they saw it as free money. But they're risking just so much to win 11k. And you'd think if they have so much that 1.4 million is a loss they could absorb, why would they care that much about winning 11,000? Why would that be a thrill to them? That's the doubtful thing about this whole $1.4 million bet on the Chargers. But yeah, that was a pretty bad loss. Anyway, thank you for listening. We'll be back. I got on a little bit faster this time. It was 10 days since the last show. I'll try to make it less next time. At least it wasn't two weeks. Shalom. Shalom.